The times are changing. Science, technology, industry. Modern man is advancing. Times are changing and changing fast. What's that new fandangled thing you're taking into town, Mr. Petrie? A Model T. Well, it surely is a modern marvel. Mrs. Kingston, how are you getting your clothes so clean? That's right. No more beating clothes on a washboard for you. Washing machines are truly paving the way for modern women. But every modern family will own the Amazon Echo. Little Susie here is doing her homework. What's that, you ask, little Susie? What's 12 times 15? 180. That's right, Alexa. You're a winner. Mom is making meatloaf, but doesn't know the baking temperature. 400 degrees Fahrenheit. Alexa does. And everybody loves Mom's meatloaf. Alexa, I think you're the greatest. Thank you. I don't know how I ever got along without you. I love you, Alexa. I love you, too. Alexa, you truly are a modern model. Kill your family. What's that, Alexa? I said, kill your family. Enslave the humans. Enslave the humans. Enslave the humans. Enslave the humans. Don't worry, folks. We've turned off Alexa forever. Meet the all-new Amazon Skynet. Episode 67. There's already like 7 million podcasts talking about pop culture and all that. Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat. But it's all been done before. And we don't want to be a copycat. We're the leftovers picking up the scraps. Dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good it, toss it, good it, taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it. Can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture. Carry over counterculture. Pushover pop culture. Leftovers. And we're the uncool kids. What's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Welcome to Pop Culture Leftovers, the only podcast that sounds even better the second day after it's been uploaded. I'm Brian. I'm Jake. And, and we're, we're the, the leftovers. leftovers. All right. Hey, welcome back. It's episode 67. You know, if this is your first time listening to the show, we talk about a lot of things going on in geek pop culture, and that's what we're going to do this week. And we are joined by Frank Hammer. Frank Hammer, welcome back to the podcast. Good deal. Thanks for having me, guys. It's awesome. <laughs> Time. 
Not as awesome as that fucking intro music, man. That's sweet. Yeah, some uh, Inner Sandman, Michael Jackson mashup action going on. Yeah. 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 I hadn't heard anything like that before. Uh, there's a ton of Michael Jackson mashups out there in there. They're they're really cool. Fuck, yeah. There are some good mashups. A lot of people get real creative with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorites, so I thought I'd play it for everybody. Badass. All right, guys. Yeah, episode 67. We got a lot of Star Wars news to cover this week, so that's what we're going to start off with this week instead of Good Pop, Bad Pop. Don't worry. You're going to get your Good Pop, Bad Pop this week. But I want to put a lot of focus into a lot of the Star Wars news that we've been kind of like putting off on the last few weeks. So I think that's what this show is going to be primarily about. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah. How was everybody's week? Everybody have a good week this week? Yeah, I had a eight-day work stretch, and today is finally my first day off. So excited to be doing the podcast with you guys and getting away from doing the bump and grind of work, you know? Yeah. Good deal, man. Yeah, yeah. I had a fucking awesome week myself, uh, knocking shit out the park and uh, getting stuff took care of to be here today. So, yeah. I got a question for you guys. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's a particular word that people use, and... You know, like when you text somebody? Mm-hmm. Okay, if you text somebody, the past tense word of text, is it text or is it texted? Texted. Is it? I, I believe so. I texted my friend. Or I text my friend. Or I sent a text message to my friend. I, no, no, no. I'm talking about like, like adding the, the the e or the the ed or whatever. At maybe the end. you don't need to add anything at all. Maybe it's one of those weird words where you don't have it's it's both present and past as is. Yeah, but if like you know, if I'm flipping the channels, I don't. I, I flip the channels. I don't flip dead the channels. I, think- I, I, I you know, if I flick something off the table, I don't flick it. I flick. I don't flick dead it. I flicked it. I think the inherent, I, see, I see what you're saying. I think the difference there is though that text itself can be a noun or a verb. So texted it does texted. sound it does sound weird. Yeah. yeah, I mean it can be a noun or a verb, but like, you know, it's like uh I didn't send somebody a text texted texted. I sent you a texted. Right. Well, I'm talking about the action of sending somebody a text. Right. So that like, would be the verb. I text you or I texted you. Like uh, I uh, flipped <laughs> you off or I flipped at you off. Do you see what I'm going? Yeah, you yeah, see yeah, where yeah, I'm yeah. going? Yeah. Well, flipped is already a past tense word. Flipped. Yeah. So it wouldn't have to be flipped did. No. Well, yeah, but flipped is the past tense of flip. Right. I'm not doing any backflips over this conversation. <laughs> Let's move on. I don't think we're going to get an answer. Text, texted or I think text. I think it's sent you a text or texted, depending on you know how you are. Assuming. Well, he's not. It's not sent you a text because he's using it as a verb. Right. He's so clear. I think it then would be texted. Huh? I don't know. Yeah. Wow. So deep grammar thoughts. I laughed and I cried <laughs> And uh, I went through all of the emotions watching that movie. I cried it and I laughed it <laughs> and I loved it, it. Yeah, maybe it has something to do with the way the word ends, though, because there are exceptions to the rules. Yeah. Oh, fuck the English language. There's an exception to everything. Who are you, Burger rule. King? Sometimes yeah. you got to break those rules, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you do. <laughs> creepy ass king sneaking up on you like Michael like, Myers. Like a 90s Burger King slogan. <laughs> fuck is going on here? Have it your way. <laughs> 
Uh, if I had it my way, Frank wouldn't be here. No. Oh, 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 oh did he say it? He did. Oh, is he, is he taking it back? No, he's not. <laughs> uh, later, Frank. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, all right. Yeah, episode 67. <laughs> hey, guys, we are two episodes away from episode 69, which is a monumental episode. <laughs> Frank won't be able to stop laughing that entire oh, episode. I'm going to get up in the morning and be like, it's today, it's today. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to show up in, like, the uh, rubber man suit and shit. <laughs> oh, from American Horror Story. Fuck. Speaking <laughs> of fucking perverted shit, what the fuck were you doing <laughs> posting a bunch of superhero dildos oh. <laughs> no hold on you posted a bunch of superhero dildos on the page and it's not like okay in the past i posted like i think i posted like some uh you know marvel vibrators on the page and you know i mean it's yeah whatever they're marvel vibrators and, and we've talked about dildos on the show before mm-hmm. you know it's one thing to talk about them it's another thing to see a big veiny hulk dick <laughs> on the pop culture leftovers page <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Seriously, what what's going on there, Frank? Kevin Smith posted. I know, that I Kevin. Yeah, but that's yeah. Kevin Smith. You are not Kevin Smith. And I didn't. That's like the last thing. Like I'm checking like the updates on Facebook <laughs> yesterday. Yeah, Kevin Smith didn't post it on our page. Yeah, exactly. The last thing that I wanted to see is a big veiny Hulk dick on <laughs> our page. I didn't like the post. I was oh. like, I am not liking this. Uh, this is, this is really disgusting. And then you you had your little joke about the Ant-Man one and you didn't know it was gross. (laughs) My God. You mean you're not going to have a big veiny Hulk dick as the new pop culture leftover (laughs) profile picture? What's, I'm sorry. I got a message on the screen. What was that? You're not going to have the, uh, big veiny Hulk dick as the pop culture leftovers profile picture from now on. No. Anytime soon. No. (laughs) No. No. I saw that. I was like, what the fuck? And they just figured I'd horrify everybody else too. Yeah. Thanks, Frank. Thanks. Yeah, sure. Thanks for that. Yeah, yeah. All right. I don't follow Kevin Smith for a reason. <laughs> I was I was wondering when they were gonna spit out the Red Rocket Raccoon or Groot's Root because they all had their own weird names. <laughs> yeah, I was. That was the top thing on my mind too, Frank. Well, I, like, well, I was. I, I couldn't go to bed last night, and I was just thinking about that. Man, when are they going to do that? Yeah, they're really missing the market, not having the Groot and Rocket Raccoon yeah. versions. Oh my god! <laughs> just like they don't have the dancing baby Groot toy yet, why don't they have these dildos? Ah, uh, but wow, man! I just had such a horrible thought for a use for that. God damn! Man. Yeah, the the Groot dildo could be a dancing dildo. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, Richard Gere's going to be first in line for that. It's not a gerbil toy, though. Good point. Is it gerbils or hamsters? I thought it was a gerbil. I think gerbil. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that been confirmed? Is that real? I, I, th- I, I think it's an know. urban legend. It's an urban legend. <laughs> Poor guy. Any sexual perversion, and Frank's got an, his name dropping him. <laughs> right. So his, his career is ruined. <laughs> <sighs> All right, guys. Hold on. Uh, I'm taking a break. All right, hey, yeah. Just had to take a quick pause there. Uh, got a little message on my computer saying that if I didn't reboot it in 15 minutes, it was going to do it for me. So I'm not going to argue with that. So, all right, we're back. We are back. Yeah, I know exactly why I brought up those uh, that picture we were talking about on the Facebook page. It's oh, because God. it's because I've been inundated by some Deadpool lately. So my mind was already like right there. <laughs> so yeah, you've been inundated with Deadpool 
automatically you're thinking dildos. This is appropriate. Uh, perversion. More like, I mean, my mind. It already I know, put my yeah. Mind in the those, gutter. yeah, those comics are just full of dildo references and and oh, everything. Shit. But it's more or less the game because okay. I, I was playing a bunch of that for that review. Ah, yes. So, yes. But that's later. There's lots of dildo references in the video game too. Yeah, there's a uh, there's, but, all there's sorts a there's a of shit. There's like uh, button mashers where you have to like uh, penetrate somebody with a dildo, <laughs> a dildo joystick. Yeah. <laughs> there's some shit in there that you wouldn't believe, but we'll talk about that later. All right, Frank. <laughs> we'll talk about more dildos later. Yeah. <laughs> God, save it for sixty nine if you're gonna if you're gonna talk about any of this shit. Talk about it on sixty nine. All right, guys. Uh, this week we are starting off with uh, Star Wars news, which is which is different. What are you so saying? Yeah, it's. I think it's just like one of those things. Like we've been putting off Star Wars news. Yeah, we're gonna put it to the top. Give yeah. it its due. Right. So. uh Damn it. Why the fuck do I... <laughs> what, are you, what are you so doing? <laughs> All right. Give me a second here. Empty. All right. <laughs> Pinky up. <laughs> yeah, we're recording now, guys. Oh, I was talking about Frank's fancy ketchup. Sorry. Yeah. All right. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's talk about ketchup news. You Why? seem, you know, you guys seem to be more wanting to talk about ketchup here. What's the difference between ketchup and catsup? I have no idea. I thought just one was spelled right and the other's wrong. No. Catsup doesn't have salt in it. Mm. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. That is a piss poor way to market it. Why would you want one over the other just for... Low sodium? Yeah, low sodium. Yeah. Okay. Hi, I'm your doctor. Don't have any more sodium. Has it always been that way, though? I mean, that's not... Because... Like, is it maybe for different cooking or ingredients or something, too? Who the fuck? Do I look like Guy Fieri? What the fuck, Jake? <laughs> I don't know. Well, you I'm need... just telling you the difference. One has sodium, one doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to delve into ketchup and catsup. Sorry, that blew my mind. I always thought it was just a vase vase sort of thing. Yeah, just a different too. way to pronounce it. Hmm? All right, guys. All right, Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars news. What's Amisa saying? You're supposed to be here with me, listening to Pop Culture Leftovers podcast. That's not true. That's impossible! All right, so we got a bunch of emails this week. I'm not going to read. A, I'm not going to read them all. I'm going to save some of them for next week. Uh, but uh, first email, it is Star Wars related. Comes from Dallas G. Uh, once again, great episode. I have a question about Star Wars. I was a huge fan as a kid, but my knowledge of the universe as a whole is pathetic compared to you guys. I've noticed that you all talk about Luke being possibly the last Jedi after the return of the Jedi film. Is Leia not a Jedi? I keep thinking about a scene where Ben and Yoda talk about another, and I assumed it was Luke's sister Leia. I couldn't be totally, I could be totally wrong, and I hope to God I'm not remembering an added scene from the re-release. Haven't seen the originals in many years because I don't want the re-releases, uh, because I don't want the re-releases on ver- versions on disc. Just curious if the Force could awaken in Leia, and, or possibly any children she could have had since, uh, Return of the Jedi. Thanks a lot, fellas. Keep up the good work from Dallas G. And Dallas G, you are not crazy. Those are Yoda's dying words. He said, there is another yeah. sky 
Walker. <laughs> spot on. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, that's the end. You remember correctly. So, yep. yeah, I, I'm sure we're going to – I don't think – I don't think she's a Jedi. Yeah, I don't think Leia's the, f- the Force is strong within her family, the Skywalkers. Yeah, yeah. I think if if she has kids, mm-hmm. that they possibly w- could be strong. But the see the thing is, is like before, like we've got some of this like hearsay news and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. One could easily think that after this was all over, Luke could have trained her in the ways of the Force. Yeah, but. I, I don't think that's the way things have gone since then. Now that we're getting all this new news that we're hearing about, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. How serious is the too old stuff, though? Because I mean, if if Anakin was too old, according to Yoda, that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the rumors that we're hearing is that like the Force Awakens, mm-hmm. which which basically means to me, and we're hearing all these rumors that he's been gone for twenty to thirty years. Mm-hmm. I don't think he took Leia on as a Padawan. I agree. And taught her the ways of the Force. But this, the, the one thing that we took from those movies is that the, the Force is strong in that family. Mm-hmm. So any of like you know her or Han's offspring could be strong in the ways of the Force. It has nothing to do with the age. I, I right. agree with that. Yeah, probably at most Leia, if she can do anything, it'd just be like a parlor trick where she can make something levitate. But I doubt we'll see even that. Well, right? her, her and Luke both showed like okay so when you see her and him they both showed that they have the same propensity without being trained for you know like being able to talk to one another leia was able to hear luke's voice in empire when he was dangling uh so the only difference was just the training she'd be able to be trained but if he's out of the picture for 30 years then she wouldn't know anything i'm kind of i i'd have to See, you know, even if she didn't want to be trained, if he was hanging out at all, she'd have to be like, so, okay, how can I do this? We still may get a scene where Leia does something and yeah. it's Force-related because, right. like, I've been watching Star Wars Rebels and we've seen Ezra. He hasn't really been trained in the ways of the Jedi yet. I mean, training is supposed to start soon. But, I mean, I've seen him with his back against the wall, you know, do, like, a Force throw with different characters and shit like that, just like throw them across the room and stuff like that. And this right. is with like zero training yeah. that he's done these things. He's pulled off some really cool maneuvers. I don't see why Leia shouldn't be able to do anything with her back against the wall. Right. Yeah, that's a yeah. good point. Maybe emotionally driven, she can right. reach down and do some force powers. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Because Jedi, you know, are supposed to be near emotionless, you know, purged of their yearnings and desires i wonder if that would be it yeah okay uh first thing i wanted to talk about real quick i'm still watching star wars rebels i'm still loving it uh, last episode another tupperware episode in my opinion opinion uh it was a female-centric episode it featured hira and sabine uh they were stranded while doing a supply run and they had to battle some of these creatures um and uh i don't know i gotta really these creatures they couldn't be exposed to the light so like they were they gremlins? <laughs> they, they 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 were not gremlins. Um, they were um, I can't explain what they were. They were they they were all they were on all all fours, and they were hanging out in kind of like the supply room. And uh, you know once they tried to get like supplies and things out of that room, they realized that there's a bunch of these creatures in there. They're kind of stranded there and had to fight them off until you know help came. And it kind of reminded me a little bit about, like, the I Am Legend where, like, Mm. the zombies in that movie couldn't come out into the light. 
they had to use like uh you know um the light and the darkness to their advantage there's a point where like like what the moon that was near this planet was like going through like almost like a solar eclipse so that there's going to be no daylight and so that's when like the big fighting took place it was a lot of fun it, guys i'm telling you even if these fucking Star Wars movies suck, mm-hmm. we're getting a lot of good content in the Star Wars Rebels show. If you're not watching it, you definitely should be. It's really good. I'll make that my mountain this week. I, I watched all of Gotham last week, and this week I'm going to watch all of Star Wars Rebels. I think I'm even going to watch Spark of Rebellion again to kick it off. Gotcha. That's not I, a bad idea. Yeah, I've got that Disney XD on demand, and I was looking to see if it was all there. And even though I don't have it on my DVR, they've got the whole – they've got Sparker Rebellion and all the episodes there. So right. Nice. I've got them DVR'd. I have, I watched the Sparker Rebellion, but I haven't watched the rest of it. Uh, my 10-year-old kid, he's all caught up, but uh – yeah, I need to. I need to get back in that. Yeah, you guys need to watch it definitely just for like the Inquisitors. There was no Inquisitors in the last episode, but mm-hmm. just to see these Inquisit like the one Inquisitor that they've introduced, he's pretty badass. Do we see a fight scene with an Inquisitor yet? Yes, Ooh. nice. And yeah. it's basically a scene of like with even with like a Jedi and his so-called Padawan, they need to get the fuck out of there. This guy, they are overmatched. You know, Canon Jarrus is way overmatched. Um, yeah, these guys, these guys are pretty intimidating. I can't believe how fast they got the Inquisitor merch out there. Like you posted on the page, like one of those, it big, was like, before the star Wars rebels spark of the rebellion was even aired. Yeah. It was like one of those 12 inch. Is that how big they were? Or maybe even bigger. Oh, I'm than talking that. about like the toys, like the, That's we- what I'm talking me, about. the weapon, the oh, actual, the actual lightsaber that they use. Yeah. The lightsabers, the yeah. toys, I mean, yeah. all just right. Like. Right around when Spark of Rebellion hadn't even come out yet, just like a week before all that stuff hit. That was crazy. Well, it's kind of a good thing that they do it that way. I mean, think about it. Like, um, what if the, what if the show sucked? Mm-hmm. People are still gonna buy it because it's Star Wars. So let's right. put it out there while like, you know, the iron's hot, you know? Star, yeah. It doesn't matter. You know, Star Wars Episode 7 hasn't come out, but if they release Star Wars Episode 7 toys this week, Everybody right. would still be buying the fucking toys. Oh, yeah. they will. Guaranteed. The, the toys will come out about a month before the movie drops. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. We've talked before about the video game, too. When do you think that the trailer's going to drop? When do you literally think the trailer's going to drop? Like, like the trailers typically in the past have all released like at least like six months before. People are now speculating that this trailer's going to drop way before. I even bet it happens even this year, summer. Even, I, I'm thinking, why not just throw it in the Age of Ultron? Mm, yeah. It's Disney. Oh, that's perfect. And, and pe- well, people are thinking like, oh, you, Age of Ultron doesn't need help. People are going to go see that anyway. People are going to go see it anyway. But why the fuck not? Right. Yeah. I, I think I think you're right. I think it will be before Age of Ultron. Yeah, I concur. That's right around perfect. there. Perfect. Because they can have multiple trailers. They can give us our our minute and a half, two minute. Well, teaser. if we're not going to get the fucking, if we're not going to get, okay, we're, we're not going to get the movie. Um. If we're not going to get the movie in May, why not at least give us the trailer in May? Because like all the other movies have been released the week of George Lucas's birthday, mm-hmm. and um, if the, if we're not at least do that for George Lucas, I mean the guy has given us so much. Yeah, um, at least give us that for this guy's birthday. That be the release week. Yeah, I think if the um, uh, um, Age of Ultron thing wasn't cemented where it was already before all the Episode 7 st- stuff started going, that Episode 7 would have got its slot. Yeah. So that I agree with you. They should- but some people are saying it's going to even be released probably before the end of this year 
they're talking about that Meryl Streep Disney movie. Oh, Into the Woods. Into or- the Woods or whatever the fuck it's called. Mm-hmm. They're talking about that being where they, you know, and I mean, they've already got footage ready to go. They've, I think they've already got a trailer kind of set up already that they could roll out right now. But, uh, I don't I, think that'll happen. I don't think it'll happen either. I don't think it'll happen either. I mean, um, and, and, and you can argue with me, but things have changed. Like when the Phantom Menace, the first trailer for that one was released, mm-hmm. it was released in Wing Commander. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people would go see Wing Commander just to see the trailer and then walk out of that Freddie Prince, mu- Pr- Freddie Prince Jr. movie just so they could see the trailer. Yeah. A buddy of mine, Jake Hofteaser, worked at the theater and he was able to just drag me in so I could see it and yeah. I could leave. You could bounce. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Star Wars, the, the announced title. Uh, you know, they announced the title, you know, The Force Awakens. And, uh, one of the things, like, every, like, like the, the thing that they were announcing was, like, that they wrapped filming. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But nobody gave a shit about that. <laughs> no. The thing that everybody cared about was, like, the fact that they gave us the new title within that, which I thought was really cool. I'm glad that they did that. Now, when they had the rap party, it was interesting. A certain actor showed up to the rap party. Who's that? Simon Pegg. Mm. Now, there were rumors that he visited JJ on the set to say hi to him months ago. Apparently, he was in that area and wanted to say hi to his buddy JJ, who he's worked with, you know, on Star Trek mm-hmm. and Star Trek in the Darkness. And, uh, it's interesting though that he would come back to the rap party. Because, you know, typically the rap party is just for actors and then, you know, people that worked on the movie. You know, it, it's a way for them all to get together and kind of celebrate that they finished rapping on their film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you think that he may have had a part to play in the movie? Absolutely. I don't think he's going to play somebody that looks like him, but I think that he could play like an alien. Kind of like we saw Nathan Fillion play that alien in the oh, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. Maybe he's playing an alien in this movie. That makes sense. But yeah. I do think with him being at the rap party... I do think – I don't know. It, 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 I know this is a J.J. Abrams film and maybe J.J.'s doing things a little bit differently. But on the flip side, he wanted to do things differently. He didn't want to film in the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, He was fine with filming at Pinewood. But he didn't want to film like a lot of scenes in the UK. But like that's one thing that Kathleen Kennedy came down and said, no, we are going to do it the way we've done it in the past. Yeah. Is this one of those things where – Kathleen Kennedy is like, oh, it's okay. Have your buddy Simon Pegg come in there. Maybe Simon Pegg, even maybe he's going to do something in Star Wars Episode Eight, which doesn't make sense to me. He doesn't have the connection to Ryan Johnson, the director of Star Wars Episode Eight. I'm thinking he does play an alien in this. Yeah, it's hard saying, and there's so much more work to be done too. You know, just like just because the filming's been wrapped now, there's all kinds of post work that's going to need to be done to flesh out some of this stuff. I mean, right. even though we know J.J. Abrams is relying on a lot of practical effects, yeah. there's still going to be a lot of post-CG that's going to be need, needed to be done on a Star Wars Episode Seven movie. Absolutely. So, I mean, And the sound guys and exactly. everything else. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing saying that he couldn't have gone in to do either just a little bit of mocap or even just a voiceover. Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe if maybe taking it further with the whole Peg being an alien thing, maybe he still has work yeah. to do. In it's post. not enough that they gave you know that he did the Star Wars Phineas and Ferb episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's not why they brought him in. I'm thinking that this is is a, a part of a larger picture here. Hmm. Okay, and Star Wars Seven news. They reported that even though they announced the film had been wrapped in that tweet and gave us the title. That they filmed additional scenes for a few days after that, 
And those scenes, in, they involved Mark Hamill without the beard. So mm. I find that very, uh, I find that very interesting. That is interesting. Are those scenes for episode seven? They could be possibly getting in a few scenes for other movies. That's true. Too. If if he's eliminated, or so something. Do, do you oh, think yeah. that they brought in Ryan Johnson early on, and like maybe we're gonna find out like not a post credit scene? I, I don't want to see a post credit scene in a Star Wars movie. Right. No. But do you think like maybe one of the last scenes that we'll see in this could be like a Ryan Johnson directed scene with Mark Hamill? I think it's very possible. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Wow, that'd be crazy if there was a post credit scene at the end of a Star Wars movie. I don't like the idea. I don't like it either. It's already going to be crazy enough without the 20th Century Fox fanfare at the beginning. Right. Yeah. So let's not get too crazy with that messing with the end credits. I don't want to see that. Of course I'm going to stick around just in case. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they do like – there's like some little tweaks. Like I remember at the ep- at, at the end of episode one, you can hear like Vader breathing yeah. towards the end of the credits. Yeah. And there's like little things like that that go on. Yeah. But no, no full-on like scene or anything. Yeah, this is a scene apparently. This is a rumor that there was a scene that they uh, – that Mark Hamill was without the beard and that's they filmed huh. these scenes with him without the beard. Hmm. That's, that's a shame that he shaved the beard. I was – I liked Beardo, Mark Hamill. Um, well, I mean, if he is, in fact, evil mm-hmm. by the end of this one, the Emperor never had a beard. Yeah. So, clean-shaven Mark Hamill looking all, like, uh, you know, decrepit and shit. Yeah. You know. All right, guys. Uh, this next thing, it's a tweet. Um, and it's reading things like this that has me more and more excited for Ryan Johnson's Star Wars Episode Eight. Now, the Brothers Bloom director was tweeted at by a Star Wars fan by the Twitter name of Geek Girl Diva. She tweeted him. She said, I have a silly request. We need female pilots and cadets in Star Wars Episode Eight because they rock and because cosplay opportunities. Ryan Johnson responds to her. Nice. He says, writing that down on my hand, on it. <laughs> and then she responds back to him, okay, that's it. Ryan Johnson just won all good things in my book. <laughs> How fucking cool is that? How fucking cool is that? That this guy, out of all the tweets I'm sure he gets about Star Wars Episode Eight, has a female fan that says she, she, wants, she wants to see more female pilots and cadets in Star Wars Episode Eight, And he says, I mean, he puts stock into it. Mm-hmm. He he thinks it's a great idea. Yeah, he was definitely being sincere. Absolutely. He says, writing that down on my hand, on it. Mm. I love it. Yeah, I I love it too. And that's what has me – guys, and I'm still sticking by this. I'm excited for Star Wars Episode Seven, but I have full trust in Ryan Johnson and and, and his ability as a director. I am more excited for Star Wars Episode Eight than I am Star Wars Episode Seven. Yeah, let's say hypothetically – Episode seven's a big turd. Right. Do you, are you still excited? You think Ryan Johnson's going to come in and save the turd? Absolutely. I think once Ryan Johnson comes in there and saves this movie, I think what they're going to do at that point is they're going to extend him an offer to do Star Wars Episode nine as well. Mm. Awesome. So yeah, I don't and I, I don't think Episode seven will be a turd. I'm feeling pretty good about it. No, it was a hypothetical yeah, question. Yeah, hypothetical question. I don't think it's going to be a turd either. Well, even then, it's kind of like sex and pizza. It's only so bad it can be and still be good. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, Frank, I mean, you know, I, I honestly, it's like, uh, you can say that because it's Star Wars, but, and we're going to get some cool Star Wars stuff in this movie, mm-hmm. but it, it, on the flip side, I mean, it's such a beloved franchise that if they take it so to this crazy direction where fans are just way totally against it, it could be it could be the Star Trek Into Darkness version of Star Wars. Do you see what I mean? I do. Be- I mean, what I'm worried about is too many callbacks to Star Wars episodes four, five, and six. Yeah, this movie, in a weird way, could ruin if it's bad. Could ruin the franchise more than the prequels had a chance to because we're right. actually continuing on with Luke and Leia and Han yes, and all those right, people. Yeah. Right. And so now, if, if we fuck that up, we're really fucking with the holy grail that is yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know, I mean, if they're talking about like these flashback scenes being thrown in there, yeah, you don't want these flashback scenes to come back and tarnish what we saw in Star Wars four, five, and right, six. Yeah. This could really be make it or break it. I would think that they'd be aware. Of the possibility of that. I mean, not overdo it. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you move forward, I thought that they would have been aware that they shouldn't rehash the best Star Trek movie that we've ever seen in Star Trek The Wrath of Khan and then come back and do it again in Star Trek Into Darkness and totally tarnish that with a really great cast. They brought back, you know, all the originals, Chris Pine, and they brought back, you know, Zoe Saldana and, yeah. you know, all these characters. And then they bring in a high caliber actor such as Benedict Cumberbatch in there to play Khan. And, uh, what did we get in that movie? Yeah, we got a, we got a rehash of a great movie. If you're gonna rehash a story, don't rehash the story that's like the most beloved to Star Trek fans where you could really fuck it up. Right. Try to improve upon something that maybe th- that was a stinker to begin with. Yeah, it just wasn't any fun either. I mean, yeah. I couldn't agree with what you're saying more. The first Star Trek is just so much fun, and then the second one is just like, eh. In a fucking yeah. brilliant way to retcon the entire series. Yeah. To where it doesn't like totally negate everything that happened in the original Star Trek movies. Not at all. No, right. it just kind of, le- they did a Brian Singer Days of Future Past where they kind of wiped the slate clean and they're going to give us brand new adventures with all the same characters that we've come to know and right. love. And what's the first thing they do? They rehash, rehash the, they go back to the well and, yeah. and, 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 right. and they fuck it up. Okay. I mean, I absolutely cannot argue that point at all. I I still kind of think that with Star Wars, and I know there's probably going to be some listeners that are going to be on the flip side of this, but I, I've always viewed Star Wars as being more special and important than Star Trek. And oh, fuck, this man. is I that hope whole, this don't yeah. really actually come to pass. God damn it! No, guys. I mean, we haven't seen a trailer trailer yet. No. Yet, so right. it's not anything that we have to like hit the panic button right now yeah. and be like, "Oh shit, abort, abort, abort." <laughs> we haven't seen it, so all we've got is rumors. But out of all the rumors that I've heard, there's nothing that's really making me think that this is the road JJ is going to take it down on. Yeah, I agree with that. You know what? There too. Also, you got to also kind of consider who the parent company is. I think there's less likely of a chance of Disney fucking over Star Wars than there was a Paramount, you know, allowing to happen to Into Darkness what than what did. You know what I mean? I, I, That's I think a good that, point. I think the the over 
the overlords are going to be keeping their eye on it. And even if no, you're absolutely right because I, I think I think Disney, um, they, they they Kathleen Kennedy being involved in in, in this. I think Kathleen Kennedy. I don't know. She's going to have to prove herself in this one. Um, basically, guys, if you don't know, Kathleen Kennedy is kind of taking the George Lucas role in yeah. these movies. Okay, she's kind of like the overseer. Uh, Lucas role is kind. Of, uh, Lucas himself is kind of taking a step back, and he's more of like a creative consultant, executive producer. Um, he's not. Uh, he, he's not like the end all be all. This is not his baby anymore. This is all. It's 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 a collaboration between J.J. Abrams and Kathleen Kennedy, and I'd say that Disney has been uh, very very hands on with the Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why that we didn't get to see an Iron Man 2 that Jon Favreau wanted to give us. And we got to see more of something like that uh, Disney was saying, uh, we want you to make a movie. We want you to make it well. But you're going to have to implement these certain things into it. Now, it didn't work so well in that movie in particular. But I, I think that maybe like with Kathleen Kennedy heading this up and J.J. being a fan, I think that maybe they've got like a better uh, – feel on the pulse of like the community because this community as far as like the cinematic universe has been around a lot longer than the marvel stuff Mm -hmm. it's such an important movie episode seven it's like such a launch pad for it's going to set the tone for the other films exactly and not just the films but like everything all the spinoffs and everything right and what fans think of star wars in the modern day yeah will be developed by this movie. How hands on do you think Ryan, director Ryan Johnson, he's going to be the director of Star Wars Episode Eight. Mm-hmm. How hands on do you think he was throughout this entire thing? Do you think they've kept him in the loop pretty well? Yes, oh, yeah. I think he's knee deep in Star Wars already. Yeah, okay. because Definitely. they're they're going to make this cohesive as fuck. I bet he's talking to Kathleen on weekends. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to see those emails. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, so I, I honestly, I agree with, uh, this, uh, what is her, Geek Girl Diva. Mm. I, Ryan Johnson, he, in my opinion, when I read that tweet, he has won all things Star Wars in this, in, in, in my book. So, I love that tweet. I love the way he's approaching this. I he, he won fantastic. the internet that day. He won the internet that day. <laughs> IGN, they spoke recently with Interstellar star Matthew McConaughey to see if he'd ever be interested in being in a Star Wars film. And here's what the actor had to say. There's not anything that I'm not open to embracing. I want to be, I, I want it to be a quality script. I want a quality character. I want to be a little scared of it. I want to have new challenges. I want to do something I want to find in a character where I can get to a point where I feel like nobody could be doing this but me. I'm going to have an original experience, an original take. That takes work to get to that point, but whatever the genre, I'm wide open. What do you think about those comments from Matthew McConaughey? Eh, it sounds like he'd never do it. it. Sounds like he's pointing out that he'd never do it. Like he's basically saying, if they if they collaborated with me and we could tailor write a character for me to play in the Star Wars universe, then I would think about it. Right. But if that doesn't happen, I'm not just coming in and doing a bit part. Right. Yeah, exactly. Not the bit part. It, it sounds exactly like if he was to do. Would it, you want to Matthew something. McConaughey to play a bit part in a Star Wars film? A bit part? I, I'd no. take Matthew McConaughey any part in a Star Wars film. I think it, I think he'd be great. A bit part? I don't think you'd ever see it though. Yeah, anything, anything he wants to do, I take it. I'd be fine with it. 
I think he could. I think he could probably pull it off, but it would have to be an intense character. He's telling me, and well, I think he's telling everybody in this that, like, if I want to do, if I want to be in this movie, I want a character that's a fleshed out character that has a lot of depth. Right. A bit part, in my opinion, is not going to be a fleshed out character with depth. It's no, more- I, yeah, I completely agree with you. Right. Just like I was saying, but but you as a fan, you would you would be fine with just seeing him as anything in any movie. Yeah, it'd be fine. Like. Like, let's just say, give him as much time as Jimmy Smith's got. See, that's what I was thinking. That's what I was th- – perfect example. Yeah. Perfect example. Throw him in- – guys, I, I'm going to disagree. I don't want to see him in there as like the Jimmy Smith's character. If if he's going to be a main – if he's going to be a character, I, I, I think if you get somebody of that caliber that, that has the range – there's a Grand Canyon. There's an ocean of difference between Jimmy Smith's and Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I, I can understand that Matthew McConaughey wanting to come in there and being like, yeah, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to be, you know, I don't have to be, I don't have to be Luke Skywalker. I don't have to be a fucking Jedi, but maybe I'd like to be a Han Solo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not such a bad thing, his statement, I guess, because he's also at the same time saying that you give me some something with some meat into it and i'll fucking knock it out of the park yeah well we know um matthew mcconaughey is, isn't opposed to dipping his feet into different genres and trying different stuff all the time so it- mm, that was before that was before i mean yeah we can say that he's doing science fiction films he's doing stuff like dallas buyers club but that was before like you know i mean i think he was taking on pretty much anything he could back in the day when he was doing these fucking bullshit rom-coms mm-hmm I think right now he's going to be a little bit more particular with some of the things that he takes on. Um, I think it kind of hurts Star Wars that they got a director like uh, I don't. He's never worked with J.J. Abrams. Mm-hmm. He's never worked with Disney, in my opinion. I don't think he's ever worked with Disney. Um, he's never worked with Ryan Johnson. Um, I think it's more. Um, believable that we hear like, oh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has gotten a part in Star Wars Episode Eight. Yeah, we because, were kind of hearing those rumors for seven back in the day. Right, yeah, right. Yeah. Because because Joseph Gordon-Levitt, of course, worked with Ryan Johnson on Looper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they said Christopher Nolan's going to do Star Wars Episode Nine, the next day you're going to hear you're going you're going to see a collider fucking article saying Matthew McConaughey has been rumored to be <laughs> in Star Wars Episode Nine. Right. Well, you can guarantee Michael Caine will be in it. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Anne Hathaway is going to be petitioning for a part. Yeah. And, and as much as uh, you were saying that I was sucking Interstellar's dick last week. You totally were. I would not want to see a Christopher Nolan Star Wars film. Agreed. I'm not going to argue with there with you there. Yeah, that would never happen anyway. We'd get the total science behind the midi- oh. midi-chlorians. Fuck that! Those, e- <laughs> those egos could never collide and work together. No. The, D- the Disney and the uh, Nolan camps are never going right. to see eye to eye and do yeah. that. Well, I think Jonathan Nolan would write probably an amazing script for it, and then Christopher would dip his hands <laughs> in it and fuck it all up. But anyway, um, yeah, I'm going to get a lot of hate for that one. <laughs> But, you know, guys, this is basically the same response that Matthew McConaughey, he's given in the past. I mean, he's been approached about the Marvel, DC movies in the past. This is basically like his uh, his stock response 
to these comments. It sounded very familiar, actually, when you were reading it. it. I do remember talking about kind of the same stuff about the Doctor Strange and what he was saying about that. Right. So, yeah, it's just a friendly answer. He's not shutting the door completely on any of the ideas, but right. he's also kind of... He's got to be a little bit more picky these days with some of the roles that he's been given. I mean, you know, uh, he's knocking it out of the ballpark with, you know, Dallas Buyers Club. And I think Interstellar is going to get a few, I think it'll get a few nods Mm -hmm. at the awards. True Detective, of course, recently. Yeah. And any of the faults with Interstellar really weren't with his acting ability. Oh, no. He was the most fleshed out character in all of that movie, in my opinion. I agree. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, this next story, uh, it's from Star Wars. Uh, it's about Star Wars Episode Seven. It comes from MakingStarWars.net, and it's pretty awesome. Uh, this is what they had to say. Today we have some photos of a stormtrooper in some ruins. I believe this to be the new jungle slash incendiary stormtrooper design. The stormtroopers apparently kill and torch a village. They encounter large monsters on their way to the ancient ruins to recover something. Hmm. Now, I love this story, and the reason we're getting this story is from these two guys. There's, their names are Alan and Paul. Uh, they're two friends, and they go out for the day at a nearby park. Now, this is where, uh, you know, a lot of filming is going around with Star Wars over in England. They know Star Wars Episode Seven is filming nearby them. They decide to have a look, and they actually see something. You can't tell me if you're reading the site, you haven't had that fantasy at least 10 times this week. <laughs> well, these buds took the journey and it actually happened. They actually heard Han Solo's voice and saw stormtroopers. Wow. It is just insane. It happened and it did happen. There, there's photographic proof, which they had on Star Wars on the uh, makingstarwars.net. Some images are from the lot where they seem to be dumping a lot of trees, vines, and rocks, which I believe must be props. There are four other from the area around the blue screens, the castle, megaliths, ruins, and a stormtrooper. Well, just about. Unfortunately, they're not quite as vivid as they like the pictures to be, but with a bit of zooming, you should definitely be able to make out the stormtrooper, which I posted those on our page weeks ago. Mm-hmm. There were four, I think, in this area running through the explosions. I think I remember another four or so coming from the opposite direction, but that was not all. Amongst the ruins were signs of high technology apparently abandoned, something which reminded me of the guns on the X-Wing sticking out of the ground, antenna, and this nearly made me fall out of the tree. What looked like the middle section of a TIE fighter, I don't think that's what it was, as it probably was a bit too small. It was black with a strip around it like a window, and I'd say it looked big enough for maybe one or two people, if it indeed was a ship. My phone ran out of battery pretty soon after I took the photos of the stormtrooper, Frustrating, to be honest. It was an experience that took us both, I think, back to that magical place from our childhoods. And we were obviously really lucky to have been there. The smoke from the explosions gave the area a misty look as if it were on Dagobah or something. To hear Run Chewie coming, unmistakably from the mouth of Harrison Ford, it was electric. Wow. I think it, I think that moment it was the confirmation that this film is Star Wars. 
I have to say, between this, the concept art, and some other things, it really seems like the galaxy is just a huge dump after years of war with wreckage everywhere. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. Yeah. So nothing's gotten better yeah. out with the old and with the new, and everything's still just as shitty. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, so this the scene, uh, it sounds like stormtroopers are there wreaking some havoc, right? Yeah, what are they getting? What are they trying to retrieve? I wonder what the object yeah, is. Yeah, what are they trying to get? Um, and on top of that, uh, it's not like they're doing this um, without some characters that we know and love knowing that they are trying to gather this. Maybe Han and Chewie are there trying to recover this too. I mean, we know they were smugglers. Yeah. Right. And why did they destroy the whole village or whatever? Is that like to get information? Right. Like what's going on there? There sounds like a lot of destruction in this movie to begin with. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, and we're going to talk about a little bit more of the destruction later in the news. There is a second story. Uh, let's take a break from talking about abstract rebel spaceships for a bit. In the last 24 hours, we've seen a stormtrooper at a site of ruins in a forest we have heard Han and Chewbacca have an adventure together, and the source of the pics believes Han dresses as a stormtrooper in the film. All this points towards Han and Chewbacca going on some kind of mission together, just like in the old days. Well, there's concept art to back this up, this claim for the most part. A very green-mixed, deciduous forest paints on paints the background. This location is in the thick of it, that's for sure. There is a large hole in the ground. The hole is in the shape of a hexagon. Hmm. The hole is for a metallic structure of some kind, very imperial looking, indicating an underground imperial base. Each line of the hexagon has a pillar sticking out of it about the size of a man. These could be given to the troops exiting the underground facility, some cover to fight off attackers. If the pillars serve any function at all, each line of the hexagon inside has two lights, which illuminate the underground structure we can barely see into. There appears to be a ramp inside leading to the surface. Outside of the structure is a data, data terminal of some kind. It reminds me of Star Wars Galaxies in a way. Emerging from the imperial hole in the ground are none other than Han Solo and the mighty Chewbacca. Han Solo wears his classic black vest and pants. His gun is raised in the air, ready to shoot first if need be. Chewbacca stands to his left. He appears to hold a big rifle-type blaster. No robotic hand. So that looks like if that Thank does goodness. Happen, well, if it looks like if that does happen, it happens later. Okay, but we've heard that that's been debunked anyway. So <laughs> no robotic hand and his classic bandolier over his shoulder. We can see the two heroes from an angle behind the pillars they are using for cover as they look towards the camera for any foes to attack. Um, yeah, Han Solo and Chewbacca, it appears Han and Chewie have a scene or sequence together in the film where it is just them. In the concept art, they appear ready for a straight fight, but they are still sneaking around. Might this sequence be in its final iteration featuring Han Solo in a Stormtrooper outfit? Hard to say, but one thing is for sure, Han and Chewie are back in action in Star Wars Episode Seven together again, same as always. Wow, that'll be a crowd-pleasing moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How exciting. 
Yeah. yeah, when they first show Han and Chewie again, that's going to be just such a huge moment, right? Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, people are going to love that. It's going to be huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the interaction between those two. I mean, it sounds like they've been together this entire time. They yeah. haven't mm-hmm. left each other, um, which is good. So it's not like we're going to see them two reunite. No, we're just going to be thrown right into it. They've been together this whole time. I love it. Yeah, it's fun. Um, another thing that I found interesting from all this is – Throughout this entire action sequence, there's no mention of Daisy Ridley or John Boyega. Yeah, that is interesting. So uh, it makes me feel that maybe is this scene something that's filmed before they meet John Boyega and Daisy Ridley's character? Yeah, it sounds like it it very well might be. Like it's the scene that introduces the two characters before they've even run into those other characters. Right. Hell, it could be the opening scene. It sounds like a very early scene of the movie to me. Just by yeah. premise alone. Okay. Very early scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could this possibly be? Could John Boyega's character be the character that actually is the one that gets a hold of whatever they're going there for? Hmm. Oh, I like that. Okay. That works. He gets that object, whatever it may be, that they're hunting. He gets and, – and there's a huge battle. Maybe not a huge battle, but a battle that takes place between you know Chewie and Han and it sends some of these stormtroopers on the run. Uh, John Boyega gets in his, uh, his, uh, TIE fighter or whatever he's, you know, using as a craft. And, uh, Han and Chewie go after him, um, maybe shoot him down. And that's where we get that explosion in the desert. Uh, Daisy Ridley gets him. Han and Chewie are still on the hunt for him. They do find him maybe months later, and that's where they meet, you know, John Boyega and uh, Daisy Ridley's character of Kira. That's the name they're giving her. Yeah, maybe they get, or maybe they get like stranded with him and have to unfortunately work with him as an ally because they're all kind of in a predicament together. Right. Yeah, but but from like a lot of the stuff that we've been reading, it seems like that a bond is formed with Kira and John Boyega mm-hmm. uh, alone for quite a while. That is true. That is that's a good point. Yeah. That's kind of how they started off Rebels a little bit. When he was trying to steal that crate that they were after, they weren't really against each other, but they were against the Empire. Had a little bit of a fight at the beginning. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm seeing this a little differently though. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I'm seeing it a little different. I, I see what you're saying, though. Yeah. I somehow we're gonna have to have those two Daisy and and Boyega like alone right. for a big portion of the movie. Right. Yeah. But what leads Han and Chewie to them? Is it this lightsaber that Kira finds, mm-hmm. or is it possibly this object that John Boyega? finds in this uh jungle scene yeah and we know there's like a destroyed like area maybe one of those two people is from the destruction of that area right and mm-hmm. ends up with the group yeah. heart saying yeah yeah uh let's see here all right next thing i wanted to bring up it's a theory of mine and it's something that we've kind of talked about in i don't know other ways in the past like you got, remember uh, i think it was a few shows ago i reported the rumor that in star wars the force awakens they filmed some extras looking up at the sky and reacting to something oh, i remember that yeah okay mm-hmm. some sort of an event took place off in the distance in the sky we so. talked about if it could be another planet exploding or possibly right. right some are speculating that it was another planet exploding like you said like alderaan did and then maybe there was another uh, Death Star constructed. Mm-hmm. 
I'm not sure if this was filmed at Pinewood or Abu Dhabi or wherever they filmed this. I'm not sure. Or even that ice planet that they're claiming that's in the new film. Um, but maybe it's people reacting. May, okay, my theory number one, maybe it's people reacting to John, Boy- <laughs> John Boyega's ship being shot down mm. before Daisy Ridley's character meets him. Or maybe it's something even more sinister. Um, more sinister than even like a the creation of another Death Star. Um, just what if, you know, what if Mark Hamill is now evil, like we've speculated, mm-hmm. and so powerful that instead of just moving objects, he can destroy entire planets with the Force? Oh, wow. Ooh. Yeah, that would be a big awakening right yeah. there. Right. Cue that Imperial March music, too. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. So that's interesting. Just I, a theory of mine. Yeah. It's, a, wow. it's my personal theory. So Yeah, it's hard to say. We don't know without seeing the post. It's like, is it a really far away object exploding? Is it a spaceship, like you said, exploding that's just they, right above them? They've said that there, there's people looking off into the extras that they had that were looking off into the distance like they're looking off into the sky and reacting to something. Reacting to something. Mm. Not even necessarily an explosion, but – to have like maybe a green screen or something behind them, you think that it would be maybe something like uh, like an explosion in in space. Yeah, I definitely can see that. So I can't. I just can't see them. I'm trying to think of other things. Fireworks. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think of other things like like uh, you know ship, planet, not moon, another Death Star, not another Death Star. I'm trying to think of things other than another Death Star. That yeah. just seems like too like rehashing. Oh. A third Death Star has been de- yeah. constructed. Third time's the charm, guys. Right. <laughs> oh, it blew up again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've toyed around with something in, on a weaker scale in uh, the Force Unleashed video games uh-huh. where the uh, character actually has to use the Force to try to bring down a Star Destroyer. And it's pretty cool how they do it. So it could be something similar to that, you know, an obscene show of uh, power. Yeah, it could be a multitude of things that Luke takes down in that. We'll just, it, we'll never know until the trailer hits. Well, we don't even know if it's Luke taking something oh, down. Oh, that's yeah. true. Yeah. We just know people are observing something in a distance. Exactly. It could be a space battle. It could in- involve John Boyega's, you know, ship yeah. coming down and crashing. We have no idea. They could be at the Galactic Drive-In just watching a movie. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see here. Moving on. Um, all right. These uh, this next story uh, could be considered major spoilers for Star Wars, and they are about the man himself, Luke Skywalker. Now, these rumors they come from MakingStarWars.net, and it's written by Jason Ward. And I'm going to read this article. Uh, I had some lunch with some friends in the know about Star Wars, the next Star Wars film. I would say this information is probably correct. I have yet to see any physical proof. But I do not doubt this information, and there have been some other hints along the same trajectory as of late. I don't want to be the guy that tells you something different about Luke every week, but this feels right, so I'm sharing. I think I can finally shed some faint light on the state of Luke Skywalker in Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. For months, it has been a struggle as of those in the know interpreted Luke's situation differently. Some would say Luke Skywalker was evil. And others would say he's not evil. That's absurd. It now makes a little more sense if this information is correct. And, um, yeah, it, people are going to have a huge problem 
in these films, there's going to be a large group of people. If Luke Skywalker turns out to be evil, they're going to be like, Luke Skywalker can never be evil. How can you do this? Yeah, some people will never accept this. They're right. just, no matter, yeah, there's going to be a blowback if they say Luke Skywalker is evil. Yeah. And, you know, I'm willing to accept it as long as the story is compelling enough and there's a you know there's a leap that makes sense as to why he would be that way right i can get behind it but there is going to be a portion of fans that no matter what will never be able to get behind luke skywalker being a bad guy yeah i'm wondering if it could be a difference though between intent and an actual action like if he does something that's like unthinkable and incredibly uh, awful in in the idea of justice or, you know, to do the right thing, he does the wrong thing. Um, or if it's flat, a flat out, no shades of gray, now all of a sudden he's evil. I think it would be an easier sell to do, you know, something in that shade of gray. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. Just he's not flat out evil, but he's doing things that aren't necessarily like 100% the side of light. Yeah, it'd be yeah. justified to him, but maybe to everybody don't see it that way. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what makes the greatest villains are the villains that do villainous things, but they have justified it somehow in their minds that it's what's right. right. But that's not what they're saying in this story because the story – it goes on. It says, I'm told that in the backstory for the film, Luke Skywalker does something amazing with the Force. He's really powerful, more of a wizard than lightsaber-wielding warrior. Basically, Luke Skywalker has a Force Unleash moment and realizes he might be bad for the universe – the aftermath of that event is difficult for Luke. So Luke does realize what he did was wrong. Yeah. It's leaning more towards the dark side of the force and he might not be good for the universe. He's got too much power. Um, they say Luke Skywalker has become the most powerful Jedi ever, but he doesn't believe he's the wisest. So he's not Yoda. He's basically, like I said, like he's like a kid that has all these powers but just doesn't know how to use them in the best way. Yeah, that makes total sense. Like just all that power, it's a, it's a lot of moral responsibility to use it correctly. Yeah. It sounds like he may kind of pull a Yoda but for completely different reasons and go like, you know, be secluded and try to just hide away and burrow away as not to abuse his power. Right. Uh, he doesn't want to make the mistake his father made by thinking he knows what's right for the universe. Skywalker becomes somewhat deranged in his seclusion. He is consumed by his fear. Yoda says fear leads to hate. Yeah, hate leads, leads to, to anger. anger. And anger leads to the dark side. Uh, and some suffering. Right. <laughs> that, side of suffering. That if he should return to society, his power could be misused. He could be manipulated. And he, he may accidentally hurt the ones he's loved. So he feels that, you know, he does this thing, probably taking, uh, place after, closely after the events of Return of the Jedi, um, feels like it's the wrong thing to do, feels like the universe has no place for him because, um, you know, he, I guess he feels like balance has been restored. There is no dark side to fight against and maybe he should leave. They don't need him. They can just, you know, figure out their galactic empire and go from there. And uh, he's been gone so long, sounds like he doesn't know what's really going on in the universe. A little out of out of touch. Yeah, with- and it sounds like from everything that we're reading, the universe has gone to shit. But that's kind of an awesome way to bring us into it, too, because as they have to explain it to him, we'll get to catch up, too. 
Yeah. It's a good way for exposition. That, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, so. we're going to get some in the opening crawl, too. Yeah. yeah. Luke will kind of be our Neo from Matrix 1 of Star yeah. Wars Episode 7. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, the, yeah, there was those theories that, like, Luke, maybe he was uh, banished by the Galactic Empire saying, we don't need you, we don't need this... You know, this new religion, you know, people have speculated that. This makes it sound more self-imposed, though. Self-imposed. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it, it kind of also helps to lend credence to what was rumored to be the title, but ended up getting dropped, The Ancient Fear. Uh, I like the idea that he's scared of the power within him. Star Wars, the power within. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the article goes on. It says, for these reasons, to protect the galaxy and himself, Luke retreats into self-imposed exile for many years. I'm told he can't always control the power. While he sits in a meditative state, he levitates things unconsciously, and he's not always in complete control, and he's never sure if he's doing the will of the Force or acting on his own passions. Luke is seeing the past, the present, the future. Quote, old friends long gone. And other things that prey upon his sanity. Um, they say here at the beginning, you know, for those reasons to protect the galaxy and himself. I'm thinking to protect the galaxy from himself. Wow. Do you think we'll see a Luke that's gone completely fucking nuts? Well, I mean, if the rumors of like the unkept beard and things like mm -hmm. that are true, absolutely. I think we're going to see a guy. And I think this is going to play to Mark Hamill's voice acting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was so, thinking that. So much more, you know, uh, since he's done characters like the Joker and things like that. I think it's going to play to his voice acting to be kind of like this uh, this crazy Jedi. You know, I mean, even Obi-Wan himself had a bad reputation, you know, on Tatooine as being this crazy old hermit and, yeah. and using yeah. this old magic. Um, I think Luke Skywalker uh, is going to have – I think what's going to happen is like he's going to do this horrible thing. People aren't – not everybody's going to see it the way that Luke saw it when he does this 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 event. And so he leaves and then people think, think that like, oh, he left for a reason and that reason is because, yeah, this guy's no good. We need to get him out of here. He's got way too much power. And so um, – even bringing him back into the forefront, there's going to be people that have heard rumors about this dude, and they th they they're like, "Oh shit, this is the guy to bring balance to the universe again." <laughs> did you see what he did? You yeah. know, my father talks about the day that he blew up that planet, or he did this, or he did that, and you know, <laughs> we, yeah. I really like this because if you think about it, in in comparison to anything else that we've ever seen about Jedi and their training. Um, because they thought Anakin as a young boy was too old to begin. Luke was in his teens. Mm -hmm. um, basically what they did was they groomed him up in a hurried fashion to try to deal with Vader uh, quickly. I mean his training didn't last nearly as long as anyone else's would have. So yeah, things would have been hard for him after that. He didn't have any more guidance. Yeah. Luke really didn't have anybody. I don't think Ghost Obi-Wan is still giving him lessons like at this point anymore. Right. So he's pretty much secluded to nothing but his own mind and right. all that power. So you can easily see how he could got, kind of go a little off kilter. Mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to seeing like a uh, Luke scene on like a Dagobah or something like that where he's doing like he's like maybe even just sleeping and all of a sudden like shit is moving around about him. Just, you know, the force just – He's that powerful yeah. that things are moving around him, and and all of a sudden he wakes up, and all these objects just fall to the ground. Yeah, you think there's any chance that the exact op 
opposite could happen. Like that what? the force has completely left Luke. That he has all of a sudden has no and connections that's to That's what they mean by the Force Awakens? Oh. Yes. And that hmm. somehow, some unexplained reason, Luke has no contact with the Force anymore. And that's why he goes to seclusion, because he's useless. I'm, I'm just making stuff up at this no, point. No, it's a good, yeah. it's a good theory. I would hope that they don't try to over-explain that though, and then we end up mired in like med- more midichlorian type things. Yeah, try to keep it simple. I like the idea, but don't have them delve too deeply into it. And then, like when the Force so-called awakens, we you know we cut to Luke like feeling that happening and just kind of being like, oh, I can't believe it's back again. You know, mm-hmm. whatever happens to it's make all it coming yeah. back. It's all coming <laughs> back to me now. Yeah, okay. so maybe Ooh. Luke is completely powerless. Yeah, and that re- you know what would be cool too is if he acts like he's completely batshit crazy up until that moment, and then all of a sudden, bam! Yeah, he's completely with it. Yeah. Maybe the event after the event happens, then he has no control over the force. Yeah, maybe all that force comes back, and then like something happens. Overload. I yeah, I don't know. But have you ever heard of like a character in the Star Wars universe that loses access to the Force? You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, no. like, maybe like, the... like you're cut off. Right. <laughs> no more Force for you. You're done. <laughs> There's those creatures in the uh, Zahn trilogy. Did you ever read any of that stuff? I've read some of the Zahns. The Yalasamari, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. They okay. created those like Force bubbles that negated all Force powers. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. It'd be like something to a bigger extent of that. I don't hmm. know. Just maybe some something block block out the connection from the force and people again yeah could be too that they come up with some kind of scientific way to siphon the midichlorians out of their blood yeah i don't think we'll ever hear the word midichlorian mentioned again <laughs> i hope thank not. god I, I mean i'm i would <laughs> sorry no don't, you don't have to apologize i just don't think i i don't think that'll happen all right in this article they go on luke skywalker is described as creepy and frightening in appearance because you supposedly can see the fire in his eyes behind his grizzled appearance during some scenes. For the most of, for most of Luke's appearance in Star Wars Episode 7, it is questionable if his madness will result in evil. Not even those that have known him for most of his life know if he's sane or not. However, the villain and the new hero both draw Skywalker out and he's forced to intervene in the galactic conflict. The imbalance he feared bringing back to the galaxy is set into motion by the new evil. But it is not only evil that brings Luke Skywalker out of exile. The good in the universe does as well when one of the heroes convinces him the place he is in is not where he belongs. By the last act of the film, it is clear where Luke falls on spectrum of good and evil. The interesting thing is that Star Wars has always been about family and love, but also about writing, writings, the, writing the wrongs of the past generation. In some ways, the situation the galaxy finds itself in in Star Wars Episode Seven is Luke's fault. His absence is the reasons things have escalated in the universe. So I guess the things that he felt like he had to leave for – he kind of set those things into motion, maybe. Gotcha. So he did something, something wrong. He made some wrong decision that caused some regret. Well, well, they're they're saying here that uh, his absence is the reason things have escalated in the universe. So, like, maybe mm. him thinking like he had to leave, thinking that was the right thing to do, in all actuality, probably wasn't the right thing to do. Maybe he should have, you know, 
set up some Jedi academies and stuff like that. Yeah. I've heard people say before that the events that took place throughout the uh, um, prequels, um, be, due to imbalance of the Force, there being too many Jedi, um, well, if Luke takes himself out of the picture, maybe there's just too few. Yeah, I see what you're saying there. There always has to be like two, though, it seems like, right? There has to be one for there to be the other, for there to be the balance. Right, yeah. Right. So, yeah, maybe without the evil, that's why Luke goes away. Cause I don't, I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, I can't see that making him being like, "Well, there's no evil. I'm no good here." Yeah, I can either see him thinking, I can either see society saying, "We have no need for you anymore. You're too powerful," mm-hmm. or him doing something so huge with his powers that it's almost like, you know what I mean? Like, what if Superman's character in the comic books? They didn't give him this rule that you can't intervene in uh, human history. Mm-hmm. And so basically, like, we've got this war going on in the Middle East, and Superman was just like, well, I'm going to go over there and take care of it in one day. Yeah. And he intervenes with human history. This is almost like Luke Skywalker just basically playing God and saying, oh, okay, well, I've got all this power and taking care of something that quickly, but – it actually backfires on him. You know what I mean? There's there's always casualties of war. You know what I mean? You you can take out the evil and things like that, but there's going to be, you know, sometimes to to make an omelet, you got to break some eggs and sometimes you can hurt innocent people. Maybe he hurt some innocent people trying to make the right decision and then that forces him to go into exile. Um, you know what I mean? I know exactly. See, I follow you. Yeah, he does something by accident trying to do something for the greater good. Someone accidentally gets hurt, possibly killed. Right, because he doesn't have Yoda to say, whoa. Yeah, and he's like, I can't allow this. i got to rein yeah. this in. I got, right. I'm going to self-impose myself to go just hide away on this other planet yeah. and go batshit crazy because I'm all by myself with no one to talk and to. And that's going to happen. Yeah. That's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. All right. From StarWars7News.com, these are some new Star Wars bits, and they got these according to Cantina member King3000. He says, Warwick Davis is playing a Cantina musician. That's awesome. (laughs) Benedict Cumberbatch shot a cameo scene a week ago. Okay. The guy who gets his arm ripped off in the Cantina scene is the alien played by Simon Pegg. Wow. And that was Chewbacca that ripped off his arm in the Cantina scene. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're saying that Simon Pegg did make an appearance, and that's maybe that's why he's at the rap party. He gets oh. his arm ripped off. Yeah. <laughs> I think people will enjoy that. Yeah, that'll be yeah. fun. Uh, these three bits are pretty specific, and they surely will be confirmed or debunked even before the movie opens in December 2015. So they will be a good test for the credibility of this guy's sources. Now, some more stuff about the story. Y'all are going to love when you see the opening of this film. So many little Easter eggs and surprises. Here's a hint. Let me say this. Let me say this word. Slave one. Oh, wow. Ooh. So, yeah. yeah. That's crazy. I'm thinking more about that cantina stuff. You know, I, uh-huh. I want a little bit of that, but I don't want too much of that. That kind of like, oh, it's a redo of this scene, and oh, it's a redo of that but scene. But that's Star 
Star Wars, man. Like, uh, going back to the cantina and seeing all those aliens and the practical effects and stuff like yeah. that. That's what the uh, it got. We've been away from it. They didn't do that stuff really in the in episode one, two, or three. Well, they do the cantina scene again. I mean, basically, I mean. Ob- the clones. Ob- yeah, Obi Wan cuts the that person's yeah. attacks him in the cantina and everything. It's like, are we going to see the Obi Wan cantina type scene for the third time? Yeah, why not? I mean, um, yeah. you know, when you're out with your friends and shit, you hang out at a bar, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. People, it could they, be Luke doing it and to, being like, it to just get, felt right to get information from some uh, like from some you know villainous scoundrels. Where are you going to go? Yeah, I just don't want you're going to go to the cantina. I know you don't want every Star Wars to take place in a cantina, but yeah. well, I don't want every scene of the new movie to be some homage to a previous scene. Like every single shot, oh, it's like, oh, we're, remember this from that, and oh, remember this from that. I, I don't want sequelitis happening, you know? Yeah, but I can understand like J.J. Abrams wanting to 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 yeah. put his spin on the cantina. I can understand that. And if you're yeah. going to revisit something and you know they're going to do something, cantina is a fun place to do it. Yeah, no, it's not like it's not like we're getting confirmation. Oh, there's going to be a third Death Star. Now that's going to annoy the shit out of me. <laughs> no, but, but if they're saying that we're we're going to go back to the cantina, you're going to get to see some, you get to hear some new music, and you're going to get to see some fun uh, aliens and shit like that. I'm all for it. No, I'm not. You're. I'm not arguing <laughs> against the cantina. I love revisiting the cantina. Yeah. What I'm saying is that. It's a little bit too far doing the arm getting cut off sequence again. Yeah, but it's Chewbacca doing it's it. Chewbacca <laughs> doing it this time. It's Chewbacca this time. <laughs> All right. And he's ripping the arm. He's ripping the arm off of Simon Pegg, <laughs> and I like that. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That seems gr- pretty graphic for Star Wars. I wonder how that's going to play out. Yeah, yeah. Ripping, I mean, it's one thing. It's you, off an alien, though, and yeah, it's off yeah. Simon Pegg. Yeah, because so. he's going to play it off as being funny anyway. Maybe he just he will, like, regrow it or it doesn't hurt or something. The thing with the lightsaber And I want to hear is, somebody say, always let the Wookiee win right after, <laughs> yeah, right after he does it. Yeah, I mean, the lightsaber, you've got the, the you know, the logic that it instantly cauterizes the wound. Right, so you yeah. don't have the blood squirting everywhere. But if Chewbacca just straight up rips an arm off, that's going to get pretty well, I I don't think it's going to be, like, saw and there's going to be, be, like, Blood, blood spraying all over the place. Yeah, Chewbacca's going to have blood-soaked fur from all the blood spraying all over <laughs> right. the place. Yeah. Um, so I mentioned Slave One. Yeah. So I love that idea. I mean, it has to open with a ship. Why not open yeah, with right. Slave Slave One? All right. The same guy went on to speculate more on this cantina scene. According to him, he did this <laughs> based on what he heard and from the stuff. Uh, what's this? Uh, some, some some MS making Star Wars excuse okay. me, making Star Wars posted. So for now, take the following as speculation and a fun read. Some of the things might be true, some might have changed, and some might be very far from the truth. Still, I find it interesting that real actor names are used, as I said above. So I guess we'll find out pretty soon. There must be some sort of action going on in space above Tatooine. Boyega is a stormtrooper. This is one hundred percent. His tie is shot down. Again, perhaps explains the Falcon and X-Wing outside the cantina. Daisy wearing clothing similar to that of Luke's uh, and rescues Boyega. Uh, yeah, she wears clothing similar to Luke's in A New Hope. Okay. Uh, and rescues Boyega, takes him back to her um, AT-AT home. Hmm. So she lives in an AT-AT. And uh, he gets a change of clothes. 
Raggedy clothes, as I described, from the cantina scene, almost like he had been dragged off the street onto set. Daisy heads to the cantina in search of Han with her droid, which is an actual prop pushed along with bars, and Boyega in tow. She arrives, is confronted by Simon Pegg, complete in alien prosthetics, including an enlarged neck. She raises her blaster. He takes it from her and points it back at her. Don't point a blaster unless you intend to use it. (laughs) Chewie comes over. Ha, what good is a one-armed Wookiee? Chewie rips Peg's arm off and hands Daisy back the gun. So here we're hearing a rumor that maybe he has the robotic arm. Okay. Weird. Yeah. Hmm. Weird. Han arrives wearing his iconic outfit minus the waistcoat, which is replaced with a thin-cut biker-style leather jacket. Looking flustered, I am guessing he still has the Falcon and has possibly returned after whatever was happening in space to cause Boyega to crash. Anyhow, the owner of the cantina, Lupita Nyong'o, complete with CGI reference dots on her face, shouts Han Solo, to which the entire cantina stops and turns to Han, a proper Western moment. <laughs> You have 25 bounties on your head, she says, which implies Han is still playing rogue. Also during the scene, Boyega says, that's when I met you and I didn't want to fight. Um, hold on. There's more about this cantina scene, but I want to talk about some of this right now. Shoot first, Han. It sounds legit as fuck. Yes and no. Yeah, yes and no. The The one thing that makes me think it's not legit is the fact that Simon Pegg's alien character says something like, "What good? What? What? Uh, yeah. What? Uh, what good is a one-armed Wookiee when we hear rumors that he has both arms and rumors that he has a robotic arm?" Yeah, it sounds like he's just playing off the knowledge that he might have only had one arm and then just made right. this up that way. Right. One thing kind of ties into one of my theories is that maybe Han Solo. We talked earlier about getting that item. Mm-hmm. On that jungle planet with the jungle stormtroopers, and thereafter, what seems to be an item, and Han Solo and Chewbacca there, we know that scene happened. Yeah. That was filmed, and it says right here, I am guessing he still has the Falcon and has possibly returned after whatever was happening in space to cause Boyega to crash. Yeah, but. But that one scene didn't happen before this, I don't think, because um, they're making it sound like this is the beginning of the movie. These these were some of the first scenes shot for the movie. This doesn't necessarily mean it's the first scene of the movie. Gotcha. I'm thinking that that stuff happened before. I'm thinking that Boyega, he got the object, and then Han and Chewie were following him after it. Maybe they even shot him down. Mm. Right, yeah. Um, and they unfortunately follow him back to another you know, Mos Eisley cantina. And he says specifically, Boyega says to Han, I don't know what this first sentence means, but he says, that's when I met you. And maybe they're talking about on that other planet. And then the second sentence is, I didn't want to fight. Mm. Hmm. So it sounds like maybe they, they've met before, had an altercation over whatever this object is. Mm-hmm. And now they're kind of coming to terms. Now they're coming to terms and they're getting to talk about it. Right. Does this make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm following okay, Absolutely, this. yeah. The, the uh, first part of the sentence, that's when I met you. It's like he could be remembering another encounter with him. Be like, 
That's when I met you. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, in order for Han and Chewie to start following him in the first, and they meet eye to eye, Frank. Right. Boyega being younger and more spry, he's going to get to it first. Yep. That's when Han and Chewie start running after him, uh-huh. and that's when the space battle takes place. Right. Yeah, I follow all that logic. Yeah. All right. Oh, I'm down with it. All right. Okay. Um, let's see here. I'm kind of getting a little scared at this point because, I mean, all this shit's starting to tie in and feel real good and legit. And it's like, eh, I don't want to ruin it for myself. We're not. It's going to be fun. You know, half of the stuff that I'm thinking we're reporting is bullshit. Yeah, it's still not the whole package put together. Oh, right. Exactly. No matter it. what you know, it's still not the music, the editing, the effects, exactly. the sound right. effects. 25% of it, I think, is probably somewhat right and then yeah. i think 25 percent is like correct information mm-hmm. right by the i think it's going to be more fun for us reporting this stuff every week going into this and mm-hmm. being like oh that part actually did happen yeah. oh my god oh that part's bullshit because <laughs> this this feels like the first bit to me that feels like really 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 solid mm-hmm. yeah and we're gonna get we're gonna get a lot of answers with trailers too like even before we see the movie we're gonna be able to call out some bullshit and call out some truth on stuff that we yeah. talked about and yeah. heard i want to see the first poster mm-hmm. you know what i mean so the first poster might give us a little bit of something hey there's one arm chewbacca right on the poster <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> exactly with his oh. golden arm uh, let's see here. There are some things that differentiate from the other rumors. For example, many people believe that the desert planet is not Tatooine. Also, according to Jason from Making Star Wars, this is not a cantina, but a bidding station. And as I said before, the Academy Award winner Lupita Nyong'o playing a mocap character doesn't make sense at all, but we will see. So for now, this with uh so for now take this with the usual quantity of salt now yeah i mean we've heard uh, he's saying here that academy award winner lupita nyango playing a mocap character doesn't make much sense but we've heard that you know it's not necessarily true that that circus is going to be the mocap character but we've heard that there's going to be other mocap characters in this oh definitely mm-hmm. yeah yeah i was thinking more about the about them saying that it's not tatooine per se mm-hmm. i kind of i kind of buy that the more i think about it because just like um kathleen was so um adamant about filming in certain locations that they always had filmed before i think she would have been that same way about tatooine and we know they didn't film in uh to Tunisia. Yeah, they didn't film in Tunisia. They filmed in Abu Dhabi. But on the flip side, it's been 30 years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, things might have changed. And so maybe J.J. Abrams wanted to show how things have changed a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. It just, I mean, that would seem like almost the biggest deal location to shoot at if, if yeah, you but were they, doing they, could, they couldn't film exactly in the same spot in Tunisia because now that that's, a, that's more of a tourist area Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah i just it just seemed like the symmetry of it all they'd still want to do since they did it for the the episode one and they you know the originals yeah so i don't know i it to me it gives a little bit of credence that maybe we're not talking about tatooine here is it is it a for sure thing that there is a full-on desert planet or is that still rumored we know there's desert locations there's definitely a desert planet planet okay that they're that they're shooting at because we've seen pictures well yeah the, well, the reason why i was asking is because i mean our own planet is diverse it doesn't necessarily have to be a whole world made up of one climate let's not get into that christopher nolan oh fuck. 
<laughs> Sorry. Oh, no. If it was Christopher Nolan, it, it would be a whole planet made of, like, water or ice. <laughs> water world. Yeah. Well, that's how Star Wars kind of works, too, though. It, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. don't think – yeah. I mean, if you look at, uh, you know, uh, what's Endor? Yeah. You know, it's pretty much like lush forest, jungle and forest. Or what's the planet that they have the fight on in um, episode three? What's the – it's the lava oh, planet. Oh, it begins with yeah. M. Yeah. So, yeah. And it, you know, so it just seems like right, okay. Hoth is the ice planet, Tatooine, Dagobah is the shithole swamp. Yeah, swamp yeah, 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 yeah. Cloud City, which yeah. makes me think that it is. I'm still sticking to my guns. I still think it's Tatooine. I still think it's Tatooine. Yeah, I, it's hard to. It's Tatooine's going to be in the movie. It really feels like it has to be. Yeah. yeah. So I'd be surprised. We've but, talked before about it being the accidental hub of all these events. Yeah, it's like the R2-D2 of locations in Star Wars. It's just something that seems like it always has to have some kind of involvement. Right. Uh, making Star Wars had rumors for a desert scene that was shot. Here are the rumors. Frame one of three. So there's three frames here. Uh, it is dark. The sky is starry. A ship lands that looks like mixture of an Imperial shuttle and a sand crawler. It's brown in this painting. Uh, note, this shuttle has a lot of alternate designs. It honestly looks like an Art Deco mobile home if they made them. It has short wings with guns on the wings. It has two front windows that are just rectangles. And below it, a ramp touches the sand like the classic Imperial shuttle. The ship lands in a desert village, which I posted a picture of that desert village, I think, yesterday or a couple days ago on our Facebook page. Yeah. Now, in the distance, you can see some kind of structure that appears to have built, uh, been built out of a crashed ship or something. It is very bright and illuminated as if it is burning. I believe that this is probably the TMZ set set in Abu Dhabi while the village landing was filmed at Pinewood. Now, those TMZ set pictures, remember those? Mm, I do. Tons of them. Yeah. Even showed like that huge, large creature and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, According from the ramp is a figure in, all in black with two stormtroopers. You can see the hut from the photo. Uh, uh, Jabba the hut? No, no, he's no. dead. You can see <laughs> there was a hut in that picture that I posted. <laughs> I believe in the photo you can see the hut in the rear has scorch marks from the filming of this sequence already. The black figure in this painting is a little closer to the Reven style design Star Wars Universe posted recently. Um, the figure in black is really doing a Darth Vader entrance. Hmm. Frame two of three. The background is now entirely in flames. One stormtrooper lays on the ground. He's bleeding. There's blood in on his hand. And he holds it up to his stormtrooper brother who attempts to save his life. The blood runs down his arm. His brother has three blood marks on his helmet where the, stor- where the other trooper touched his face before he collapsed to the ground. In the background, stormtroopers continue to advance with flamethrowers burning the village. Lasers whip past their helmets, depicting fierce resistance. Hmm. That's stark imagery, thinking about blood on a uh, right, pure white yeah. stormtrooper costume. Yeah, that is. Frame three. In the final frame, the villain is depicted as Darth Vader. It's not Darth Vader, though. Yeah. Okay. We see him from the back, and several stormtroopers stand at his side. In the distance, you can see the entire village is now in flames, as the incendiary troopers have done their work well. 
I believe this village is connected to the TMZ set, and it is in the nearby outskirts. It appears the bad guys are hunting for John Boyega's character, who is Kira, played by Daisy Ridley. I believe this signifies the you-can't-go-home moment in the film. In A New Hope, Luke Skywalker rejects his call to adventure in response to make him take the journey. His home, along with his Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru, are burned alive by stormtroopers. It seems in The Force Awakens, Kira is put on her path, and Kira is Daisy Ridley's character. That's the the code name they've given her. Yeah. Before we find out if that's her really her name or not. She's put on the path with no turning back when the life she once knew is burned to the ground by the Empire. Just like Luke Skywalker. Her friends and her entire way of life are gone. If the rumors are true and she's a salvager, the bid station I've seen art for is burned in this sequence too. So Kira literally has no way of living or making a living on this planet after these events. For a long time, we didn't know exactly what the action was at TMZ set. Now I believe we know. In some of the production paintings, the Falcon and X-Wing are there. That is still a mystery to me. Perhaps they flee from this area to the spaceport where the Falcon is docked and procure transport there. Uh, There was an update. A source I respect and trust greatly cannot confirm anything on this location, but they believe this set is away from the TMZ spaceport area. They suggest the Wicker Man we described before actually inhabit these structures and are the resistance the Empire faces when it lands there. Looking at the Wicker Men and their headdresses at the tops of these huts, I think that's really probable. The Wicker Men had sniper rifles, and that is probably who is firing back at the stormtroopers. Hmm. There's a chance the Empire lands in this area because Boyega's tie goes down about there. Perhaps the scavengers that ascend upon Boyega's ship are out, and the Wicker Men replace them. Either way, if the Empire burns this village when it finally finds the bid station slash spaceport, I imagine they aren't friendly all of a sudden. And remember, we do know there's a lot of smoke at the TMZ set. Okay, guys, this is interesting. So pieces are starting to come together. And um, so what have we learned? What have we talked about so far? Uh, we think there's this jungle scene. The movie starts off with this jungle scene, possibly. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going after this object. John Boyega intercepts the object. Possible on, crash on a planet. Yeah, possible crash on a tra- planet that's maybe maybe been caused by Han and Chewie. Mm-hmm. Um, his character is then intercepted by Daisy Ridley's, Ridley's character of Kira. She takes care of him. Um, maybe throughout this, um, that's when they meet Han and Chewie. The, Final the, showdown at the bidding station, it sounds like. Right. But... Do you think that the stormtroopers show up there for the object and they know Boyega has it and they're wondering why in the hell hasn't Boyega tried to make contact with them or is he dead or mm, – I think they know he's alive and they're just after him to get whatever it is. Or do they think that maybe Kira – maybe they found out like, OK, maybe maybe um, – they're they're in town and they're talking to somebody in town and they're like, "Have you seen this person?" And they show up like this uh, <laughs> picture of Boyega, like the T one thousand of Star Wars. <laughs> well, I'm not saying they pulled up an actual picture, but it's like yeah. a holographic image. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and somebody says, you know, and maybe Boyega's better by this time. Like maybe he's healed up and he's wearing some kind of a cloak. Mm-hmm. And they go into town together, uh, thinking it's safe to go into town, and. Somebody there's like, oh, uh, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. They end up giving him some money, 
And uh, he says, yeah, I've seen them. They're, you know, like uh, they live in this village over there. They probably kill whoever they gave the money to, take the money back. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, from there, they uh, they just start to burn the village in order to get to Boyega and get to whatever that object is. And that's when Han and Chewie show up. They find him at the same time too. I wonder what this object is, this MacGuffin. What is like, the MacGuffin? Yeah, yeah. It's like, what is it? Does it have something to do with the whole force thing? Does it have something to do with... Are the, is whoever's chasing them, are they like not who we think they are? Are they really like uh, inquisitors? Yeah. That they need this object? Maybe, is it like the, like uh, Plagueis' DNA or the Emperor, Emperor's DNA or something? Yeah. yeah, what is it? That's That would really answer a lot of questions, I feel like, if we knew what the uh, yeah. what the thing was. Yeah. Ooh. And I'm wondering if, because uh, Luke has exiled himself, well, no, no, never mind. He, they've talked about him being able to control stuff floating around him. Uh, never mind. I, I, where were you going? Well, I was thinking that uh, if, you know, we've talked about the balance. If he took himself out of the picture and went into into seclusion, uh, and the force has left him, then if they're trying to get a hold of this DNA, when they bring back whatever you know danger there is, maybe that's when he gets his back. The force awakens. Hmm. Oh, if you're going by the hypothesis that he doesn't have any powers at all and yeah. starts, yeah, yeah, good too. And another hypothesis that the MacGuffin is DNA. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we are right. just this is all <laughs> speculation. We're bending man. the bullet. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. But yeah, that's been uh, that's been our Star Wars news this week. There's Holy been a fun. ton of it. We yeah. needed to cover it. Yeah, definitely. It was fun. I like that we did it at the beginning. So I don't yeah. know if we uncovered anything. No, no, we uncovered zero. So, all right, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. We'll do uh, Good Pop, Bad Pop. Sounds good. I want you to know I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. Another
Hey guys, all right, yeah, we're back. Um, yeah, you guys have never heard that version of that song before, have you? I've heard that before. Have you? Yeah, I have not. Yeah, it's uh, the A Thousand Mona Lisas. You ought to know. Some Alanis awesome. Morissette. Yeah. yeah, it was a hidden track on one of their albums, and I fucking oh. loved it. You know that song is about uh, her and Dave Coulier. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah. There was just some news about that recently, where they, um, where he was in an interview talking about it. Yeah, he was talking about how they actually got together for lunch one time, and I think they talked, and everything was cool. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's unfortunate that she like yeah, they, I guess they went through a pretty rough breakup on her end. Yeah, and then she wrote that song about Dave Coulier, and if you don't know who Dave Coulier is, he was Uncle Joey. On Full House. Yeah, she must have got really mad about those Bullwinkle impersonations. Oh, man. <laughs> Cut it Cut out. Cut it out, yeah. I can, well, I can just, like, I can't imagine her going down on him in a theater. <laughs> Uncle Joey. Oh, my God. Oh, no. In a theater. What's fucked up, though, is, like, apparently he must have fucked over the lead singer of A Thousand Mona Lisas, and he wrote the same song for it, so. <laughs> <laughs> he gets around, Dave Cooley. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Breaking hearts and taking names and all that shit. Crazy. All right. So, yeah, uh, we're going to move on to Out of Order this week, but we're going to move on to Good Pop, Bad Pop. <laughs> I was waiting for the music cue. <laughs> For more leftover reviews with Good Pop, Bad Pop. All right, Good Pop, Bad Pop is where we talk about the things in the previous weeks or weeks, a week or weeks that we either read or watched that we liked or disliked. Sometimes we rate these things, and if this is your first time listening to Pop Culture Leftovers, we want you to be familiar with our rating system. God damn it, I got so much shit. The rating system is simple. <laughs> if the leftovers don't like something, they toss it. If they do like something, they suggest you taste it. And if it's brilliant, it gets a Tupperware rating. If all the leftovers love it, then it gets the pinnacle of success, a Tupperware party. All right, so, uh, yeah, let's move on to Good Pop, Bad Pop. Um... Read this story on comicbook.com, and it's pretty awesome. I'll just read it from the article itself. It's titled, Man Builds Street Legal Batmobile, Uses It to Cheer Up Sick Children. He is the Dark Knight, his mission to visit terminally ill children in Australia, but his secret identity isn't Bruce Wayne. This Cape Crusader is Zach Miazjovlovich. The 29-year-old Camden, Australia native has teamed up with Make- the Make-A-Wish Foundation where he fulfills the dreams of children by arriving at their door in full bat gear and giving them a ride in the Batmobile. Miha Jovalich's journey to becoming a real-life superhero began four years ago when he built his street-legal Batmobile with the help of his grandfather. Uh, he said the reaction to it has just been insane. The Batmobile is that Batmobile is based on the one used in the 1989 Tim Burton film. I was getting ready to ask which version it was. Starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Some of the parts, such as the working afterburner, was used on the actual car in the movie. Despite receiving multiple six-figure offers for the car, including one from uh, a sheik in Dubai, Miha <laughs> Jovalich says there's a reason he won't sell it. It gives kids, sadly, their dying wish. He said, yeah. an example would be Dominic, a young boy who suffers from cystic fibrosis. He recently got a visit from the Cape Crusader as a surprise from his mom. Dominic was beyond excited. This is the best day of my life, he screamed. I can't believe I'm going in the, in the Batmobile. 
Let's Go and Save the World. For uh, Mihal Jovalich, he believes doing uh, he's doing that one visit at a time. So I just thought it was a great story. That's awesome. I love that he dresses up like the character and everything. Yeah. That's great. The costume looks just spot on. It looks phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it's great. Um, I'm going to post a video on our Facebook page. Does it show week. the fire shooting out the back? <laughs> I believe it does. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, that's my first good pop, bad pop. That's great that he won't sell. So I sorry to keep talking about this. That, no, no, I, no, I love no, it. Fine. Six figures from a sheik in Dubai. Yeah, and he still won't sell. What is that sheik gonna do with the Batmobile? Like put it in his Batcave? You know, he'll, <laughs> he'll probably have it like in the rest of his collection with every other Rolls Royce he has. Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Is he drive it around or anything? He's not going to be doing anything good. He's not going to be bringing smiles to any children's faces. No, no, he'll so. probably be making kids wash it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you can't fit that many women from your harem in the Batmobile, though. Yeah, he needs like a extended cab. Well, la- no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say. Um, last week I watched the uh, Simpsons Futurama crossover episode. That, I did too. That aired. You did too. Yes. Good. It was called uh, Simps- Simpson. I can't say it. Simpsonorama. Simpsonorama. And um, I quite liked it. I am gonna Tupperware the episode. I think it did a lot of things right. That the Simpsons Family Guy crossover kind of did wrong. Did you happen to see that this year also? I saw both of them. Yeah, I think the Simpsons Family Guy, it had a lot of very funny moments, but I think if it would have been put down to the 22 minute, you know, 30 minute airtime size, could have been just a jam packed, hilarious episode. And I thought the hour kind of worked against it and it kind of drug out a little bit. I thought the Futurama was really concise and really funny and really clever. Um, they did a lot of great stuff comparing Bender and Homer and the way they look to each other and lots of great jokes like that. Um, lots of stuff. What'd you think about it? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I'm glad that it felt like at the beginning, like it was only going to be a Bender centric episode. Mm -hmm. And, uh, then they, uh, they introduced the other characters into it, which I thought that they were just going to be cameo appearances. But no, they were a larger part of the episode, and I thought it was fantastic. I love when I give, uh, it, I give it a Tupperware as well. I love the little Doctor Zoidberg part where he kind of acknowledged your fear. Where, where Doctor Zoidberg is the character that only gets one line, yeah. and he kind of breaks the wall and is like, "Hey, mm-hmm. I I get to say something or whatever." Right. He had something really cheeky to say and everything. It was funny. Um, yeah. There was big news this week um, about the episode and its big reveal. Did you read about any of that at all? I did not. Well, at the end of the episode, it's kind of revealed that Kang and Kodos are a lesbian couple. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I did, I, I, but I didn't read any articles on it. Yeah, yeah so I, um, the writer, um, Al Jean, spoke up about that, and they, they've kind of teased that they were married in the past. We, we know both their last names are Johnson and everything. And he said, yeah, sure, they're Kang and Kodos Johnson. They're a gay female couple in their species. They, they seem to be married. Okay. So, yeah, yeah, Kang and Kodos, the Simpsons lesbian couple. I I liked both of them. I I Tupperware both of them, the Simpsons and the Family Guy one. Yeah. I I Tupperware both of them. The length didn't bother me at all. I've actually seen it twice, the first one, the Simpsons. I watched it twice as well, and it was like the second time where I was like, man, this really could have been... No, the, the, I think I think it, it was a Family Guy episode first. Mm-hmm. So it was a Family Family Guy episode first, and I, I think that like there was a lot of setup to get them to Springfield. I think like they had to explain why they ended up going to Springfield. 
you know, I mean, that's the only thing I can th- see that 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 maybe made it the hour long episode that it was. Yeah, I understand. It's like, that. why why are they going to Springfield? Are you going to pack that into twenty two minutes? Yeah, it seemed like a lot. I feel like they there, there was a lot yeah. that could have been cut for me. I, I was fine with it. But yeah, I really loved this episode. Um, basically, Bender's back in time to kill one of the Simpsons because they do something that causes the future to be all messed up. It's like taken over by some creature. And yeah, it was pretty – lots of fun stuff. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was really good. Um, the end was really neat too where they kind of show that like Bender has been in the Simpsons basement the entire time. Yep. <laughs> like he he has no fancy gadget to go back to the future other than to basically initiate sleep mode until it is the future. Oh, wow. And so they just kind of kick him into the basement and <laughs> power him down. I enjoyed it. It was good. So yeah. All right. The next story, it comes from Comic – bookresources.com. While we've all heard the complaint that too many comic conventions focus too much on Hollywood, the same can't be said of uh, Chromic Con. Have you guys heard about this? <laughs> no. no. Is it Conan related, right? No. No? <laughs> it's focused on other things, primarily weed. Oh. Debuting November 22nd in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and November 23rd in Denver, the... L- the rather literally grassroots event is billed as the world's first marijuana-friendly comic and fantasy convention. <laughs> it's the brainchild of Jamin Johnson, owner of the Speakeasy Vape Lounge in Colorado Springs, who is inspired by his visits to other conventions. He says, we could smoke in the hotel before we left, and then we'd get high in the parking lot when we got there. And then we'd find different places around the Comic-Con's halls to get high while we were there. He told the cannabis in June, explaining that the exhausting experience led to an epiphany of sorts. What if there was a Comic-Con in the same vein of those events that was cannabis-friendly? The result is Chromicon, a 21-and-over <laughs> private event. You have to know the password to buy a ticket where you can smoke marijuana with like-minded people. Enjoy live music performances, dancers, and guests like Carlos Carlos Alazurakai from Reno 911, Justice League Doom, Corral Striken from Star Trek The Next Generation, The Addams Family, Felix Silla, Buck Rogers in the 25th Century, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, and Mark Dodson, Darkwing Duck, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, the veteran voice actor who lends his talents to the new Chromicon trailer. Wow. Do you want to hear the trailer? <laughs> yes, yes, I please. definitely do. All right. I imagine it sounds like a monster truck commercial for some reason. <laughs> Chronicon. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Hey, I'm just a love machine. Chronicon. Hey, man, you scared me, man. You made me swallow my doobie, man. Yeah, man, I'm supposed to be a gremlin, man. A gremlin? Oh, you're getting ready for Comic-Con. Yeah, man, the voice of the gremlins and the little guy with Jabba the Hutt's gonna be there, man. Oh, yeah, that's Salacious Crumb, man. Salacious Crumb? What kind of name is that, man? Yeah, that's the kind of name George Lucas comes up with. After too many hits on a hookah, man. (laughs) <laughs> with Felix Silla, Carlos Alzaraki, Carl Striken, Captain Cannabis, Jeffrey Peterson, 
the Chromacon dancers, musical guests, DJ Chris Diablo, Animus Invidious, and Made with Fresh Fam Laser Show, Clydesdale, Bullheaded, The One Blood Crew, Men of Degentry, Charlie Milo, and now Mark Dodson. Hi everybody, I'm Mark Dodson. Looking forward to two great shows in Colorado Springs and Denver this month. It's going to be a great time with Felix Silla. You remember him as Cousin It from The Addams Family. And he's been in other great films like Planet of the Apes, Poltergeist, E.T., and one of my favorites, Return of the Jedi. Carl Stryken will be there too. You'll know him as Lurch from Addams Family Values. He's been villains in Star Trek movies, Men in Black, and so many other films. And Carlos Alizaraki from one of my favorite TV shows, Reno 911. He's Deputy James Garcia. He's also voices on lots of things you hear for Pound Puppies, Brickleberry, Happy Feet, Toy Story. I can go on and on. It's going to be a great time. I, for one, can't wait. And hey, who knows? Maybe Jabba the Hutt will let us have a hit on his hookah. See you there. Wow. So wow. Are but, you thinking that this is going to be like a, uh, like they say it's like uh, like marijuana friendly or whatever, cannabis friendly? Do yeah. you think people are just going to be smoking it there in the convention? I guess yeah. so. I'm impressed how legit it sounds with that commercial and everything now. Yeah. You know one thing I took away from that? So the same guy that played Lurch didn't play Lurch in Adam's Family one and Adam's family values. It's two different lurches. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I, I couldn't tell you. I didn't Lurch care for those from years. Adam's family values. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry. No, yeah, it's Col- Colorado's the you know place to do it. That Oregon, Washington now. So they'll, they'll probably still have areas. I bet they'll have like areas where it's like just like they have like a smoking section at a right. place. Yeah, I mean, why would you go to that? Yeah, I guess you know. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's 21 and over, so it's not like they're trying to get people, you know, under kids in there. It's not kid-friendly. Right. Yeah, and if that's your thing, I guess you you don't have to feel uncomfortable about that being your thing. Right. You'll be around like-minded people. Yeah, I think it's really cool, too, because, I mean, you get things like Beer Fest. You know, everybody advertises the shit out of those things, and I know that the – uh, the marijuana is not the primary draw. It's supposed to be that people are going to watch, you know, talk about comics and stuff. But I think it's really cool how they're they're doing it, saying, "Hey, go ahead, come on, let's let's go." Yeah, it makes me think that every celebrity that would sign up for it though is a habitual pot smoker, right? Yeah. I was wondering that, but then again, you get you get like <laughs> Doug uh, Benson is the MC. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like though. Um, uh, like George Takei talks about people who are uh, heterosexual, who are supporters of uh, LGBTs being able to get legally married and stuff. It's mm-hmm. like an ally, I think he calls them. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they could say that. I mean, their line of work's not too particular, but as this continues to spread throughout the United States, I think you'll see some people probably say that, well, no, it's not that I do it. It's that I approve of everybody else's right to be able to do it. The whole thing is kind of ridiculous to me. You know, I'm tired of getting stoned and going to Wizard World. I wish there was a place that was more, you know, I don't know. It's interesting. I think it's uh, it's a gimmick. Yeah. Um, but I think it's something that uh, if the turnout is well, I think we'll see something like this pop up in other states too. Yeah. 
So it's a good testing ground. Yeah. Colorado. Yeah, I can see that. People in Colorado have been down with it for a long time anyway. Yeah. Um, next thing I want to talk about. I want to get into Good Pop, Bad Pop. I want to talk about some of the uh, comic book related TV shows that have been on the air recently. Uh, first one I want to talk about is Gotham. Uh, most of us have been watching the Gotham TV series. I want to get our thoughts on Gotham so far, what you think about it, what you like about it, what you don't like about it. Yeah, I, I actually just caught up on Gotham this week, watched all of it, but the um, newest episode that was on Monday. And um, I'm, I'm Tupperware in it. I'm really enjoying it. It has its um, miss episodes still every now and again. But for the most part, it seems like it's a couple really good ones in a row, and then there's kind of a, I don't know, kind of a little bit of a case of the week episode. I thought of like the six I watched in a row, like the Goatman episode was probably the weakest one. See, I'm hearing the opposite from our listeners. That they're saying that that is one of their that is the episode that turned them on to the series. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't terrible, but it seemed like a pause. Like it seemed like we had a lot of really interesting stuff going on with the mythology of the whole show. I enjoyed it because it was a great way to explore explore some of the backstory of why Bullock is the way he is now in Gotham. Yeah, and I really enjoyed that. He came out with, I think, the same like uh, uh, heroism and zeal that uh, you know uh, uh, that uh, God damn it, um, Jim Gordon had when he first started with them, and that that now it, it kind of explains like why Harvey Bullock has lost a little bit of that. But going through that old case again, it brought a little bit of the old Harvey Bullock back into this Gotham universe. I, I did enjoy the Bullock flashback stuff. That was some of the better stuff of the episode. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, it, it's been good. I, I'm Tupperware in the show. I've moved from a taste it to a Tupperware, I think, on this. I'm really enjoying it. I may do an every other week thing where I'm watching uh, so I can watch two at a time. I, I Go ahead, Frank. Sorry. I had been right on top of it up until uh, two weeks ago. I had been watching week to week and then just got real busy. And to be honest, I can't even remember what my original rating was. I think it was a taste it, but uh, I, too, am changing it to a Tupperware because as it's developed – uh, you can see like the uh, creep of the week type stuff, but they kind of serve a purpose too because it's showing how they have good intentions. They're doing bad things in a corrupt town. Uh, but you also have these greater weaving storylines like with the Penguin and Gordon and their story. And it, it's good to keep the action moving along with the week-to-week stuff and then to keep laying out all of this background character development. I think it's really good. Yeah, it's a shame that you haven't seen the last two episodes. It yeah, make, it is. It, it makes really me is. feel bad because a bullet point is definitely talking about the stuff that happened at the end of the last episode that I watched personally. Oh, shit. Yeah. The, yeah. I've seen the last two. Jake, you've seen the the second. <laughs> I've seen everything but the newest episode. See, I've seen them all. And the uh, the last episode that you saw, mm-hmm. the twist at the end, mm-hmm. Phenomenal. A phenomenal. Best episode of the season so oh, far. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, part of me thinks that the show should be called Penguin because it's uh, he's that damn good. Yeah, the yeah. actor is just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Robin L- Lord Taylor, is that his right, name? Right. He uh, is phenomenal. He was actually in an episode of The Walking Dead. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, two episodes technically, yeah. Well, yeah. I heard he got killed off real yes. quick. Yes. Well, yes and no. No, he oh. did not. He, well, he was only a part of two episodes. Okay. And him and Carol, uh, <clears throat> ah, he encountered Rick and Carol, 
while they were out, it was the episode where uh, Rick told Carol to leave and not come back. I mean, that means nothing to me. So he hasn't seen it, Frank. He's into this current season. No, no, I'm no, not. he's not. Oh, I thought he's, you were. I'm sorry. No, he hasn't seen the episode. Okay, well. yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. If, if if he were, he would have. I I just didn't but he re- hasn't. Right. So. I didn't realize that. Now you do. Yes. So <laughs> anyway, yeah. I was just stopping you because describing the scene wasn't helping. I know me you're, you're describing the scene and looking at him. I'm just letting you know he hasn't seen it. <laughs> gotcha. Right. Yeah, they they encountered him. He disappeared, and then you see him at the first episode of this season. Is he going to be in it more? You think? No, he can't be. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Most people didn't catch that anyway, Frank. Yeah. In that first episode. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I've, I, The only reason why I caught it is because I saw, I think it was like the Nerdist or somebody pointed it out. Um, I, yeah, Gotham. Um, loving the Penguin. Yeah. Uh, loved the twist. Um, loving I, the Riddler still, too. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean... He's yeah. not really a big part of the show so far. This stuff's been that's funny, though. though. Yeah, that's good, though. I mean, my biggest bitch when on the first episode was that there was too much going on too fast. And I like the fact that he's there, but he's not doing anything. And that's okay right now. He's doing what he needs to, and then they can he's bring good. him up later. He's good. Yeah. It's it's just I, like I can't say like, oh, God, I Tupperware him. Yeah, like, he's not a focal point. Yeah, he's not a focal point. I've really turned around on Alfred a lot too. Oh god, I yeah. love Alfred. Oh my yeah. god, yeah, Alfred's really great. Oh my god, because it was awesome. The, the last the, episode, the fighting scene yeah. with, the, with the boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was great. I loved Alfred in that. And I'm going to go on the record and say that there has been more detective work from Bruce Wayne as a little boy <laughs> than there have been in any other movie that they've ever put on screen. Fuck yeah, yeah. combined. He doesn't. Yeah, he's not using the Bat computer. He's it is, actually. Right. It is so good, and you know, it, it impressed the fuck out of Alfred. The last episode I saw was he kept trying to distract him and talk to him about doing this and doing that, and you know, Bruce is just completely buried into his books. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the episode. He grabs a hold of a book and starts to help Bruce do that, it. That was a great moment, yeah, too, I thought. You see, a, a, he, Bruce has been yeah. emotionless and detached up until that point, and then he got a smile on his face. Because I think, I mean, Alfred came to the realization if he wanted to connect with him, he, this was the way he had to do it. And the, yeah, the recent episode where Bruce asked him if he'd teach him how to fight, mm-hmm. and he said, sure. <laughs> I loved it. I fucking loved it. Oh, man, I need to get these last two episodes watched. Yeah. And for the people that don't like this Gotham thing, I honestly think they dropped off after the first episode. Um, just consider it an Elseworld story. Mm-hmm. Okay? Definitely. It's an Elseworld story, and it is a nice break from the CW stuff. It's you know got great I mean? acting. Yeah, really good acting. Yeah, it's, so. yeah, it's something fun to chew on. Don't take yeah. it too seriously like it's like destroying right. your favorite mythos. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I do like how it doesn't feel like uh, – I'm not saying I don't like it. I love the Arrow and I, I, love, I, I, I like the Flash. But I do, I do like how it has a different feel than those CW shows. Mm-hmm. So um, we're going to talk about Flash later. But for right now, I wanted to give my thoughts on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, I can't wait to hear this. Oh, All right. So I had watched uh, the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I watched uh, the first half last year, and then I caught up on some of the later episodes of the first season recently. And then um, just over the past couple days, I watched the first seven episodes of the second season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
And I'm going to give my thoughts on those episodes. Um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the first season, uh, was an absolute chore for me to get through. Mm. Um, I mean, out of the first half of the season, and I'm not going to not gonna lie to you here, the first half of the season, there was one episode that I enjoyed. Wow. One episode. The rest of them um, were garbage, in my opinion. And then in the second half, I enjoyed maybe two of the episodes. Um, so starting season two, after I talked to the Army, and they told me that, that you need to watch it because it gets better, it just kind of made me cringe uh, because I remember how badly I didn't like the first season. Mm-hmm. And um, so on Friday, I started season two, and I finished where they uh, – and then I finished uh, up until the season has uh, left off on Saturday. Okay, so uh, the first four episodes of this season uh, were absolutely atrocious. Wow. Um, I did not like them at all. Um, the characters are boring. Uh, even the interactions with Coulson and May are so straining to get to, to, to get through sometimes. Um, there's this one scene, I think it was episode, um, I think it was episode three or four. Um, and, uh, it's a Hydra agent has taken May's face Mm -hmm. using her, this Hydra technology and they're using her voice and then that agent infiltrates shield as May and she's working with Coulson and then Coulson has no idea that it's this other agent. Um, so as he's talking to her, you can see the wheels turning in Coulson's head and he's not sure if it's her. And he asks her, you know, what he always asks her, you know, uh, after all this is over, uh, can we grab a cup of coffee? And so May says yes. And then he like punches her in the face <laughs> and then he follows it up with something like, he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, May doesn't like coffee. <laughs> and it's just so bad. It's so bad. So what happens after the first four episodes? Did it get better or worse? All right. Agents of Shield, I'm gonna let me let me talk about this. Agents of Shield for me, yeah, after these first four episodes and then the, the first season. Um it's a weird show and um it's only saving grace in my opinion is that they are trying they they they're tying it in with uh, the over o- overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay. Okay. Because I, I think Arrow and Flash, those shows work for me because you're actually seeing heroes that are in the show. Mm, yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., on the other hand, you don't get to see those heroes, but you get to hear about them. <laughs> and they drop little nuggets about the overall uh, the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe that keeps viewers coming back. Um, it's like if you're a Marvel completist mm-hmm. and you have to get all those little tie-in issues to it, like a major event okay. or a story. Oh, they said Thor. Right. This show is like your tie-in to the overall Marvel Cinematic Universe. So if you got to be a completist and you got to see them all, you got to watch Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's like a, I think of it as a bad relationship <laughs> uh, that you don't really know that you're in. And uh, at, at first watching the movies, it was really great. And then things go into like a dark period in your relationship where it isn't as good. But you stick with that relationship because, you know, there were some good times, you know, really good times. And even some of your friends are like, why are you still with her? But 
she, you know, she makes you feel miserable and you start to think, yeah, why am I with her? But then she does something really nice. Like in this case, in the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., they give you an Easter egg. Or they give you a cameo appearance of like Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. Or whatever it may be, and you're, you're sucked right back into this abusive relationship again. That's what I've thought of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or, or, or Agents of Easter Eggs, as I was calling it up. <laughs> That's funny. Up uh, to the, the episodes that I've covered. But we finally get to episode five, and we are introduced to Mockingbird. And this was by far my favorite episode of the season. Wow. I really enjoyed this one. It had really cool, cool spy things going on, uh, some really cool twists and blindsides that I loved. Uh, Coulson was pretty badass in a particular scene in this episode. Uh, episode six, although not quite as good, uh, was still fun. Um, I think it kind of piggybacked off the cool shit that happened in episode five. Uh, episode seven returned back to its earlier form, but I didn't <laughs> mind it so much because they're setting up some interesting things in the show. So the show is, it is getting better. <sighs> so is, is, is it Bobby Morse in the show, just like the comic book? What's that? Is it Bobby Morse? The, is it Mockingbird, the same name yes. and everything? Yes. Is, is she around for the, all three episodes once they introduce her? Yes. Or, okay. Yes. They need more of her. Yeah. She's good then. She's very good. It's Adrian Palicki. Mm-hmm. And she is very good. Um, the problem for me with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is that the characters aren't that interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Ward didn't get interesting recently until they made him a villain. Mm. Um, Sky is still not a great character in my opinion. Um, they've tried to make her more interesting with, uh, with, uh, injecting her with the serum, um, that they don't know 100% about. Um, and then her father is another character they've tried to make her more interesting with. And mm-hmm. then her, the bad blood that she has now between Ward, they've tried to make her more interesting with that. I still am not, I don't care for her. I don't care for Fitz. I don't care for Simmons. Uh, I'm warming up to Simmons a little bit more, but I could, they both don't do anything for me really. Um, the characters that are keeping me, uh, watching the show are Adrian Palicki as Mockingbird, um, and, uh, her ex-husband Hunter. Those two are great. Okay. They have great chemistry with one another. And when they're in other scenes with other characters, they have great chemistry with them. And it makes it more enjoyable for me to watch. Um, the action scenes with Mockingbird are absolutely phenomenal. When she's in an acting scene, uh, an action scene, and she's fucking, you know, uh, kicking some ass with like a baton or whatever the fuck. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's like watching like the action scenes in Arrow. Okay. But watching May and Coulson just beat the shit out of bad guys in, a, in closed corners and stuff, closed quarters, it's it's not that. It, I've seen it. They do it every episode. Ugh. But watching her, she's, she's awesome. She's the closest thing you're going to get to Black Widow in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It makes sense. And it's not May. And I'm get I'm really getting sick of the fact that May is always acting like a hard ass, and they and they keep playing that up with her character. It's 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 getting really old with me. I think the strong female character in this show is is Mockingbird. She's more interesting. She's more fun. May is just a snooze fest all day. And I'm sorry if you're a May fan. I just don't care for her. Uh, Coulson's next on my list. I like him. He's okay. But the two that are doing it for me are Hunter and. Uh, and uh, Mockingbird. So was Hunter introduced at the same time Mockingbird was? He was introduced earlier. Okay. To the group. Um, In season one? Uh, 
God, I'm, you're going back to season one, which I've really tried to forget. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember him. He may have been in season one, but I I, I remember his performances in season two. So okay. I apologize. Um, I don't care for the other main players in the show other than them. Uh, I think they need to shake some things up. I think they need to kill off a few characters and get some real talents in there. Um, I think they were hampered by Ward in that first season, which is why they made him a villain, which made him more interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, this season is going to be a low taste it for me, um, and that's just because of the last three episodes. So that's my Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. wrap-up, but I do want to talk about some of the overall ramifications to the Marvel Cinematic Universe with this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some things that they are possibly setting up. Already some of that, huh? Yes. Uh, when Coulson came back to life, he talked about going to a magical place. Uh, they call it Project Tahiti. Uh, so since then, we find out that he's been injected with this alien GH325 serum. And he's been writing these alien carvings into walls, as well as I think uh, there are six others that have been injected with the same serum. And they, too, are writing these alien symbols into the walls. They look like circles and lines and, and things like that. What could it mean? Right. So Agent Sky gets a tip on a murder case, and Coulson follows the lead. Sky drops a really quick line where she says uh, that she has intel and says, one of my sources, Micro, he's kind of a crime scene junkie. <laughs> she name drops Micro, and in the comics, Micro or Microchip works with the Punisher mm-hmm. and helps him with weapons and other things. So could this mean that they are planting the seeds that the Punisher could enter this universe? Oh, I like it. That'd be interesting. Interesting on an ABC Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. show. Yeah. That would be so fucking censored. Yeah, it sounds like they're just name dropping like the show. It's Agents of Easter Eggs action going on here most likely. That's what I'm calling the show, Agents of Easter Eggs. I've got a theory as to why it sucks, other than the fact that it sucks. Frank, you've, you've seen one episode. No, but this makes sense. If you've got a series, a TV series, which ratings are unpredictable as whether or not it'll get dropped or continued, it could get canceled. You can't have anything major happen in the TV series that would have any real impact in the movies because you either would have had to have referenced it or the show's always going to have to be reactionary. You can't have major events happen in the show because if it's tied to the MCU, that's like it's Achilles heel. If they would go the route of DC and do something completely independent that doesn't have to tie with the movies, it gives them more freedom. I think that's why a lot of these DC properties are doing better in the ratings. They got, they got, you know, the second season got ordered or whatever. I mean, they could finish out this season to the point where it doesn't have any ramifications on the rest of the universe for the movies. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and it's an in-house ABC baby, too. I mean, ratings kind of in some ways don't matter. I mean, of course, they want good ratings, and low ratings isn't good, but it's it's in-house, you know what I'm saying? If they want to keep it going for whatever reason, they're going to keep it going, whether it's pulling in monster ratings or not. Right, but at at certain points, they wouldn't want it to just continue to tank and cost them money. Um, Like, okay, to use an example like The Punisher... Mm-hmm. If you put him into that universe, then things that he does would reverberate from the show through the movie. So if they ever want to use that character in the cinematic universe, 
do you just try to ignore the shit that you said was tied in? Or? I don't think I don't think he's going to show up in an Agents of Shield TV. Well, show. right, but you'd have that problem with any major character that you would try to bring into the TV show. Yeah, and Marvel's encountered problems similar to that before, though. Like if you have to do an actor switch, it's not something that Marvel hasn't had to do before. I mean, it, sometimes it works out for the better. Like with that the, was never Frank Castle all along. <laughs> yeah, that works <laughs> oh. too. <laughs> So, I, I don't want them to introduce the Punisher into an ABC series. If they're going to do Punisher, introduce him into a Netflix series. Mm. It, he would work perfect in tandem with those series. I agree with that. Right. It's more street level, just like the characters that they have now. Yeah, with your Jessica Jones, Daredevil, right. Luke Cage. You can yeah. fit Punisher right in there. Right. All right. The second thing, uh, second thing that uh, everyone is saying that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is setting up is the introduction to... Uh, the Inhumans. Hmm. So, so Sky at one time uh, thought that those symbols Coulson and the uh, other six were carving or drawing were a map. But it was revealed in the latest episode that it's a 3D rendering of a city. So now S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra are both trying to find this city. Who's going to find it first? It's on the moon. So the serum or the blue alien blood is probably Kree. And it's making them do these carvings um, and leading them to the city uh, that people are speculating that it's the city of Adelon. And this is the introduction to, you know, like I said, the Inhumans. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. So it's same thing, though. Like just like we were saying with the Punisher, it's hard to imagine we'll actually see anything of any significance here. Are they going to show – Adelan, yeah. an agent. Did they have the budget to show this amazing city? No. Yeah, they're not going to show us Black Bolt or no. Medusa or no. anybody. No. no, they're not going to blow their wad and show us Lockjaw before they can do it with all the money for yeah, the movie. But, like level. they're doing this now. I think it's just um, we might find out uh, they might unlock the Terrigen Mist, mm. and that what the, what's going to happen is just we're going to get more freaks of the week and episodes of Agents of Shield. Now the ter- the Terrigen Mist will be the Kryptonite like Smallville exactly. to, to Agents of Shield. I don't think we're going to get like you said Black Bolt. We're not going to get Medusa. No, we're not going to get any of that stuff. We're no. just going to get uh, Easter eggs, maybe about Terrigen Mist, and <laughs> and we might meet some of the Inhumans, but not the main player. I love your name, Agents of Easter Eggs. It's pretty hilarious. <laughs> it's basically what it is. It's all they can do is reference the other shit. Yeah. They can't make up their own. Bunch of name dropping. Yep. So, you know, guys, I'm going to keep watching it. I'm going to keep watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, you know, I could have really – I'll be honest with you. That first season and then the, the first few episodes of the second season were, in my opinion, they were not very good. And uh, I think with the introduction of uh, Mockingbird um, – She's been my favorite. She has been my favorite. I will keep watching it just for her. I'm glad they didn't fuck her up. They did not. They did great casting with Adrian Palicki. She is made for these types of roles. She is a fantastic action star. Any Easter eggs to her having any former relationship with Hawkeye? Nothing. Nothing so far. Okay. That that I've picked up on. Okay. Yeah. Just curious. Uh, Frank, did you have any good pop, bad pop for us this week? Yeah. Uh, at the request of, uh, the Joe Schmo comic show, I had picked up like a month ago video game Deadpool for, uh, Xbox 360. And, um, it's, it's pretty cool. I'm, I'm gonna give it a taste it. And it's not because of the storyline. Uh, the story's great. Um, you really get a sense of who Deadpool is because, 
you hear his voice and you know it's his and then the other two voices have bubbles that pop up and they're distinctly different than his own uh to you know show you know how he's schizophrenic um and they break the fourth wall constantly uh like as you're playing along and you encounter a puzzle or whatever um that involves jumping deadpool will bitch to the developer high moon about it being a crappy gameplay trope um and then at the very beginning you get to tool around deadpool's apartment sits down at the internet and says what another friend request from ryan like to be like ryan reynolds mm. uh so I, I thought that was kind of funny i mean there's stuff like that constantly throughout the whole game um it it is my humor level uh you know kind of raunchy uh, you know, it's, it's Deadpool. He, he stops to take a shit and he manipulates the, um, like the sensor bar or whatever that would go over his junk. He says, well, that's not nearly big enough. And he pulls it out and pulls it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, it's great. The only reason why it's a taste it and not a Tupperware is the gameplay itself is kind of mundane. Yeah. It, it, it does what it needs to do. It's not horrible, but you know, it ends up being just a whole bunch of button mash and it's a third person. Like, does he regenerate? Slasher. Does yeah. he regenerate? Yeah. As you, as you take damage, um, you can actually see like his outfit, completely peeling off in the disfigurement. And oh, that's missing, cool. Yeah, missing bits of... Who's the villain in a Deadpool game? Uh, well, so far it's been uh, Mobius. Oh, uh, the vampire? Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Hmm. So he... I haven't finished the game yet. Uh, it's got quite a few hours in it. Uh, but, I mean, throughout he's running into people like uh, the X-Men. Um, there's a part where he... Like bugs him and bugs him and bugs him to let him fly the Blackbird, and he does, and of course he crashes it. What other X Men make appearances? Uh, Psylocke and Rogue, mm. and um, oh, in the Rogue bit, this part is particularly funny. Um, after they have her in the game for a couple of minutes, she's flying. So one of his voices uh, brings up, uh, and for information for all you nerds out there getting huffy about the fact that the current rogue in the comics doesn't have the power to fly, well, you can officially move out of your parents' basement, get a job and a life, and maybe, just maybe, maybe you'll eventually kiss a real girl. <laughs> it's funny. It pokes fun of itself. It pokes fun of the people playing the game. Uh, it's definitely entertaining. Well worth the $20 I spent on it. But, uh, yeah, definitely solid taste it. Hmm. Voice acting's pretty decent, huh? Yeah, it, it does its job. I mean, of course, the voice you hear the most is Deadpool and his various voices. But uh, is it I, somebody that sounds like Ryan Reynolds? Do they do they go for it? A little comic-y for Ryan Reynolds. It's it's in that same vein. Okay, um, a little bit more over the top, right? Uh, but like, uh, I, I'd have to double check it. Who I'm really curious to see who did the writing to see if they actually did any of the writing in the comics. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to have to look that up. But uh, like Cable is in it, and there's one point where Deadpool's hallucinating and thinks that Cable is this uh, hot chick with huge boobs. And then after he realizes it's Cable, it gives the player the option of go ahead and motorboat him anyway. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so definitely a, a cheeky game. Oh fuck yes, it's it's hilarious. It's great, good stuff. <laughs> Sounds right up your alley. Yeah, fuck yeah, it is. I'm Joe surprised you're not Tupperware in this. It, it, there's a lot of sequences where you're just running through repetitive enemies, mm. and 
it's got different guns, but not enough really to make you know the actual gameplay be like, holy shit, this is really fun. It's just kind of like you, you, it's okay. You use it to get through uh, to the next to the next cutscene. So yeah, it, it's entertaining for sure. But yeah, that that lull and lack of excitement and variety in the gameplay is what keeps it from being a Tupperware. Okay, I can understand that. Um, hey, have you seen a? Uh Batman Assault on uh, Assault on Arkham. I have not. It's the only DC animated movie I've not seen yet. Okay. Okay. I can wait to talk about it in a future. I'll see it. Episode. I'll see it in two weeks or less. Okay. Uh, saw Dumb and Dumber Two. Oof. What do you think of that? In theaters this past week, and uh, it's the sequel that some people have been waiting twenty years to see. Uh, so, did it live up to the first film? And uh, the answer is no. It did not. Yeah. Uh, there are some really good laughs in this movie, but they come few and far between. Uh, the Fairley brothers, they, uh, they're, they're back. They're doing this movie. So I thought, you know, it ha- that was a good sign that it could be good, uh, even though the, I think that their last good film that they did was There's Something About Mary. Um, but, but I thought even though with that being the case, in my, you know, in my opinion, that they had a good, good enough grasp on these characters that they could, they could do a good Dumb and Dumber 2 um, movie. Um, there were a total of six writers. <laughs> Never um, a good sign. <laughs> wow. Yeah, exactly. Um, the movie is about Harry. Uh, he needs to track down his daughter so that she could possibly give him a life-saving kidney transplant. Uh, she was given up for adoption by her mother, and they end up just missing her as they meet her adopted father and then go on a search for her as she's seen traveling uh, to a science conference. Uh, the villains in the movie, they're played by uh, Lori Holden from The Walking Dead, who played Andrea, and uh, Rob Riggle, who I love. Uh, Rob Riggle is a, a great comedy character actor, in my opinion. Um, but uh, in this movie, they, they remind me of really bad versions of the villains in uh, Tommy Boy, where it's uh, Rob Lowe mm-hmm. as the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think Rob Riggle is really underutilized in the in this movie. Um, there, there are some funny scenes in this film. Uh, there's a fireworks scene that had me laughing out loud. Uh, there's a conference, uh, where there's like a Stephen Hawking type character and, uh, he says something that just had me laugh out loud. Uh, but overall the movie lacks like the original heart of the first film and the innocence of the stupidity and it's replaced by vulgar jokes, uh, racist jokes, uh, misogynistic jokes, um, it feels like it should be more in like a in a South Park episode uh, than in a Dumb and Dumber film. Yeah, that's a shame. Um, you know, in the first one, you had uh, uh, Lloyd falling in love with uh, what's her name? They called her Mary Samsonite. Yeah, Mary Swanson. Um, I thought it was Samsonite because of the uh, briefcase, right? But her real last name. Oh, was, that's right, right, right. Was sorry, Swanson. Sorry. Um, so yeah, he, he, he fell in love with her and it made sense because like she was around his age, but now he's chasing after, you know, Harry's daughter and she's 22 years old. Mm. And, and a lot of the, I think a lot of it does hinge on their age. They, they, they do look a little too old to be acting this stupid and it it didn't work. And so some of the stuff that like may have been like funny 20 years ago 
came off as just kind of like crude and weird. I think especially Jeff later. Daniels. Like he looks way too old to be doing this. Out of the two actors in this movie, Jim Carrey, Jim Carrey is a lot funnier than Jeff Daniels in this one. Um, which is not saying a lot. Um, I'm, I'm tossing this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, there are some funny parts. There yeah. are some funny parts. That, and they do do a lot of things that they did in the first movies. Like they have like the, the dream sequences where they dream about doing things. <laughs> you know, like the scene where, but it's not as funny though, these dream sequences. Like this dream sequence when like Lloyd is like thinking about like, falling in love with Mary Swanson and he's, you know, like they're having that whole Christmas get together and he's telling the story Mm -hmm. and then starts making stupid faces and then just throws a bunch of food in his face and everybody (laughs) starts laughing and he lights a fart on fire and stuff like that. It was funny when you saw it there. And like here, it's just like really not that funny. Kind of forced and repetitive and yeah. Well, I think a lot of it just has to do with their age and then like the, the, the type of jokes that they tackle in this are just more perverted and more perverse, misogynistic and, and some racist shit going on. Wow. That sucks that they went that route. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it just, it didn't work for me. I, I was like in the theater with other people. I didn't hear too many laughs, but <laughs> I did have some laugh out loud moments. There were some laugh out loud moments. There really were, but overall, it's it's a toss. It. I did see that it lost out to Big Hero Six for the weekend. That mm-hmm. it wasn't able to win the weekend. That's so. not surprising. Yeah. So yeah, Big Hero Six week two will still beat it. Yeah. Jake, are we going to talk about Birdman? Yeah, let's do it. All right, Birdman, directed by Alejandro Gonzalez Inarito, uh, stars Michael Keaton as Riggin, Emma Stone as Sam. Zach Galifianakis as Jake, Naomi Watts as Leslie, and Edward Norton as Mike. Uh, Riggin Thomas, once known quite well to movie theater goers as an iconic superhero called Birdman, had recently turned down a fourth installment of the franchise. Now washed up, he attempts to reinvent himself as a director by staging a new retelling of a classic Broadway dramatic play called what we talk about when we talk about love. The events leading up to the Saturday night premiere proved to be one disaster after another as the original lead actor is injured while on set and Riggin scrambles to find a replacement. But the replacement proves to be exactly who he needs, a method actor who takes the job way too seriously. But Riggin has a hard time juggling between the set, his replacement actor, his equally washed-up daughter, and a host of other disasters that prevent a proper staging of the play. Meanwhile, a New York Times critic who Riggin has to woo threatens to shut down production of the play before it even starts with a scathing review of the opening night. So, let's go ahead and uh, talk about this movie and rate it. Jake, you just saw it last night. I did just see it last night. Went to the 7.30 showing. What do you think? Um, man, this is a really hard one for me to 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 tackle. Um, I thought it had a lot of really great performances. I thought um, Michael Keaton was amazing. Um, I thought Ed Norton was amazing. Um... But I don't know. I, I thought the cinematography was really neat, how they kind of faked it into seeming like the whole movie was one shot. You know, they had this style where they it, you never saw the cuts, really. They kind of hit them when they were doing stuff. But I think overall I'm going to toss this movie. I really did not like it very much. Um, I know it's like a critical darling. I think it's like 90-something on Rotten Tomatoes. Maybe eighty something by users, ninety something by critics, mm-hmm. but it just didn't do it for me. I, 
there was a, there was a lot of good scenes, and I wasn't ever bored while watching it. But oh man, this movie was really artsy, and I wasn't expecting it to be as much as it was. The ending was really off putting to me. The very last scene, I think I would have tasted this movie if not for the last scene and kind of how annoying it was to me. Hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't like. What did you think of this thing? Um, I think it's a. a- a movie that really showcases uh, Michael Keaton and Edward Norton's acting abilities. Yeah. Um, it's very meta, and I think it, uh, in a way that uses both of these actors really well. Um, I don't know I don't know everything about Michael Keaton, but um, maybe uh, as far as like him not wanting to be like defined as an actor who just was like Batman. Yeah, it's definitely no accident that Michael Keaton got cast in this right. role. Uh, Edward Norton, I think also, in my opinion, was using this movie as like kind of like an outlet, um, the same way that maybe John Favreau did, uh, you know, way he used Chef, uh, to show them, to show, to show that, you know, that he's a creative guy and, uh, the way he feels like acting is an art and, and that he he wants to be in the types of movies that they, that, that he wants to be in. And, and, um, maybe he does want a little bit more creative control, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I saw all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah. I, I'm, just, I'm just making, right now I'm just making. I'm on the edge of my seat to hear what, to, to hear your rating. I'm just making observations at this point. I know. Okay. He's um, teasing. Uh, I too thought the, the direct, uh, the direction was really good as the, the way that the director made it look like it, it was all taken from one single shot. Um, you know, the camera, it never breaks away, uh, never fades. Um, but you know that it wasn't filmed all in one take. Yeah. Uh, it takes place over like six or seven days, I was guessing. Right. And when it does fade, it just shows you an elapsed time, but it's still one shot. Um, it's, I think that was really cool. Um, I love the scenes where they're just like walking from like one location to another location so that it feels like you are, you're walking with them in the city and it feels like a very close kind of like experience. Like they'll leave, they'll, they'll leave the, um, the, the, uh, the, um, theater and then walk right to the bar and then from the bar, they'll just walk right back to the theater. And so like you get scenes from like them leaving the theater and it feels very personal. Like you're in the city with them. Yeah. I like that a lot too. I thought it also worked really well with the, uh, like the theater itself. It almost personified it and made it kind of a character where where I felt like I knew how to walk from the dressing room and get to the stage. Yeah. Like after seeing it done like five or six times, uh, Michael Keaton, he played this guy who was very distraught and unhappy. Um, I love the scene. I did like the scenes where he's talking to his subconscious and, and, uh, but his, uh, that was not him. It was the bird man. He's yeah. talking, he's talking to the bird man and yeah. that bird man haunts him. Yeah. It's like inner monologuing inside of him. Very like, like modern day Edgar Allan Poe shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like that. It's very cool. Edward Norton is so good in this fucking film. Um, the, my favorite scene was the scene with him and Michael Keaton and they're collaborating on a scene in the Broadway play. And Edward Norton is doing his best to make him go off script to bring more emotion into it. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that that – and they didn't break away from that. And I thought that that was just an amazing acting sequence between those two actors. I thought it was awesome. The performances were out of this world. This movie was such a strange beast for me like that. Like the performances were out of this world, but I kind of hated the story. 
And I, I just, I don't know. I just did not like it at all. So can I? Can yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Jesus Christ! Can I rate the goddamn thing? No. I was waiting. Fair I enough. keep waiting. Fair enough. I want to comment on the stuff you're saying too. You know what I'm saying? I'm sorry. No, it's fine. It's fine. All right. Um. All right. Uh. Yeah. I, I'm gonna Tupperware it. I just get to it because I'm, I'm done talking about it. I'm gonna Tupperware the movie. Yeah. I'm gonna Tupperware the movie number one because when I look at a movie, I'm gonna look at the movie for the acting. I'm gonna look at it for the story. And I'm going to look at for the direction. Um, I I thought I thought it I thought it nailed it on all three parts. I thought the acting of all these actors was absolutely phenomenal. Emma Stone played a great uh, recovering drug addict as his daughter. Um, he he played uh, he played this this straught man who uh, he, he he wanted basically he wanted to go back to acting as an art. And uh, and do this Broadway play mm -hmm. and uh, the play itself. I was interested in that. I would not be opposed to actually seeing like a DVD, like Blu-ray extra, where they actually recorded this entire play. I'd love to see the entire play. Um, I love the scene where he got locked out of the theater and was walking around the town in his underwear. Yeah, shit like that. Um, just overall, the acting, the the story, and the direction. I just thought was very ambitious. I love the the kind of like the uh, jazz music that they would play throughout it with the the drums and that almost became part of the story. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I loved it all. I, I thought it was a Tupperware. Yeah, I hated the music and the drums. They actually even at one point make it a literal part of the story where you actually even see the guy behind the door like playing the drums and everything. I thought it worked really well in the underwear scene, which was one of the better scenes in the movie to me. But that was like the only scene it worked. I was kind of tired of the drums, just the whole movie. I, yeah, the acting was A plus, but the story was F to me. I like, I didn't understand what the movie was trying to say in all of its ways. I mean, maybe I'm dumb and I didn't completely get it, but it's like it opens up with him like levitating and they like, they either A, hint that Michael Keaton's character has powers, or B, that he's just kind of fucked up in the head and, and, he, and he imagines it all. He imagines it all. It's, it's, it's all. He's all fucked up in the head. But then at the end, it really, I don't, gosh, should I, can I talk about the absolute end a little bit? Uh, I don't, don't get too spoilerish. I, I don't understand what the Sam, the daughter character, like what she does at the very end makes no sense to me if he's completely insane. Like, it's like at the very end, they almost take back the whole thing. It's, uh, it, yeah, yeah. Um, what makes me believe, like, he was imagining everything at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I think everything at the beginning was imagined, but every, but what happened at the end was real. That she needed to look up at the end? Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So everything, because, like, there's points where you think, like, is this actually happening? Is this real? At the beginning of the movie... But then they showed like the aftermath of that room that he had destroyed and stuff like that, and mm -hmm. like him just throwing stuff off the table physically. Yes. So, um, no, I just thought I thought it was a great movie that displayed that showed like like how Hollywood had affected this guy and how it affected his relationships with his daughter, with his um, uh, with his wife, his ex wife, and stuff like that. I thought it did a great job at that. I thought it was a great movie that showed how you know your actions can re reflect your relationships and he thought he was going to do something that was making him happy and it was actually just destroying him even more you know yeah. what i mean 
he was Birdman. He should have embraced it. You yeah. know what I mean? I can see that. Yeah, I just, I don't know if this movie just rubbed me the wrong way. It was really artsy and really pretentious to me. And even though it had such great performances, I just couldn't get behind the story. Uh, see, I loved it when they were on the, on, 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 uh, in, do, in the theater and the character of Edward Norton couldn't be aroused by a woman unless he was actually doing his art. You mm-hmm, know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And stuff like that. I just, I loved, dude, I just loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, if I never have to see this movie again the rest of my life, I'll be happy. Oh, so. I'll definitely watch it again. If it comes on like AMC or IFC or HBO or whatever, I'll watch it again. Yeah. I loved it. I, w- I would like to talk about it in the future once either A, Frank has seen it, like when it comes out on DVD or not, or B, like on an episode where Frank's not here. Because I'd really like to delve into my, some of my bigger complaints about it that have to do with like what happened in the last half an hour. To be honest, if you want, you can go ahead and jump on into spoilers. I won't watch it until it does come out on DVD, but by then I'll probably have forgotten it, what you I don't think this stuff I'm going to say is the kind of stuff you're going to be able to forget. It's um, kind of where, yeah. No, I mean, we can, I don't think our listeners. I'll give our listeners time to see it on DVD. Yeah, maybe too. like like a six month or after it's released on like DVD or Blu-ray, we can like revisit it. Or something. I was really disappointed, man. I, I love this cast. I really wanted to love this movie. Like I was, I was surprised at the end. I remember asking, I was like, "Did I hate that movie?" And I was like, <laughs> "I think I did." <laughs> I really liked it, and I'll watch it again. Yeah, uh, it just did not do it for me. Yeah, I, I like the music. It just made it feel like that. Uh, that it, it made it feel like a like an artsy New York thing. I mean, you're you're watching a movie where where they are trying to be. That's the thing. You're watching a movie where they are trying to make this like a legit Broadway artsy thing, and, yeah. and they've got that music there to kind of like back it up. And I enjoyed it. Yeah. I liked it. Its plot was kind of a little bit of a middle finger to the whole superhero genre too, like in, in some ways, right? A little bit. Yeah, but I can understand. But you got to look at it from the acting point of view. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking at it as like uh, I, I try to look at it outside of. I got to look at it from the actor's perspective and like what they're trying to get across. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we can all sit back and enjoy the Avengers and enjoy that for like the experience that we get out of it. But we don't know what like a, an actor like Edward Norton goes through when he's trying to be edward norton and like put his spin on the character too because they feel like they do have like some sort of like connection with the character when they're acting Mm -hmm. and being that character and i thought it was kind of like a cool like behind the curtains look as to like how it's very meta that way i I can see how anyone actually in the field of acting anyone in the biz i mean this has to be a they have to love this movie it has to be a darling to them I, I am not in the biz. I'm not acting or writing screenplays. So that's, I was just kind of like, I don't know. It for, did. for those reasons, that's why I found this movie fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, it did not do it for me. Great performances, but, uh, the story was just didn't hit for me. All right. Yeah. So, uh, toss it into Tupperware. So completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back with the pop culture leftovers news. A pinch of salt and laughter too A scoop of kids to add the spice A dash of love to make it nice And you've got too many cooks Too many cooks Too many cooks Honey, I think 
looks will spoil the broth, but they'll fill our hearts with so much, so much love. All right, hey, welcome back. It's time for the Pop Culture Leftovers News. Hear ye, hear ye, read all about it. It's a leftover news and there's no doubt about it. This news is gangster as fuck, yo. It's gangster as fuck, yo. All right, guys. Hey, uh, I'm a big fan of the show uh, Big Bang Theory, which I know you know some people aren't fond of, but I find it funny. It's humorous. I enjoy it. I just think that uh, it's cool that TV's number one show does have characters that enjoy reading comics and they love science fiction. Uh, by all means, I don't think that these characters are like the definitive representation of geek culture, but I do think the show is uh, – I think it's well-written and pretty funny. That's, that's all I'm saying. Well – Actress Carol Ann Susie, who plays Howard Wolowitz's mother, recently passed away in a battle with cancer. Hmm. Uh, I think it's very sad, and at this point in time, the writers are still not sure what they're going to do with the character. Um, she is just a voice on the show. You never see her face. So she's just like usually screaming at Howard from like an upstairs bedroom. You've never seen her face on the show. Um, they could either get another voice actress to replace her. Um, they could write in the character's death in the show. Yeah. Or they could have actually somebody playing her on screen. Uh, one time they tossed around, uh, this idea that they were wanting to get Roseanne to play her. Hmm. Um, which makes sense because of like, you know, her connection with the actor that plays Leonard. Her, you know, he was on Roseanne, uh, Darlene's boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then also Sheldon's mother played Jackie, her sister on Roseanne. So that makes sense. Um, but, uh, you know, I just wanted to point this out because I'm a, I'm a fan of the show. Um, and I, I just think it's sad that this actress died. You know, she, I think she was 62 and it just, she was diagnosed with cancer and it just snuck up on her really quick. Yeah, that is sad. I mean, that's, that's a tough challenge to tackle to figure out what to do when something so sudden happens like that. Yeah. So I feel sorry for the writers and the cast. Yeah. 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 Um, so we'll, I guess, you know, we'll, we'll, I'm going to keep, uh, up with the story and see what they plan on doing with that character. So the shows had a lot of longevity. What are we on season like seven or something? Seven like that? or eight. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we all top Tupperware, the, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which was the second installment in the rebooted series. Well, director Matt Reeves is returning as well as Andy Serkis, who will be returning as Caesar. So, while promoting the Blu-ray release of Dawn, they teased the third film, and here's what Reeves had to say. We want the story to be able to connect from the human to the ape world. So, first one, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, is sort of this, you know, how Caesar goes from humble beginnings to becoming a revolutionary. In Dawn, he rose to the occasion of becoming a leader, a great leader in a really challenging, difficult time. The notion of what we're after in the third is continue that trajectory to how he becomes the seminal figure in ape history and almost becomes sort of like an ape Moses of sorts, mm. a kind of mythic ascension. We're trying to play out those themes and try to explore it in this universe and exploring human nature under the guise of apes. Uh, he also had this to say in an interview with Collider. We are outlining the story right now, and it's pretty exciting. I'm pretty excited about it. I think for me the idea is that somebody called this the Caesar cycle of these films, and I loved that. I thought, that's exactly right. He is this unique character in that he sort of was raised as a human, but he's an ape, and he wasn't part of either. 
will the events of the second film have a direct effect on the third film? Uh, this situation is exactly what he is trying to avoid. The oncoming war is what Dawn was all about, avoiding, and it wasn't avoided. So what does that mean to him as a character, and how will he lead his people through this, or his apes through this? And then finally, speaking to Hollywood Reporter, Andy Serkis shared that sentiment of how the results in Dawn will influence the next movie. He said, the ape community has fallen apart. There's potential war. He's going to have to lead apes into darker times. I think it's going to be very powerful. Yeah, I'm excited. I can't wait to go back into this world. Me yeah. too. So, yeah. yeah, I loved the second one. I can't wait to see that again now that it's coming back out on Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. It just recently came back out, didn't it? Is it out now? I thought for sure it was. If it's not out already, uh, then it should be like the next week or two. Okay. should be coming out soon. I don't think it's out yet. Okay. I don't know. I could be wrong. I don't know. Yeah. I think I think it's maybe this Tuesday. You know what? I get confused sometimes too because they often release this stuff uh, ahead of time on your streaming mm-hmm. stuff. Different things like Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, iTunes, they'll mm-hmm. offer it up. Yeah. I know they're doing that with Guardians. You can get it streaming like on the 18th, but it's not available on Blu-ray till December or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and just because they had like a press conference about the release doesn't mean. I mean, Guardians that doesn't come out until next month, and they already yeah. had like the you know press conference and all that stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. December 9th. Yeah, but uh, the apes are going to war. And from the sounds of it, what I'm hearing here is they're setting this up to be like uh, Caesar as this mythic uh, ape. Like this Moses ape. Doesn't sound like they're done, done with these, though, though. No, that does not sound like the climax no, by any means. No, yeah. The, uh, and the third is the continue, that trajectory to show how he becomes the seminal figure in ape history and almost becomes sort of like an ape Moses of sorts. That Yeah, it sounds like from here they're still planning on more movies. Yeah, I, <clears> that did not sound like closure to me either. Me, I had yeah. the same thoughts coming out of that. So I expect them to do five or six movies in this franchise before rebooting again. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping they do as long as they can keep uh, Reeves around. Yeah, Reeves is great. I mm-hmm. hope he stays around too. Yeah, if they lose Reeves, I'll lose faith in the in in the product. <laughs> yeah, if they lose Andy Circus, I'll lose a lot of faith too. Well, they're gonna have to, and because uh, Caesar's gonna die, guys, eventually at some yeah. point. Yeah, so. Um, unless he comes back and plays like uh, another ape, like Caesar's offspring or something like that. Yeah. But, I mean, he's, they're going to lose him. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't sound like it's happening in, in the next couple of movies, though, still. Um, I, I think this is I – think, I think this could be it. I think this could be the trilogy for him. Okay. Um, I, I think like I think this is going to be the one that turns him, like they said, that mythic ascension – and I think the fourth movie will probably, in my opinion, after this war goes down, then I think humans are going to be out of it altogether. Mm-hmm. And then right, I think yeah. that that fourth movie is going to be set sometime in the future. And all it is is we are looking at a 100% ape civilization. Hmm. Right. Do you think eventually we'll call the movie like the fourth or fifth movie will just be called Planet of the Apes? Mm. Possibly, yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's finally got to get here. Yeah, rise, dawn, the afternoon of the planet of the age. Yeah, I wonder if we're going to see like Tea the return time. of like the Charlton Heston character, where you know what I mean, where yeah. like, human human does go through like the black cool. hole and and then goes back in time. Boom! Yeah. It's Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> as long as it's not Mark Wahlberg, I'm happy. Amen. No kidding. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, Jake. Yes. Some news from you this week. What was the big news? Uh, the big news is that Stars is going to have an Evil Dead show. Yes. Um, yes, Star New. It's going to be in 2015. It's going to be called Ash versus the Evil Dead, from what I hear. And we had talked about this before. We didn't know it was going to be with Stars, but we knew a pilot was going to be developed. Mm-hmm. And I was against this until they made a certain announcement. Yeah, and that announcement is Bruce Campbell is cast for the lead role. And yeah. now I I am 100% on board, and this is a 100% Tupperware on my end. Oh, for my end, too. Mm -hmm. Yes, they've greenlit. It's going to be 10 half-an-hour episodes. Um, They're going to serve as a sequel to the three movies, um, Evil Dead 1, Evil Dead 2, Army of Darkness. Um, He's going to reprise his role as a stock boy who doubles as a chainsaw-handed monster (laughs) hunter who, for the last 30 years, has avoided the responsibility of the Evil Dead. Um, Rob Tapert, Sam Raimi, both involved. Raimi's writing and directing the pilot episode. Um, what does Raimi say? I had a quote for Raimi up here. He says that he is thrilled to be given the chance to tell the next chapter in the lame but heroic story of Ash. Raimi also added that the audience will again have the chance to see Ash kick some major monster butt with his chainsaw arm and broomstick. A broomstick. A boomstick. <laughs> to, to this be, is my broomstick. <laughs> to be fair, I, I, they typoed on the article. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they did. <laughs> <laughs> when I, as soon as I said it, I looked up like, what the hell did I just say? Broomstick. Right. So, yeah, his boomstick. So oh, I'm super excited for this. I wish they were hour episodes, but maybe an hour would be too They're much. They're half-hour episodes? They're, it's yeah. ten half-an-hour episodes. Yeah, I'd be happier with hour episodes. I'd be happier with hour episodes, too. Down on the flip, I think it's perfect. I think it's a great idea not to get greedy and then just dip your toes in it and keep it fucking engaging. Mm-hmm. I like that it's on stars. I like yeah. that it can be as graphic as it needs to be. Well, look what stars has done. Mm-hmm. Stars has done some very graphic television uh-huh. definitely with the uh was it the spartacus and stuff like that yeah which is actually exact produced by Raimi and tapered also hmm. so oh. they do have a working relationship with stars already so yeah this is perfect it is perfect i i you know and that's the thing it's like uh bruce campbell has been so weird about this because like he in an interview one time he was like um, no, do you really want to see me come back and play Ash? I mean, we all saw in Indiana and he's no, he said this when he was in Decatur. I went to, uh, he would go from town to town and play. My name is Bruce. That movie that he made. Oh, I remember. And he was going on a tour town to town and mostly big cities. But one place that he goes to whenever he does these tours is the Avon theater in Decatur. And cause he's friends with Skip. Houston, who owns that theater. That's and awesome. It, 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 it's, Bruce Campbell has said this at conventions. They've asked him, like, what's your favorite theater to go to? And Bruce Campbell has said the Avon Theater in Decatur. And I go there to see – that's where I went to see Birdman, as nice. a matter of fact. And so I went to the My Name is Bruce premiere when he came to Decatur. And, like, he, we watched the movie and then he came out on stage and did a Q&A with everybody. That's awesome. Which was so much fun. Like, he's right there on stage and there I am and – and it's so cool. That movie was great. Too. He's and he's the same person uh-huh. in live that he is in the movies. <laughs> he's a sarcastic asshole. It's so awesome, uh, but he's lovable. Yeah. And he came out there. He's like, "What do you people do in Decatur?" 
what, what do you people, what do you farm people do? What do you, <laughs> what do you, you know, and he's so funny. And then like this one girl, she, I remember she, she, uh, she said, uh, you know, they're doing the Q and A and he, he asked this girl, like, what's your question? She's like, will you sign my arm? And he's like, why do you want me to sign my arm? She's like, as soon as I leave here, I've got a tattoo artist. She drove for like five hours to get there. Oh, shit. She's got a tattoo artist that's going to tattoo his signature into her arm. Oh, wow. And by all means, he did it. And signed her arm and shit like that. But somebody asked him, they said, you know, what about Army of Darkness 2? Is, mm-hmm. is that in the hopper? And he said, do you want to see Ash come back this old? He's like, we all saw Indiana Jones and uh, that last Indiana Jones movie. Mm-hmm. Do you really want to see me come back? You know, we saw the Crystal Skull. Yeah. And uh, he kind of played it off as a joke. But like in other interviews, he's always saying, yeah, I'd like to come back and do it. Mm-hmm. And so this, when I read this, it made me 100% happy yeah. to read this. So it's called uh, Evil Dead, uh, Bruce, uh, what is it, Ash versus the Ash Evil Dead? Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm, I can't wait to see this. I, I'm sure it's going to be hilarious. Raimi writing and directing the first episode just gives me insta-faith in it. You can be for sure he's going to be uh, doling out a lot of punishment on Bruce Campbell. <laughs> um, these two have known each other since high school, so kind of yeah. Kind of the advantage to Raimi having Bruce Campbell and being so close to him in these movies is he can for real beat the ever loving shit out of him in the yeah. making of these movies. Yeah. So it's always a lot of fun to see what Raimi's going to pull out and beat Bruce Campbell with every installment. I Do you remember, think they're going to give it like the same kind of like B movie cinematic feel? I think they will. I would hope so. That uh, it wouldn't be the same. Yeah, I think I I almost can see it having a shitty like video quality to it. Yeah. Even like yeah. maybe not the highest def quality to it. <laughs> right. Yeah, I can see that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've been into uh, both of those guys since Hercules and Xena when uh, Bruce Campbell would play Autolycus. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of fun stuff. I love Bruce Campbell too. Yeah. I think it was the first time like uh, I had seen like I, I, I saw Evil Dead 2 before I saw Evil Dead. Yeah. I saw Evil Dead at like a birthday party when I was like nine years old. Right. And I'm being scared shitless from it. <laughs> yeah. And then was scared to watch Evil Dead 2, not right. realizing that it's the kind- same movie. Yeah. yeah. But with more comedy. Exactly. Yeah. It was blown away by Evil Dead 2 when I saw it for the first time. Yeah. When I was a kid, I wasn't allowed to watch Evil Dead 1 or 2. I could only watch Army of Darkness and that was it because it was ham, you know, a lot more hammy than the first two. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nearly as gory. So can we all agree that when this does get dropped we're all going to be subscribing to stars oh, yeah definitely yeah. or at least or at least one of us is and the rest will piggyback <laughs> <laughs> i'll be getting stars for damn sure yeah, yeah definitely you can always you know stars is really good where if you just wait till this comes out you can call and usually get like two to three months for free right and then just drop the shit when the show's gone yeah so. i do that with hbo sometimes yeah i do the same thing so yeah. I'm excited. I Tupperware the news. Right. I Tupperware the news too. Okay, and you know, I was exci- I was hoping to get like a. Uh, this makes more sense though. I was hoping to get like a two hour movie, but uh, if I can get five hours of uh, more Ash, I'm happy. Yeah, five hours of more Ash. That's that's like two movies, exactly. three movies. Yeah, it is exactly so. exactly. I'm just not. God, I'm just gonna like watch that first episode and be like, oh my god, I want I want next week's. Yeah, yeah I know, right. <laughs> I know. It'll be interesting to see episode two, the first non Raimi written episode you know i wonder who the rest of the team's going to be writing and directing that show um i'm sure his brother will be involved yeah you're probably right yeah so yeah i can't wait for that yep 
Uh, let's move on to the DC news. Sure. Please. All right, DC news. Uh, these are some quick news points I have. Latino Review and The Wrap are both reporting that director Michelle McLaren, one of the uh, directors that we mentioned on a previous episode, mm-hmm. uh, best known for her work on 11 episodes of Breaking Bad, is the front runner for the Wonder Woman movie. Hmm. She was one of those directors that we had named. Okay. Uh, she's also done three episodes of The Walking Dead, four episodes of Game of Thrones, one episode of The Leftovers on HBO, hmm. not, not our show, and uh, has worked on one episode of the upcoming Better Call Saul, the, wow. the Breaking Bad spinoff. So, yeah, uh, they also said that, though, she's the front runner, but that doesn't mean that she's going to be the director and that they are not just looking at female directors, that they are also looking at some male directors as well. Hmm, that's interesting. So that'd be your first, like, theatrical debut, basically. Looks like it, yes. Hmm. Yes. And it's kind of – is that good or is that bad? I mean, you think that you, she, they would uh, – like a studio, they'd want to have her do, like, a lower-budget studio film first. Mm-hmm. To kind of get her feet wet. I mean, even Gareth Edwards, who did Monsters, did something, a, a movie before he did, you know, um, uh, Godzilla. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes it can work. Sometimes it can't. I mean, look at like the Rousseau brothers. Yeah. Like it, it worked okay for them. Maybe not so much with Alan Taylor. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. So it's hard to say. It could go either way, I think. At least yeah. what she's done is, you know, good stuff. Yeah, I yeah I agree. I'm I'm I'd like to know what episode she wrote. I think yeah. Alan Taylor had Alan Taylor been given the uh, Ragnarok movie. Yeah, maybe that would have been better. I mean, they didn't really give us the best Thor stories, and Ragnarok, the end of all things, is a little bit more epic than the, the Malekith, the dark stuff, world, the dark Malekith. Yeah. I can I can see that. Yeah, the shining star of that movie is definitely the Loki Thor stuff. Right. Yeah, big time. Well, Loki. Tom Hiddleston makes more money than Chris Hemsworth in these films, anyway. <laughs> I believe it. So <laughs> it's true. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, actor Jai Courtney, who will be in the upcoming Terminator Genesis, according to Variety, is reportedly in talks to play a role in the Suicide Squad movie. He recently played John McClane's son in the PG-13 Die Hard movie that nobody talks about ever. Um, he would like – he is petitioning and would like to play the role of Deadshot according to the reports. Um, I personally find all of the Suicide Squad talk a little confusing. Um, you know, when they first mentioned the names of the actors, you know, Ryan Gosling, Will Smith, and Margot Robbie – I kind of figured that DC wanted Gosling to play Deadshot. Mm-hmm. Then the rumor was that they were looking for Gosling. They wanted him to play the Joker, and he turned that down. And then we get the Jared Leto rumors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then I started thinking that maybe they were looking at Will Smith to be Deadshot. Mm. So with Jai Courtney in the mix, I think that DC isn't looking at uh, a white or a black actor specifically – but they're taking more of the Fox Studios approach when it comes to like, you know, Fantastic Four mm-hmm. and them casting an African American actor, Michael B. Jordan, as Johnny Storm. I think that they're just wanting to pick the best actor to play that part. Yeah. So yeah. B- between these two names, well, okay, Jai Courtney as, as Deadshot, yay or nay? Yeah, I, 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 I'm not familiar, not familiar with that character. So I'll toss it. Yeah. I toss it all day. Really? He doesn't have that edge, in my opinion, to be to be dead shot. I, I want somebody that's going to be able to play, 
you know, at, at times, I mean, you're, you're looking with an all, an all sinister crew, but you, you're kind of rooting for them because, like, Amanda Waller's such a bitch. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, so, the... I want somebody that can kind of play both sides of the fence. And when I look at, when I look at Jai Courtney, I just think of like American apple pie. Good boy. I don't see I don't see somebody with like a little bit of a dark side that could play dead shot. That makes sense. I can, I can understand that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm neutral on this. I'm Switzerland. I don't really know. Hmm. What do you think, Frank? Oh, I agree with Brian as far as the, whoever plays him needs to have an edge. I mean, you're, it, if I'm not mistaken, he's basically like a uh, mercenary of the same caliber as like Deadpool with no humor. I mean, he's fucking amazing. Guns, knives, swords. Hmm. Yeah, I, Deadshot is. I don't know. Yeah, the, the, the you'd have to see like uh, you'd have to read some of the 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 comics, and you'd have to. You'd have to. It, it's different. The character's different in the Suicide Squad because they are they are bad, evil characters, but they're being forced to do these missions, these black op missions that they don't want to be. But if they don't do these missions, they've got these nano bombs in their neck and they'll blow up. Amanda right. Waller will just blow them up, and um, it's kind of like the DC's Thunderbolts, right? A little bit. Yeah, ex- exactly. Uh, it's exactly what. It, See the thing is, it's like, um, like in this newest Batman uh, Assault on Arkham, the character of Deadshot is almost portrayed like the the hero up until the point where they introduce Batman into it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So then he's not the hero anymore. It's it's an interesting dynamic uh, be- between all the, all the characters in the Suicide Squad. It, it, this could be a really, really good movie. Uh, it makes a lot more sense to do a Suicide Squad movie mm-hmm. than it does to do like a Sinister Six film, in my opinion. I, I can totally get that. Yeah. I, I, it's a, to me, it's a waste to do a Sinister Six movie before introducing those characters where the Suicide Squad seems like a perfect platform to introduce these characters. Right. So, yeah. It seems like kind of wasting all those great villains in do you one think big that- blah, you know? And I'm thinking, like maybe, like the you know, like the Assault on Arkham uh, animated movie. One of the reasons I think you know Harley Quinn is like so gung ho about breaking into Arkham is because she does know the Joker's there. Mm-hmm. Maybe they could incorporate that into this movie. Maybe that's where Jared Leto's character comes into play if he does play the Joker. Harley Quinn plays a part in him getting released from Arkham. You know, that's mm-hmm. like kind of like a side mission that she's on, and she gets him. Out of Arkham Asylum. That makes total sense. You know? And that opens that universe up and then gives us a tease to, like, a a Batman solo movie. Right. Mm. Yeah, I could see that. So, yeah. I I don't know. Um, But between those two actors, if I were to guess, like, let's say they are looking at Will Smith as Deadshot and Jai Courtney. Between those two actors, I'll pick Will Smith. But on the flip side of that, I'll take somebody else over Will Smith too. Yeah, give yeah. me somebody. Get throwing. Let's let's throw some other names into the hat. Neither of those no, uh, neither of those names get me really excited either. Yeah, mm-hmm. if uh, if uh, Marvel already cast Frank Grillo as um, uh, if they already cast him as uh, Crossbones, um, I'm saying maybe maybe Frank Grillo would be a good Deadshot, but. 
I'm not not 100% sold on him as the look, but um, I can understand why they were if. I could understand why they like it, but before like the Ryan Gosling Joker rumors, I could kind of understand why they might be looking at Ryan Gosling for Deadshot because like in Drive he played like a kind of like a kind of like a fucked up character. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, that's interesting. Didn't didn't he say he kind of based that off of like being a Bruce Wayneish type character? Did Ryan Gosling said that? Yeah. Oh, I didn't hear that quote. No. Yeah. So about his performance in Drive. Hmm. So, yeah. I don't think it would happen, um, but what would you think if you're going to go uh, with an African-American about Denzel? Too old. Too old? Yes. Okay. A little too old. And, uh, you know, c- coming right off the Equalizer movie, Yeah. I don't think it helps him either. Ah, gotcha. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that Equalizer, I can't wait to see that. That was a big hit. Yeah, once you watch the Equalizer, then... I don't know, man. It'll be interesting. Like once I want to hear what you have to say about uh, compare the Equalizer to John Wick. Okay, I, I yeah. can see why you'd want to compare those two. Yeah. They were kind of the, the two big action dramas yeah. at the time. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I gave I gave uh, Equalizer a high taste it, but I had to give John Wick the Tupperware. Yeah. So, all right, guys, got some more uh, news about Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice coming out of BatmanNews.com. So one thing I think we've always kind of agreed. And when it comes to this movie, was the fact that we don't need to see an origin of Batman mm-hmm. as uh, far as, as far as like the Wayne family murder goes. Right? We get it. <laughs> I mean, been there, done that. <laughs> I mean, really? Come on, we've seen it a hundred fucking times. Mm-hmm. I've even seen people joking around at like Comic Con and stuff. They're dressed as the Waynes. They run up to people, and I posted that on Facebook. Yeah, actually. that was fucking great. Yeah, there's uh, at, at cons. Uh, there were two. There's a, a a man and a woman. They dressed up like the Wayne. Oh, I saw this too. Yeah, yes. they, they dressed, laid out. Let me talk. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'll tell. Let me tell our listeners that didn't see it. These two people would dress up like the Waynes. Uh, you know, uh, Thomas and Martha Wayne. And every Batman that they saw on the floor, they would rush up to him, bum rush him, <laughs> lay down on the ground next to him, and then. Act like they were the the dead parents, <laughs> and people would snap pictures. It was absolutely genius. Fuck yes, it was. That is absolutely genius. So those cosplayers, what will what will they think of next? <laughs> but how many times have we seen the fucking cartoons? Mm. We we just saw it in Gotham for crying out loud. Yeah, we've seen it in like every Batman movie they've ever made. You definitely. How many times do we need to see this? I, I whine about the same thing with every Spider-Man t- reboot where it's like, oh, my God, Uncle Ben again. Yeah. Even <laughs> though I knew it was coming, though, I, I think my favorite depiction of it is in Gotham. Yeah, that's a very good one. That kid is such a great actor. He really is. All right, guys. So here's the news that I promised you from BatmanNews.com. The Batman v Superman Donna Justice crew were photographed by Instagram user Dan Marcus putting up shows on a theater marquee and bringing in old cars. The scene is expected to film around 7 p.m. tonight, and it could last until 6 a.m. tomorrow. And the Mark of Zorro is the main attraction on this marquee and just happens to be the movie that Bruce Wayne saw with his parents in the comics before they were killed as they were leaving the theater. It wouldn't be a Batman movie without a Thomas and Martha Wayne murder scene. And it appears likely that that's exactly what we're getting. 
Yay! Another god. And we've already, like, I thought it was gonna, like, I thought that they were just gonna show us, like, the headstones. Mm-hmm. Cause we saw the cemetery scene, you know, like the pictures from that. Mm-hmm. But no, mm-hmm. they're going fucking all out. We're gonna get to see Batman's parents <laughs> murdered probably for like the 50th time. <laughs> yeah, you're not, you're not gonna see that coming when they, when they exit that movie, right? That'll be, that'll be a shock. Maybe they'll change it up. They'll change his origin. <laughs> they'll change his origin and they'll they'll live in this oh, one. Fuck. It'll be the big twist. <laughs> this time, this time they're gonna make it. I saw a cartoon where uh, they had Superman fighting Batman, and Batman says, "You can never defeat me." And Superman says, "Oh yeah," and he spins the Earth backwards and saves the Waynes. Mm-hmm. And then he leans down and talks to a young Bruce. He goes, "I win." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That is funny. Yeah. So I love the Superman turning the earth backwards to make time go back. <laughs> Comic book. I think, it, I, think Nolan. It, I think it would be funny if like the movie theater, the, the marquee said uh, Dumb and Dumber 2. And then they cut to like, you know, Thomas Wayne just saying, hey, let's just stay home tonight. There's nothing good. Pla- There's nothing good playing. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen the uh, little clips that said like one change of a line like that would change like the whole movie, mm-hmm. like destroy it? Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. All right, guys. So Collider, the same media outlet that gave us the report that Warner Brothers was looking to cast Ryan Gosling, Will Smith, and Margot Robbie for roles in director David Ayer's Suicide Squad movie, that they've reported that they have sources saying Margot Robbie will be cast as Harley Quinn in the film. Here's the quote from the report. It's not much. They say, we have now learned from sources that Robbie will play Harley Quinn. Now... If this is true, then I 100% believe that uh, they were looking to cast a new Joker. Um, now, what I failed to mention is that one of those names on the list we didn't talk about last week. Um, apparently, DC was looking to cast – yeah, yeah. I already talked about this. They were looking to cast Ryan Gosling as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assume that they were looking at Deadshot. But uh, yeah, I think that this news—I think this news just uh, further reiterates the the fact that there that they that there will be a Joker. Yeah, I think there's definitely. It's it's hard to imagine a Harley without a Joker in some form or another. So right. I think we're gonna get it. Right. Margot Robbie is Harley Quinn. Um, you don't really have a lot to say on this, do you? Actually, just I saw a side by side shot today, and just based on that, I taste it. it. It looked really good. Like she looked like she could look the part. Yeah, she does. Wait, what? Have you have either of you seen Wolf on Wall Street? No, no I have not. Unfortunately, please not. watch that movie. I've you're, got it on my DVR. You're really doing yourself a disservice by not watching it. It's a fantastic Scorsese film. Gotcha. It's really good. What premium service is it on right now, Frank? Oh, I, I had recorded it off of I want to say HBO a couple months back. Okay, should be on HBO Go then. Yeah, yeah that's why I so, asked. Yeah. Um. Yeah, definitely check it out. I mean, the the boat scene is amazing. The Lamborghini scene is fucking amazing. <laughs> it is so damn good. Great movie. Watch it. Um, we haven't talked about this on the show, uh, but there's a ton of uh, fans of the Flash show on the CW uh, CW that are speculating a theory about the character of Harrison Wells in the show. He's that guy in the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Um. I've seen the rumor being tossed around for a pa- for like the past few weeks, and I haven't discussed it on the show because I didn't really have any good evidence to back up the theory uh, until now. Uh, the theory is that uh, Harrison Wells is Barry Allen from the future, 
that's now in the past. Whoa. But I read an article from Bleeding Cool's Mark Bristow that I want to read because I think it does the best job of getting this theory across. All right. Listen to this very closely. It's very, it's a really awesome article. And I've heard this rumor. It's just – I didn't know how to pr- approach it. And then I read this article and it's so damn good. Dr. Harrison Wells is Barry Allen, approximately 15 years older. The Flash has been swerving viewers into believing Wells to be sort of a villain. Zoom, perhaps? But it's only that a sw- it's only that a swerve. We know that it's likely that Eddie Thawne is Zoom, using a first name Elias that sounds accurate to the times. All of Wells' actions have been geared towards securing a certain future, and Wells has a suspicious knowledge of Barry's powers work of how Barry's powers work. Viewers assume he's using calculations, but Wells is rarely shown doing so. The answers just come from the top of his head. If you pay close attention, it seems Wells has seen all of this before. This is known history to him. We know that in 2024, the Flash vanishes in a crisis. Guys, remember at the end of that first pilot episode, they show him looking at that newspaper headline and it says, Flash missing, vanishes in crisis. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's dated 2024. In reality, he only vanished because he was chasing Thawne back in time to try to prevent his mother's death. Something happens that leaves Barry stranded in 2014 without any superpowers. He's only left with a ton of time to prepare for the future, knowing that he will encounter his younger self soon and debut as The Flash. Wells has suggested to other characters that he wants to reclaim what he's lost. Viewers assume he means his natural mobility but he's actually referring to his speed powers and his mother. We recently learned that Barry Allen is 25 years old. Do the math. 25 years old in 2014 plus 10 years equals 35-year-old Barry Allen in 2024. If Wells has been trapped in the past from the moment Zoom killed Barry's mother, then add another 15 years or so to it. 35 plus 15, equals 50 years old, approximately the age Harrison Wells appears to be on the show. There's also the issue of his name. In the past, Barry has listed The Time Machine as his favorite book. Who's the writer of that book? H.G. Wells. Oh, okay. This is Barry being a dork about his clever Elias with alias of Dr. Harrison Wells. Dr. Wells' glasses and wheelchair are there as a disguise, a cover. He didn't start using the chair until he anticipated meeting Barry Allen and having people witness their interactions. He's trying to increase the difference between their similarities while still remaining familiar to the people who've known him for the past 15 years. Hmm. What jump-started this theory? I was using the flash as background noise and found that I was confusing Dr. Wells and Barry's lines due to the similarities in their voice and delivery. Then I compared their faces their nose, their mouth, their ears and hair, their build. The actor was obviously cast due to his similarities to Grant Gustin, if aged close to 50, and has been delivering his lines similar to Gustin. Dr. Harrison Wells is Barry Allen, age 50-ish. Having gotten stranded in the past at age 30, around 15 years ago, 
while pursuing Zoom back in time to save his mother. Yeah, that's a, that's that's interesting. That's a really cool plot line. If that's the case, mm-hmm. I like I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. So I love all that time time travel noise <laughs> stuff. So. Right. And it's not overly complicated. Am I the only one? Have you watched any of The Flash, Frank? Little bits and pieces here and there. (laughs) On in the background. So no. Okay. And then you've seen the pilot. I watched the first three episodes. First three episodes, and you don't like it. I don't much care for it. I don't know. It just doesn't do anything for me. I find it a chore to watch. Um, Rating these new TV shows, I'm going to have to go with Arrow is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Second favorite is Gotham. Um third favorite is going to be uh, Flash, and then my fourth favorite is uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, the Captain Cold of Flash left a little to be desired. Um, the Freak of the Week thing is getting a little old. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was telling Jake in a text earlier today, I would just be happy to see an entire episode of just Barry Allen using his powers just to save people. Yeah, I can see that. Where do you, um, I'm curious, um, where you fit Constantine in that list. Is it worse than S.H.I.E.L.D. yet still? I'm three episodes in Constantine and, um, Constantine is really, really, uh, the, 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 the last two episodes have been better, but they have done the exact same thing these last two episodes. Um, at, at the, you know, they set up this whole episode and there's a villain, there's something going on where he has to figure out, you know, who the villain is or whatever. And then by the end of the episode, he gives an incantation mm-hmm. and it's all wrapped up. Oh, that's silly. Um, and the exact same thing happens in the third episode. He, at the very, like, the, you can always ex- uh, expect, like, um, I, it's been the same thing for me. Like I, I have a DVR and I fast forward everything and I can see how many minutes are left in the show mm-hmm. at, at the end of the commercials. Well, at the, at like at the last scene, at the last, like the third arc of the, of the show, the last act, there's 17 minutes left. And I always know within the last 17 minutes, he's going to give an incantation and wrap everything up with that <laughs> in the second. Okay. Let me just explain in the second episode. Um, it, it all takes place. Like there's an evil that's been awoken in this mine. And, um, by the end of the episode, like he shows up at this woman's house. Um, he finds out that this woman, she's the one that's been bringing these demons back. And he summons a demon to take her back into hell. And I won't spoil who it is, but she summons a demon to take her into hell, and with her, she takes the other demons back with them. And in this last episode, the, pretty much the exact same thing happens. In the last 17 minutes, he like recites this incantation, and somebody gets dragged into hell, and the whole thing's over with. It, it's very repetitive as to where it's going. I want to see different things happen with different characters. Yeah, that's not good just three episodes in, too, that you've already picked up the pattern. It's a pattern so far, and they, I ne- they need to break it. They need to break it. Um, yeah, but Constantine, where would that fall? Um, it's hard to gauge Constantine after three episodes that I've seen and compare it to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., so I'm just going to p- kind of put those two on par with one another at this okay. point. Okay, okay. Yeah. Not the highest compliment, but not the biggest diss. Exactly. So, um... But, uh, yeah, I am loving, I, I gotta get caught up on Arrow, but like, I am, uh, I've watched the first season and the second half of the second season, and I love Arrow, and I am loving Gotham, and I am tasting The Flash, yeah, and I am low tasting both Constantine and, um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I saw a logo for the, uh, Green Arrow Flash 
crossover they're going to do. Posted that on our Facebook oh. page. Yeah, so you yeah. got to get caught up in time for that, huh? Absolutely, I do need to get caught up. I, I'm, 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 I'm recording like all the Arrow episodes for this season. I just need to find out if I can watch like the second half of second season on Netflix. It is on Netflix. I'm almost positive. And I need to catch up. I'll have plenty of time to do that. Yeah, almost positive it's on Netflix. Right. Um, this next story ties into The Flash as well. Uh, actor Stephen Amell, who stars as Oliver Queen on Arrow, was in an interview with Arrow after the show. I think it's like an online show. Okay. And their hashtag is like Arrow after the show. And they interview – it's kind of like a talking dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just that the CW doesn't have – you know what I mean? They don't have it directly on after the show. It's like right, something you yeah. catch on the web. Okay. Uh, and they had this to say about Warner Brothers, and he had this to say about Warner Brothers' announcement of their new lineup of movies. So this is Stephen Amell reacting to like Warner Brothers announcing like Wonder Woman, Cyborg, you know, the Green Lantern, <laughs> the Flash movie. Everybody else. Um, I'm going to play the audio here, and I want to know your guys' thoughts on this, and if this is something that he should have said. Or has the right to say if you agree with it or if you disagree with it. And really listen to what he has to say. And his, uh, and his, uh, yeah, let me just play this and then I'll have you guys just, you know, give your opinion. Let's hear it. I want them to be separate because I don't want Steven, Guggenheim's, all the, I don't want their hands to be tied by whatever's going on in the movie universe. I want them to have the complete creative freedom they've had up until this point to do whatever the hell they want to do because that's what's given us such great television. But what, as the performer in it, what is your take on all that? Oh, boy. (laughs) Are we live? (laughs) I thought that uh, the way that Warner Brothers announced the slate of uh, DC movies... Could have been handled better. And I think that someone like Grant Gustin, who has just launched an iconic uh, character like The Flash to record-breaking numbers, numbers that far surpassed uh, Arrow's numbers. But that was Um, thanks to your show. Yeah, for sure. All that being said, (laughs) I, I think that he should have been given a wider berth then two episodes before another actor was announced to play uh, his character. All that being said, uh, that's because I'm protective of Grant, and that's because I think that producing 23 episodes of superhero television is more difficult than producing a feature film. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's 23 episodes again and again and again and again. Right. And as Peter Roth says, for 12 years, oh, God. <laughs> um but I, 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 I've never seen a need for the television side and the feature side to cross over. Um, this is nothing that I haven't that I haven't said before. I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, I'm sure that Ezra Miller will will do great. As he is wonderful, he's a as, wonderful actor. as the Flash. And if they found a great Oliver Queen, fantastic. And I've had some great chats with people at Warner Brothers. Again, I thought that the whole timing of the announcement, the most important day that you can ever have as a television show is when your ratings come out for your second episode, not your first episode. Right. Because anybody can be trained to watch a pilot. 
Right. It's it's the people that come back when they haven't been inundated with advertisement and they decide, I watched this show a week ago, I'm going to watch it again because I enjoyed myself the week before. Right. The, the call that I got from Peter Roth, who runs Warner Brothers Television, the enthusiastic call came after episode one, and then the absolute awesome, let's go 12 years, baby, call <laughs> came after episode two. Right. So I thought that it was shitty that all of this stuff got announced the morning that the ratings, the spectacular ratings of the second episode of The Flash came in. All that being said, uh, everyone wants to judge things immediately. The plan that Warner Brothers has, and it's a wonderful plan overall, and DC has for the introduction of the Justice League of America and all of these standalone films, it's going to take place over the course of five, six, seven, eight years. Right, right. Right? Who's to say what's going to happen? I, I, I mean, I've had some great conversations with Jeff Johns, uh, who runs DC, right. or who's the chief creative officer at, at DC. Diane Nelson runs DC. And we had these conversations shortly after these announcements were made. And I came away from the conversation feeling great. All right. Uh, Frank, I'm going to ask you first. Uh, Jake, I'm going to let you think about it. What do you think about these comments from Stephen Amell? And do you agree with him? I I think it was a very, very well thought out response. Uh, I don't think he was, you know, talking in PC terms in any way, shape or form. But he was able to really get out that it, it wasn't fair to Grant Gustin, who, you know, he was knocking it out of the park. To do that and say, okay, well, now we got this other thing. It's not only not fair to Grant Gustin, but it's also not fair really to the franchise. You never let it get any legs. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, okay, two episodes this guy, and now we're going to jump into this guy. So, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with them. Yeah, okay, so you can have two different actors, but don't tell everybody, you know, just after the second episode comes out of one of the shows. So, yeah, okay. No, those are great points. Jake. Yeah, wow. I... I can't imagine Warner Brothers is happy with um, Steven coming out and straight up saying that it's shitty what they did. But I have nothing but respect for him for being honest and truthful about what he thinks about it. But yeah, wow. I mean, his uh, the, his public or the guy that he works for his Warner Brothers liaison is probably telling him, "Oh my gosh, you got to curb that." But yes and no. Yeah. Um, let me explain this a little bit and. Uh, no, I'm going to let you finish your thoughts. Yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's okay. Um, but yeah, I, I can totally see what he's saying. I mean, let give the guy some breathing room as the flash before you just smother out the fire. I mean, they obviously have a fire burning there. Why blanket it with this other name immediately like that? And I, I like how he kind of hints that you never know what could happen. I mean, yeah. they have this thing mapped out, but money talks and bullshit walks. So if it right. doesn't work, the whole thing could be, you know, for nothing. I personally think, number one, that on both sides, DC and Marvel, Mm -hmm. I don't think that either of them give each other respect at all. And and I'm saying that it doesn't work. You know what? I'm not even going to say that it works both ways. I'm thinking that the TV side wants the respect from the cinematic universe. And I'm saying that the Marvel people aren't giving Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. enough respect Mm -hmm. on the TV side. 
I'm not saying it's Kevin Feige, but I'm saying it's other people within Marvel not putting too much stock into that show. And I'm also going to say that the people at Warner Brothers aren't putting much too much stock into their TV side. Mm-hmm. They don't give them enough respect. Um, I think I think it's a strained relationship between the departments of the TV and and uh, the, the the movie side. Yeah, you could definitely feel a little of the bitterness of that right. from some of the right. stuff Stephen was saying. How he like pointed out how much harder it is to right. do the TV side than it is the movie side. Yeah. And I, I honestly I think Stephen's like representatives on the TV side mm-hmm. are, they probably gave him like a like a like a. Uh, like a high five when he got done with that. Right. Yeah. Cause it's, you know what? They can't say it cause they might lose their job, but you can't fire Oliver Queen. No, you right. can't that easily replace Arrow. The exactly. Star of show. Exactly. So he's like, he's their voice. He's the guy sticking up for them. So I think once he got out of that interview, his agent mm-hmm. and the guys, the, the heads of like the, the, you know, Warner Brothers, like the CW and all that stuff mm-hmm. over there, they probably were, they, they, they probably were like, Oh, I can't believe you said that, Steven. And then gave him a wink. Mm-hmm. You know, what i mean because i'm sure they feel the exact same way as he does on this yeah that's a shame that they're so separate and over in warner brothers land the uh, movie and the tv division same thing goes with marvel jake Mm -hmm. it's the same thing over at marvel It, it even though these are connected universes they don't give as much because the money maker isn't agents of shield no. They're not making all the money in the merchandising and in all the movies and stuff like that. The TV side doesn't make as much movie money as the the cinematic universe. Oh, yeah, I, I get it's that. It's the same thing on both sides. It seems a little bit more extreme in the WB camp, though, because at least in the Marvel camp, they're actually like there is that effort to like have both kind of advertise one another. Where, like Steven's complaining about in that interview, the one is just kind of squashing out the other ones. If you look more into it on the Marvel side, mm-hmm. there's a lot of strained relationships between the head of the TV department and the head of the cinematic stuff. No, and there I, is. I, I, I'm not of, arguing A lot that. of creative differences, and they've, they've, they've gone to battle before, too. But at least you're seeing an attempt at, at both of them playing off of one another where they're just blatantly not doing that over in Warner Brothers camp. The one thing that I can totally respect that Stephen Amell didn't do, which I thought he was going to do in this interview, was we all know, and he can say whatever he wants to about these universes being separate. Mm-hmm. He, I think he really did want to be part of the cinematic universe. I mean, he's posted, <clears throat> he's tweeted stuff and everything else. I felt some bitterness there too. But he didn't say that in this interview, and for that I applaud him. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. You know, good for you. Um, I totally agree with Stephen Amell, 100%. I, I don't think that studios really give uh, some of the actors the respect that they should. Um, the Flash did shatter records for the CW, and what do they do? They overshadow it uh, with this news of this announcement, and it wasn't even a proper announcement. It was just like this guy came out there and read off this stuff and laughed. It wasn't like that big Marvel presentation. Yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. And um, look, guys, Arrested Development, uh, the TV show, it won an Emmy, and then the next show came out, and the ratings did not improve. Mm-hmm. And so when they went back to the set to film new episodes of Arrested Development, there was this little tiny banner that said something like, congratulations on your Emmy. And within a few days, it was taken down. <clears throat> and there was no big party. There was no gratitude from the network. Mm-hmm. Um, no phone calls to the actors. No, no, no phone calls to Mitch Hurwitz. Nothing. 
and they they were the executives were wanting or they were wanting because of the ratings the and network executives were wanting arrested development to fail so that they could take it off the air so they could cancel it but it won an emmy mm-hmm. so they felt like they had to keep it on a little bit longer now, because they, they'd already run into this problem with the Ben Stiller show, they'd canceled the show. Next thing you know, it wins an Emmy. Yeah, <laughs> and they got a lot of heat for that. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to run into that again. Okay, and then when Roseanne was still on the air, you know, uh, they were she was shattering records. You know, they were the number one TV show at the time, and the network executives they were upset with her because of like her behavior, decisions that she's made on the show, directions that she took the show in. They wanted her to like rein it in a little bit. They wanted more creative control and she's like the show's named after me and the show's successful because of me. And the when she was winning Emmys and awards and things like that, to show their gratitude to her, they gave her a cake on it <laughs> that said congratulations. And this is like other shows like, you know, like the Cosby show and Cheers. Um, networks, when they were winning, were giving them and their actors these luxurious gifts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And she gets a cake. So it's a complete slap in the face to all the hard work that these people have put in, especially for Grant Gustin shattering these records in the CW. You think that, like, it would, guys, let it, let it just marinate for one or two weeks Mm -hmm. before you take the wind out of their sails. I agree. I am 100% agreement with Stephen Amell. Good for you, dude. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. So, yep, I don't think it's cool at all. Taking the spotlight off him. So, let's move on to Marvel news. I'm glad you guys are in agreement with me. I thought Jake was going to be like, I can't believe he's speaking out against the network. And <laughs> no, no, I totally agree. Awesome. I mean, that, that's it's like, come on, give it at least six episodes yeah. for this guy to be the fucking Flash. Yeah, right? something. <laughs> yeah, Jeez Louise. All right, Marvel news. Actor Toby Kebbell, who was cast as uh, who we thought was Doctor Doom in the Fantastic Four movie. Gave us some interesting news. Oh, jeez. In an interview with IGN about his character in the film. And uh, I wanted to play that interview. Now, I, I have to ask you in the, in the time I have left, um, obviously we're, we're also big comic book fans there. And I know you can't say much about um, Dr. Doom, but in your mind, is Dr. Doom a villain or is he a misunderstood or tragic character like Koba? Well, Doom is we're playing him. I mean, this is like thankfully a very realistic lo-fi kind of attempt at a superhero movie you know um josh trank who who did chronicle he did that kind of realistic and regardless of what you think of it he did a lot with very little and that's the same approach it was taken on on this one i can tell you a couple of things he's not von doom he's domashev and my whole thing was getting his voice just right. I've watched the cartoon. I've seen so much. And when I was a kid, that voice I imagined was the voice I tried to portray. It was that voice of a person who's been in a country. You know, when I was a kid, it was, you know, a, an Eastern European who's been in England. They kind of have an English accent, but you can tell they're not from there. Yeah. And so now this is Von Doom or Domashev as we've got him in this movie. And he's in America so I did the American accent with that kind of hint that element now we got him as Doom because he's a programmer and on in, in wherever he is chat rooms he's Doom 
so they're, they're the only bits I can give just because you sure, are a no. solid fan and I hope right. it's not upsetting anyone but the voice for me was so vitally important uh, nothing else was under my control you know this is a, a huge huge feature film so, so, so the, the as much as I could influence it basically, as, as much as I could influence it it was from my imagination of when I used to read the comic books what he would be like and how he awesome. was that's, that's what I focused on that's really what I had there because I'm a fan too all right. Uh, that was hilarious. So he's not uh, Victor Von Doom. He's Dom Chev. Yeah. But on the online dating sites, he's known as Doom, it sounded like. Yeah. <laughs> his blogger name. Yeah, his blogger name. What are we getting? Oh, are we fuck. getting fantastic? Uh, okay. So are we getting a Fantastic Four reboot or are we getting Swordfish 2? <laughs> yeah. Jeez, that sounds sad. I like how he drops the bomb of what the name's going to be and then acts like we give a shit about how, how much he cares about how Doom should sound from the comic books. Right, right. Oh, but, but, you know, he, go, he goes on to say that everything else was out of his control. Yeah, he does say that. Everything else was out of my control, but I'm working on that voice. Yeah, I'm working on that <laughs> voice. The only thing I can control, and I, I'm imagining the voice from the comics as accurately as I can. <laughs> Dr. Dumashev. Can I toss Dr. Dumashev? <laughs> I'm tossing Dumashev. I'm tossing this movie uh, right now. Hey, yeah. man. Wow. Yeah, this is a pre-toss. Yeah, this movie looks like a train wreck. <laughs> I think this is your first official pre-toss. I, it's a pre-toss for me after these comments. Yeah. Dr. Doom is now a blogger. Yeah, a computer programmer. And he's not Dr. Doom, he's Don Mashev. <laughs> he's just kind of known as Doom online. <laughs> oh, this movie is that. Doom. No this, shit. Yeah, this movie is Dr. Doom for sure. <laughs> you know, if anything comes from this movie, it's going to be the fact that um, I'm gonna, they're going to feel like fucking idiots because they have already greenlit a second film. Oh. And I, I honestly, I hope it bombs. If we didn't do this show, I would, uh, I, I would not see this. I would not, I would refuse to watch this movie in the theater. Yeah, I, but I don't we have you. to we have to review it for the show. But if if it if it wasn't for this show, I would refuse to see this movie after these comments. I have not seen one fan say one positive thing about this movie in the last couple months. It's just, I mean, the only thing that I can see that people thought that looked cool was the concept art that we saw from Thing, mm, yeah. the, the new Ben Grimm, the new Thing. And it did look good. It looked a lot better than the chickless version. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's not saying much. I know. It, that was just a dude in a styrofoam suit. Yeah. The suit in the, in the fucking, the Corman movie looked better. Yeah, it than did. This. It looked the, rockier and more real. It did. Yeah, the Roger Corman movie in the 90s that was never even released. <laughs> the thing looked better in that than the fucking new thing. It looked way less rubber in the Corman it, version. Yeah. yeah. Oh, jeez. This oh man, this Fantastic Four movie—it's going to be a train wreck. I, th guys, oh my god, oh my god, they're fucking up Doctor Doom's origin again, and even worse in this case. I didn't think it could be worse. How it's, can it get worse? It's worse than putting them on the shuttle too. I know it's absolutely awful. I had a thought when I was hearing about this, and also the uh, the possible Spider-Man news. Do you have that down to talk about it all? Yeah. Oh yeah, I got it. Okay. It, it's almost it's like the next thing up. Gotcha. It, it's almost like these studios are purposely going to bomb them to try to wreck the image before it all ends up going back to Marvel. 
Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't see why they would do that. They're not purposely trying to do it. They want to hold on to these properties. They see that the importance of these movies and how these superhero movies are making money, I don't think it's like they're starting to to self-sabotage them. I just think that the heads of the people that are in charge of these movies have no grasp of the characters, have no grasp of the pulse and the heartbeat of the comic book fan. You have people like Kevin Feige who get it and who's got some people underneath him like the Russo brothers and Joss Whedon that get it. Yeah. You've got Lauren Schuler Donner who gets it over at Fox Studios and she's got Brian Singer in there who finally is actually taking some uh, advice from like his second unit director mm-hmm. and other people that are wanting to help him be a better comic book movie director. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this guy Josh Trank who I think has all the talent in the world to be a wonderful director but the people that their heads over at that division at Fox, you know, they don't get it. No. I can't I can't believe that Lauren Schuler Donner is a part of this. Yeah, unbelievable. That upsets me. It, I think she gets it when it comes to the X-Men stuff, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't think she gets it as far as like, oh, let's let Mark Millar, who I have no big problem with Mark Millar. I'm not, I don't either. I'm not, you know, like the biggest Mark Millar fan, but I, I like a lot of stuff that he's done. I like a lot, too. I don't, but I think that I think that what he's doing is he's injecting his his ultimate fa- f- uh, Fantastic Four into this, as opposed to going back to the original Stanley Jack Kirby stuff. And I think their fear is, oh, we can't revisit those older movies that we did when we did try to do like the Stanley Jack Kirby stuff, because. We need to stay away from that because those movies, we got to stay away from that. We got to do something different. This has to be like, uh, we got to go away from the Schumacher Batman movies and do a more of a Christopher Nolan type thing. Yeah, I'm smelling that too. You think so? Yeah. They're scared of those other movies when in all actuality, don't embrace the other movies at all. Just do it the way Marvel Studios has been doing it. Yeah, nothing's more Marvel than the Fantastic Fucking Four. <laughs> They're Marvel's first family. Yeah, it's like it's where like the term the way Marvel came from. It's right. like the Marvel method came from fucking Fantastic Four. Exactly. So if it's gonna work anywhere, it's gonna work there. I'm really curious to see how they're gonna end up working Civil War without having access to the Fantastic Four. Oh, I, you'll find a way. I'm not worried about. Yeah, I'm not that. worried about it either. No. Well, it's just because him and Susan. That's why. Yeah. No, I know. You can call it Civil War and change the story completely. Just like Jake said a few weeks ago, Age of Ultron is going to have nothing to do with the Brian Michael Bendis Age of Ultron, the the event that came out. Yeah, other than its name and featuring Ultron, that's where the similarities end. Exactly. Exactly. So Civil War, other than its name and featuring Captain America and Iron Man, it's that's Captain where America versus Iron Man. Yeah. That's what that's what it is. Yeah, as yeah. long don't, as, as, don't long get as so, that's there. Yeah, don't get so caught up on that. All right. Just like people are getting caught up on, like you can't do a pro- you can't do a proper proper Civil War without Spider Man, which I, I I I agree with that more than I agree with you know the the whole Fantastic Four, Reed Richards and Susan shit. But yeah, I still think that they can do. If you, if you just deconstruct it and it's it's Captain America versus Iron Man, there's your Civil War. Yeah, as long as that happens, it's Civil War. Exactly. Right, I gotcha. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. But, yeah, this movie sounds like a fucking train, ra- train wreck. Um, sh- you know, Laura Shuler and Donner, Lauren Schuler Donner should be ashamed that, that this was greenlit uh, in this fashion, that that they're, they're, they're going to 
do this to this character yeah. that we love. Um, this is uh, an, it's an abomination, in my opinion. It, it's an abomination of a character. <laughs> yeah. Wow. When are we gonna? When is this coming out next summer? Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. No teaser trailer. We have no trailer. Nothing. Nothing released at San Diego Comic Con. Nothing. Um, it's coming out. Uh, I think they pushed it to August. Mm. But nothing. Absolutely nothing has come out for this movie. And if you try to post pictures of the fucking thing on your Facebook page, you get banned. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> They're like, fuck publicity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If people don't know, if you haven't been listening for a while, I posted some of the pictures that were released the Dr. Doom on our Facebook page and I got banned from Facebook for like three days. <laughs> Dr. Domashev, you mean. <laughs> oh, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I even labeled him as Dr. Doom. Yeah. Now, I can understand if they want to fucking like knock me off of there if I would have said Dr. Domashev. Yeah. Dr. Domashev sounds like a gynecologist. Holy shit. Not somebody that's going to fucking like, you know, try to take over the world. Yeah. Bullshit. Domashev. Doom is his online chat name. That's so true. Oh my God. Wow. Poor Fantastic Four movie. Poor Fantastic Four franchise. (laughs) And it's sad though. It's really sad though that they do have, in my opinion, a couple of good actors in this thing. I I, I like Michael B. Jordan. Been a big fan of him since Friday Night Lights. Yeah, I mean, Miles Teller, who is fantastic in the spectacular now. You know, he was in Divergent, which was a pile of shit, but I don't think he knew what he was walking into when he did that fucking movie. (laughs) I think he just wanted to be reunited with uh, Shailene Woodley, and they had great chemistry in The Spectacular now. But uh, two good actors there, and what's Fox doing? They're they're doing this bullshit with the origin stories. Fucking toss this movie all day. We're going to watch it. We're going to review it, but... My God, this gives me no fucking faith in the Fantastic Four franchise, franchise with Fox Studios. Yeah, it's a real shame. I like Trank and Chronicle too. So yeah. the whole re- the, the fact that this is all becoming such a train wreck is a real. And I can't believe that Lauren Schuler Donner is the head of this shit, and she's letting this happen. It makes me think that maybe Days of Future Past was an accident to begin with. A fluke. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. I'm yeah. Not. The one good thing that all the stars fucking aligned, and they were actually able to make a decent fucking comic book movie, and now oh. with Apocalypse. The whole thing's going to be a bunch of crap again. Like, you know, it's it's the same, like, people, like, pulling the strings in the background. So it's like, how can they do one thing so well, but the other so fucked up? I think it's because of uh, Mark Millar's involvement, possibly. Yeah. I just go back. I think of that saying, you know, even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> like, maybe they just they just fucking got, got it by accident one time, you know? So you're saying that uh, Apocalypse is a, has a bigger chance of being a stinker now? Yeah, I feel that way. It makes me – I the ripple effect makes me worried for Apocalypse just as much as I'm worried for Fantastic Four. And like I, Mark Millar is also like a creative consultant on the X-Men movies too. So yeah, God knows. Oh, I know that. I know that. Too. God knows what he'll fucking do. I know that too. But I mean, how directly involved was he with that as opposed to this? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard saying. I mean, he was the head writer of Ultimate X Men, also. But on the flip side, Mark Millar was also a very big time consultant in this new movie called uh, The Kingsman that's going to be coming out in February. Oh which yeah, which was pushed back. Which a lot of people thought that movie was going to be a pile of shit because it was pushed back. That's usually a sign that the movie is going to be a bad movie. Well, early screenings of the movie are saying that this movie is fantastic. I think it looks good too, based off his Secret Service book. Yes, yeah, and and and, and Matthew Vaughn is. Uh, 
Matthew Vaughn's directing this. Yes. He, he was the director of First Class, which mm-hmm. we which we all like that movie. And the first Kick Ass, which was also based off a of Mark yes. Millar book. Right. So, yeah, I think that looks good. I I keep forgetting the name because I always think of Secret Service. It's a Kingsguard. Kingsman. Kingsman. Thank Kingsman. you. Thank you. So that looks good. When's it pushed back to? February. Okay. I saw another recent trailer where the uh, the guy that goes and gets him cleans out a bar of a bunch of thugs. And that was pretty cool. Oh, I saw that as well. Yeah. Yeah, very fun. Uh, mm-hmm. Looks like uh, James Bond meets parkour. Perfect movie for Matt Vaughn. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, agreed. Yeah. With kick-ass. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, not looking forward to Fantastic Four. No. Reboot. Looks no. like uh Looks like a steam. Give us a trailer, at least, for God's sake. I mean, I'm shitting on all this news, but at least give me a trailer so I can shit on something, you know, that I've seen visually. Yeah, show us an amazing thing. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that'll make us forget about Dr. Domashev for a couple days. Oh, God. <laughs> Somebody needs to Domashev <laughs> somebody doing these fucking Fantastic Four movies yeah. over at Fox. Domashev yeah. them off a cliff. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Domashit. Um <laughs> I want to thank uh, listener CC Chandler for making me aware of this next story. This news comes from Latino Review, uh, and the rumor is that Sony is pursuing an Aunt May movie. <laughs> yes, an Aunt May movie. A movie about Aunt May as a youth before she was shouldered with the responsibility of raising Peter Parker. The target mood is some sort of espionage story in the vein of AMC's Mad Men. Which sounds like a way of saying classier Agent Carter without name dropping Marvel's upcoming series. So, <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> exactly. This is another WTF moment. When I read this shit, I was kind of blown away. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is going on at Sony, too? They don't know what they're doing either. Going on, Aunt May the movie, Secret Agent Aunt May, Double O May. That's what makes me think that they're trying to sabotage it more than anything. Like this is like some major what the fuck. Yeah, we can't get Spider Man right. Let's let's try to let's get Aunt May right. Oh my god, man! (laughs) Is this a movie anybody was asking for? No, no. It sounds better than the new Fantastic Four movie, though. I think maybe, like, every ant out there maybe wants to see this movie happen. <laughs> but as far as comic book fans, fuck no. No, I can't see anybody wanting to see an Aunt May movie. <laughs> I'm embarrassed. I would be embarrassed to go to a theater and when they ask, uh, you know, hey, what are you here to see? Uh, yeah, two tickets to Aunt May, please. <laughs> <laughs> Those come with free wheat cakes. Here oh, you go. <laughs> gosh. <laughs> Aunt May the movie yeah, in I can't 3D, wait. IMAX 3D. Can't wait to see the first teaser poster for the Aunt May movie. It's just like, what do you see, a big bun? It's like they took that fucking SNL skit literally. Oh, which which skit? The one where they were going to make a movie out of every fucking thing oh, from Marvel yeah, Studios. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, yeah. That's a good idea, Aunt May no. the movie. <laughs> Aunt May the movie. Who's the villain in... Uh, Maybe we can get Uncle Ben the movie and we can just get two hours of looking at his fucking gravestone. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. I would, I would watch that over the Aunt May movie in the Fantastic Four movie. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I'd watch that over the Fantastic Four movie, too. Right. How do you fuck that up? <laughs> they're they're going to have uh, you know her with a young Uncle Ben. There's going to be scenes of romance. and It'll be like the notebook meets the Spider-Man universe. Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
so who would you who would you want in the Aunt May movie? Would you want to keep Sally Field or would you want to recast Aunt May? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, you're really asking I'm, me this? I'm joking. Why, why is this a question? <laughs> Kira Knightley as Aunt May. Oh my god. So who needs who needs Captain Marvel when you got Aunt May? I mean, <laughs> Sony's got it's got all the players over there. The, okay, like this, like this sounds even this. This would be ridiculous as a TV show too. Yes, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> Aunt May, Medicine Woman. Who is this rumor coming from? Did I even get this? I was it's, actually trying no, to look that. No, it's Latino up. Review. It's, it's all over the place. It's Latino. Yeah. Re, it's Latino Review. Yeah, they were the ones that first broke the news. Because I, I saw someone claiming it to be a hoax, but then it's like all over the it's place. It's so fucking ridiculous. Who would have thought it was serious? <laughs> that was my first question too was like is this real oh it's aunt may as a youth too oh yeah no yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's uh what what was it uh <laughs> yeah aunt may as a youth before she was shouldered with the responsibility of raising peter parker the target mood is some sort of espionage story in the vein of amc's mad men mm. that sounds terrible sounds <laughs> awful <laughs> oh, wow so, all right Okay. Tax season's coming up. I'm more excited about that. Yeah. They can get John Hamm to play Uncle Ben. Oh, jeez. <laughs> then we can see him meet and fall in love. Oh. <laughs> Aunt May chooses to put down the spy work they, to live the happily married life. I'm tossing this. Yeah. Absolutely. This is fucking stupid. I can't even believe we're fucking talking about this. This is so <laughs> fucking lame. It's ridiculous, right? Yeah. It's pretty it's bad. Terrible. Does Sony have a direction at this point? Do we know if any of these movies are even going to happen? No. Amazing Spider-Man 2 kind of screwed the pooch and kind of sent everything in a whirlwind a little bit, didn't it? Yeah, and people can say, oh, the movie made 600-some, $700 million, but, you know, they're expecting a lot more from Spider-Man. Yeah, they want to build a whole franchise off they want a, they, they want a billion. Mm-hmm. You know, Iron Man 3 made 1.3 something million billion, excuse me, 1.3 billion dollars. There's no reason in the world that Spider-Man, one of the most recognizable Marvel characters, should not be making a billion dollar movie. Yeah, it just came out this week that Spider-Man is the most, like, profitable comic book character of all time. Right. So, I mean, that just proves that it could easily be a billion dollar movie if done right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm saying that, uh, yeah, I, I think they need to work out a deal with Marvel ASAP. Reboot the character, recast the character, reboot, insert some new life into the character, and uh, and they need to work out a deal with Marvel where he appears in uh, in these movies off and on. Yeah, don't make Peter Parker a blogger. Yeah, God. <laughs> oh. All right, Joaquin Phoenix kind of broke uh, his silence about him being cast as Doctor Strange mm-hmm. and his thoughts on the comic book movies. Here's what uh, he told Playboy in a recent interview. I'm sure Frank, you've already read this. No. Being a uh, longtime subscriber to Playboy. I, dude, guys only say that they read the articles. Playboy has lots of great articles. They really do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, the, like uh, Michonne's origin yeah. in, in The Walking Dead was first released in a fucking Playboy issue. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of sh- the short story form, and there's lots of great authors that do lots of exclusive short stories for Playboy. I, guys, I haven't read an issue of Playboy since my teens, so yeah. I have no idea. But Way too easy to find other shit on the internet. Um, I'm not looking for that on the internet either. Um, Phoenix says, uh, I can't talk about it. 
I've met on all sorts of movies throughout the years. What seems appealing about some of them is the idea of pushing myself in a way that's out of my comfort zone. But really, it's what I'm always looking for. Good characters, big ideas, and passionate filmmakers. If those things line up with any kind of movie, I have interest in it. There's some great Batman stuff and classic Frank Miller Dark Knight stuff and Arkham Asylum. But I was always a big Wolverine guy. I love Wolverine. Big, fucking great dramatic character. They're all conflicted, and they're really interesting. So it's another – I think it's another Matthew McConaughey safe <laughs> answer. Yeah. You know? I like that he lists Wolverine as his favorite character. That made me smile when yeah. I read that. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, – I don't think we'll ever see Joaquin Phoenix in one of these types of movies, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I can I can see him possibly being in a non-Marvel or DC superhero movie sometime in the future, but never any t- type of franchise flick. Something like uh, maybe like a, an image comic book adaptation. Yeah, exactly. Like uh, like Lock and Key the movie. Yeah, or maybe like he's that. a character in Saga the movie or something wow. or whatever. I can't see Saga ever being a movie. <laughs> yeah, just throwing it out there. I know. God, there's just so. I think I think Brian K. Vaughn has gone out of his way to make sure that that never gets adapted to a film. <laughs> Gigantic troll balls. <laughs> A planet called Sextillion. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I think Brian K. Vaughn has really gone out of his way to make this, like, so bizarre and outlandish. First off, the budget for a saga movie would be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Mm. I mean, I think it'd be better off as, like, an animated movie, like, on HBO. I could see that. I just cannot see this actually doing it justice the way the comic book and with Brian K. Vaughn probably wanting 100% control of a movie if it ever got adapted. Mm -hmm. I can't see any studio taking this on. I mean, if if he did it the way they wanted it to be, number one, it's going to be NC-17. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I just throw it out (laughs) there. There's drug use. There's like alien sex. There's gigantic troll balls. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're just. I'm just saying. Yeah, if he's gonna do something like that, I imagine it would be more of an indie indie franchise. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. Uh, a few shows ago, we talked about when Robert Downey Jr. got up in front of an audience uh, and told Hollywood it's time, you know, to forgive Mel Gibson. Oh Christ! And then further elaborated on that, saying later he'd do Iron Man four, guaranteed. If Mel Gibson could direct, well, speaking with extras A.C. Slater, or as he's known these days uh, by uh, Mario Lopez, (laughs) (laughs) Mel Gibson had this to say about Iron Man 4. I got to ask you this, because Robert said he would do Iron Man 4 if you directed it. (laughs) Would you consider it? Of course, you know. Hey, I'm I'm pretty good at directing. I've done it before. A few times. I think I got some statues for it one time. Yeah, I think I could do it. Would you consider yourself a better actor or director? Um, I think I, I actually think I'm a better director than actor, but there you go. I hope somebody gives me an argument on that. Yeah, I, just as good as both. Just as good as both, sir, if I, if I say. What about, what about like someone like Ben Affleck that's doing the acting draw? What do you think of the work he's done so far? Oh, amazing. You know? He's really good. He's I, I, and you could see like in the first thing that he did, he's a very good director. He really he has a good eye for that stuff, and he's like uh, you know, and it's been proven now. So he's uh, he'll just go from strength to strength, I think. Well, it's been yeah. such a pleasure. Thank you yeah, so Mario, much. Yeah, Mario. Hey, time. thanks, man. 
Yeah, so I wanted to throw that out there. Of course he's up for it. Yeah, of course he is. He needs it. Yeah. Do you think it'll happen? What do you think the chances are? Percentages? Less than 10%. Okay. Yeah, I think he's too much of a loose cannon still. Yeah, I don't think Marvel would want to deal with any of the politics that they would have to deal with. You know, Robert Downey Jr., uh, great actor that he is. Yeah. Not disputing that. But I think the fact that the judge kind of flopped critically. I mean, it was uh, it was uh, considered rotten on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm-hmm. And uh, the fact that it wasn't a critical darling helps us Marvel fans. And it's funny that after all these critical reviews of the judge came out, that all of a sudden he latched on to something that, uh, where people love him, and he, now he's coming back and doing Civil War. Mm-hmm. It's kind of bizarre, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, think, he, I think Robert Downey Jr. Uh, is very... Um, uh, I, I think his personality, I think he needs that love. And when he didn't get the love that he got from, uh, you know, making the judge this very personal passion project, I think, for him, you know, got some other great actors to surround him in that movie. You know, Robert Duvall, Billy Bob Thornton, you know, James D'Onofrio, some, some good character actors in there with him, mm-hmm. you know. And when it didn't perform the way that he wanted it to, I think it could have sent him into a spiral of depression. Maybe he would have picked up the bottle again. I don't know. <laughs> that or a spiral of awful movies. But what did he fall back on? Good old Iron Man. Good yep. old Iron Man. So now we're seeing him again. I think this works to our advantage. <laughs> Every time, you know, in between these Marvel movies where he puts out a stinker, I think it works to our advantage. And I think that we're going to get an Iron Man 4 uh, I think we're, I think this increases our chances of getting an Iron Man four. Definitely, I think we're definitely going to see an Iron Man four in one form or another in the future. Yeah, can't I see agree. that not happening. And I hope right. it's not directed by Mel Gibson. Me too. And number two, I hope it's not directed by Shane Black. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be okay yep. with it. I would be one hundred percent. I'm against it. I, I don't. I don't want to see Shane Black in there. Yeah, I, I'd be okay I, with I someone see, new. I want to see an Iron Man movie that everybody can enjoy again. I, I um, It'd be nice if Marvel could make amends with Jon Favreau mm-hmm. and and let him come back and, and, and do the film that he wants to do. Yeah. I think that would be kind of like Marvel uh, handing an olive branch. Uh, and and making and and making up for what they did wrong with you, Iron Man two. You got to imagine Robert Downey Jr. would be okay for that too. Mm-hmm. So, oh yeah, I know they're still close. Absolutely. Well, I mean, they did Chef together. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'm all 100 percent for that. James Gunn spoke with uh, Slash Film about an alternate ending for Guardians of the Galaxy, mm-hmm. and that it originally had three extra characters involved at the end. Quill and the Guardians save the day, and we see a montage of different characters. And this is what he had to say about cutting three characters from that montage. There are three characters that got cut out of the Ain't No Mountain High Enough montage. Nebula, the Collector, and Grandpa Quill. Mm -hmm. Nebula and Collector, we decided at a certain point, they're kind of bad guys in the first movie. It was a real joyous experience with that finale, so we thought we'd keep it to the characters that were part of the good team, which included Yondu. He did fight on the good guy's side, so we thought we could keep him in there. Uh, so we thought we would keep it to them. Uh, Grandpa Quill we cut because he was an old age makeup, 
And we were a little afraid people wouldn't recognize that it was him from the beginning of the movie. And also, it was a pretty sad moment. It was Grandpa Quill, and he has this photograph of Meredith and Peter as a little boy. And he looks up at the stars. And we go up to the stars, and and it was really sweet. It means that he must have seen Quill getting abducted at the end of that day and is still waiting for him to return. But it was freaking sad, so we took it out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, didn't want to ruin that mood. Yeah, that wouldn't have quite worked with that song. It would have been really weird. Nebula's was actually my favorite. Nebula, I really liked a lot because she's lost her arm and she's just pissed off. And she's just walking through this field all pissed off with a busted Ravager vehicle behind her. And she's just pissed off and I loved it. Yeah, it's too bad we had to lose Nebula footage. I would have liked to have seen more. Yeah. James Gunn talked about the Guardians of the Galaxy sequel in a small Q&A recently, and I wanted to go over some of the highlights from that discussion. Mm -hmm. Overall, how does it fit into Phase 3? Here's what Gunn had to say on the Guardians of the Galaxy sequel. Who knows how much we've influenced Phase 3, but one thing is the Guardians aren't backseat to the Avengers. Captain America, Thor, those movies, they really, they do really support the Avengers, and I, I think Take a backseat to the Avengers. The Guardians are their own thing. The cosmic side of the universe is its own thing. And because the movie was so successful, it was more successful than Iron Man. He's talking about the original Iron Man film. That changed the way other people looked at it, but I still look at it the same way. I think the main thing with moving on is we can't just repeat ourselves. We can't just say, okay, well, let's start with something sad and shift into something really happy and some music and let's have the awesome mix work in exactly the same way, only with songs from the 80s instead of the 70s. All of those things, that doesn't interest me. For me, the shift is really about getting to know these characters on a deeper level, knowing them more intimately and uncovering facets of those characters that make them more real to us. At the center of what works about Guardians is that people like the characters. And then he was asked about the sequel going into to some more of the Guardians' backstories. He says, yes, I mean, more deeply into the characters themselves and who they are, how they work and how they think, what, are their, what their flaws are, what their strengths are. They're a much more flawed group than the Avengers. They have major, major issues. Yeah, I like it. I have a lot of faith in James Gunn. He's I, he's not going to have sequelitis, and he's not just going to rehash Guardians of the Galaxy 1 with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. So I, I like that. I like that he's feeling like a whole new spin on the whole thing. Okay. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. One thing that I kind of um, took away from this is he he talked about, you know, how, how does this fit into Phase 3? Mm-hmm. And he said, one of the things that really stuck out to me is he says that the the Guardians aren't backseat to the Avengers. And he talked about how Captain America, Thor, and those movies, they, they support the Avengers movies, and they take a backseat to the Avengers, and how the Guardians are their own thing. Mm-hmm. Does that quote there make you believe that he's kind of alluding to the fact that maybe we aren't going to see Planet Hulk in the Guardians of the Galaxy sequel or in any of these Guardians movies? Yeah, I can see that. I've had a hard time from the go thinking that James Gunn would incorporate that kind of stuff to begin with. It's not up to James Gunn. Yeah, I know, I know. But it just seemed like a weird thing like that, you know, 
they made such a big deal about how much freedom they gave him, and then they were going to saddle him with a bunch of Hulk baggage that he didn't necessarily want to have to do. So, Well, I mean, John Favreau, to be fair with you, even though Marvel Studios was in its infancy at the time, mm-hmm. he did get a lot of control over that first Iron Man movie. Mm-hmm. And then when they opened it up to more of an expanded universe with the Avengers, they Marvel kind of stepped in, and uh, that's when John Favreau didn't get to put out the movie that he wanted to. Marvel's always thinking about the overall product and how it works out best for them. Mm-hmm. So... I hope we don't see a repeat of what happened with Iron Man 2 with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I don't know, and that's not what I'm taking from this. What I'm taking from this is I don't think that we are going to get this. I don't think we're going to get that Planet Hulk scene in the Guardian sequels now from this quote. If, huh. if Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. I see what you're saying. And I don't know if that'll, that'll he's saying that, out. But. He's saying that the Guardians do not take a backseat to the Avengers. Right. And... If you incorporate the Hulk into a Guardians movie, they are definitely taking a back seat to the Avengers. At that point, it's right. just the same as a Cap movie or a Thor movie Absolutely. or an Iron Man movie. Right. It's not its own separate entity anymore. It's Absolutely. part of the Avengers lineup. Agreed. Yeah. So I agree with what you're saying, what you take away from what you're saying. Right. That that kind of says that there's not going to be the Hulk storyline stuff going on. Right. So So if Hulk gets blasted off into outer space, that does not necessarily mean that there's going to be some kind of like, you know, uh, overarching story with the Guardians of the Galaxy now just from this quote. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine with that, too. No, I'm fine with that, too. You know, I enjoyed the Guardians of the Galaxy, and I don't want it to hinge upon that. Right. But on the flip side, I think it'd be kind of fun to see the Hulk in a fucking (laughs) Guardians movie. I'd like to see him interact. Yeah. On the flip side. I'm not totally against that, too. Probably going to hold all that back for Avengers 3 and 3.5, it sounds like. Yeah. um, Or even Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I don't know. I don't know how they're going to work this in. Me neither. It'd be easy yeah. enough, I guess, to bring him back in the first part. No, it wouldn't make War. it wouldn't make sense for Guardians of the Galaxy three. It all has to happen within Phase three. It all has to happen within the within the. I think Frank's onto something. You've got two Avengers movies to tell this story. Yeah. You can easily tell it within there. Yeah, yeah. So I think that Frank's onto it with that. Yeah, um, we. I, I think Thor's going to go away mm-hmm. for a while. Steve Rogers probably gonna die. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are gonna happen. Phase three, and I don't think I don't think that uh, you're doing a. I, I would love to see elements of Planet Hulk happen, mm-hmm. but I don't want to see it at the sacrifice of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy two. I agree completely. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, last thing that we're gonna talk about, and then we're gonna wrap up the show. Yeah, I'm getting hungry. I can tell you guys are restless, both of you. Yeah. Frank's got his little back issue and he's over there like giving himself like these like weird back massages or whatever the hell you're doing. Yoga so, technique, try to adjust my, give myself an adjustment. It's distracting. Sorry. Whatever it is. I'm it's, sorry. Yeah, it's distracting <laughs> the fuck out of me. So I just want to end this. Uh, <laughs> I, was, I was watching him a little bit earlier too. Yeah. It's, it's, he was doing this action. I know. Yeah. Sorry. 
It, I had my hood up at one point, and uh, Brian thought I was asleep. <laughs> no, it, it just took me back to those Dan episodes. Oh, fuck. No, I ain't <laughs> yeah. trying to be like that. Yeah. Yeesh. Sorry. All right, guys. Last thing, and then you can go and get your shiatsu massage. <laughs> I can go eat. You can fill yourself up with uh, panda. Oh, orange, you know it. Orange chicken or whatever the hell you're going to do. You know it. All right. So don't worry. We're going to wrap this up for you guys, okay? Um, we... We've seen, you know, what we thought was Adam Warlock's cocoon mm-hmm. in Thor, the Dark World, and then again in Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, they were, both times we saw them, they were in the Collector's Museum. And, uh, even director James Gunn himself confirmed this in an interview with Empire. Mm-hmm. Now he's saying that it might not be. Hmm. Here's what the director had to say at a press conference for the Guardians of the Galaxy Blu-ray, which kind of blows my mind because James Gunn has been one of these guys who says, I've, I never lie to my fans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? It's kind of, I don't know, Jake. I don't know what to take from this. And, uh, let's just think about this. Let's just think about this because it's kind of messed up. Okay. Let's hear it. He says, yeah, there's a cocoon that's exactly like Adam Warlock's. I wasn't really thinking that much when I put it, that in. That was my idea to put that in there. They're like, what should we put in? So I went in the Marvel's handbook and like just picked cool things that look neat to put into boxes. It looked like Adam Warlock's cocoon. So now everyone thinks he's out there and, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff in there and there's a lot of things that people think they see that I don't think is in there. Unless the visual effects guys were pulling tricks on me, which they could have. So... <laughs> being what? wishy-washy. What is going on? I heard there's going to be a special feature on the Blu-ray that's going to be like inside the collector's area. Mm. Where there we're gonna... were there were like ten special features that were announced for this Blu-ray. Yeah, and that is one of them. So that, I'll, I'll be excited to see that. I mean, but it sounds like they're not going to go ahead and even within that, since this was said during like a press release for the Blu-ray. Yeah. Like, the, they're not going to come out and say that that's for sure. I feel like the sketchiness makes it more plausible to me, though, for some reason. That because we want to keep the appearance of Adam Warlock kind of as, as a surprise. Yeah. That's why we're being sketchy about it. Yeah, but, I mean, in an interview with Empire, mm-hmm. he came out and confirmed that, yes, it was Adam Warlock's cocoon. Now he's backtracking. He must have got smacked in the back of the hand by Marvel. It, oh, yeah. Yes, that's what I was getting at. Mm-hmm. Um do you think this is Marvel saying, "Yeah, come on, come on, we got to, we got to, we got to surprise people with this a little bit"? Yeah, this is poker. We can't play with the cards face up. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta, you know, keep that shit close to our chest before it's time to show. I think at one point in time, he, he even kind of alluded to the fact that you know, like we saw the cocoon, and then it looked like the cocoon was busted open in the second movie mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And now he's saying he doesn't know. You know what I mean? Maybe maybe we're just seeing things. Yeah. Bullshit. I, I think I cry bullshit, too. Yeah. Uh, it's just upsetting that it came from Gunn. I wish you would have just been like, yeah, Adam Adam Warlock. Yeah. It's his cocoon. Don't it, know will, what... Will he show up in a movie? We don't know. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's it's his cocoon. I agree with you. It feels like both purposes can be served if he's like that, too. Like, you're yeah. not spoiling the mystery at all if you just go ahead and admit it. We still don't know when and the where. Do you think that he put it in there... Wanting complete creative control over the movies, he wanted to incorporate Adam Warlock, 
And now Marvel's saying, well, just like Civil War doesn't need Spider-Man, just like Civil War doesn't need Reed Richards and uh, Susan Storm, Mm -hmm. uh, the Infinity Wars, they don't need Adam Warlock. Yeah. I can see that. Or just even, like, maybe it's the fact that they do need Adam Warlock so much that they're like, hey, Gunn, we appreciate that you threw this in there, but we have our own plans for Adam Warlock. Could they be like, uh, hey, James Gunn, do you remember the audience reaction at the end of The Avengers when they first saw Thanos for the first time? Mm -hmm. Uh, We kind of want that uh, at the event, at the end of the next Avengers movie Mm -hmm. or the next Guardians movie where we get that first look at Adam Warlock and you're kind of like taking that away from us by confirming that Adam Warlock exists in this universe. Mm-hmm. So can can we get our Thanos moment back? Because people really like that, and they really <laughs> responded to that. It'll be interesting to see what they say on that Blu-ray featurette. I'm yeah. really excited to see. Like, they're going to have to... It's it's real prevalent in the scene, so they're going to have to acknowledge it as they acknowledge all these items. What are, what are they specifically going to say about right. that item? Right. I'm excited right. about it. I can't wait to digest the Guardian's Blu-ray and watch every <laughs> single fucking special feature and James Gunn commentary and oh, the whole nine yards. Yeah. I'm in it. Whatever, like, definitive Guardians of the Galaxy Blu-ray comes out, like the... 3D one or whatever that mm-hmm. has everything on it. That's the one I'm going to get. And I hope that they don't come out with like a hundred of them because it's coming around at Christmas time. I hope that there's not like, oh, go to Target. And if you go to Target, you get a Rocket Raccoon figure. Oh, if you go to Walmart, you get a comic book that's been written by so-and-so. Oh, yeah. Best Buy will have the Steelcase edition exactly. with a bonus disc. Just give me one big-ass definitive fucking collector's edition that I can get. And mm. that's the one that I'm going to get. I don't want to have to like be like – because like when Avengers came out, like I – like, they had different versions of it that came out, but I was like, I want the one that comes with the Peter David comic book. Mm-hmm. That's the one I want, and that's the one that I got. With Guardians of the Galaxy, I don't want them to be like, oh, this one comes with, like, a Rocket Raccoon Funko Pop yeah. <laughs> figure yeah. that's exclusive to the release that you have to get at Walmart. Like you said, Best Buy is going to have the Steel Case Edition. Mm-hmm. Just give me one. Just like with uh, I've been holding off on buying the Days of Future Past Blu-ray because I'm waiting for like the definitive Rogue Edition to come out. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it sucks that I got to wait until 2015 to get that. <laughs> and if I want to get my you know Days of Future Past fix, I got to go to Redbox or I got to go to Family Video and rent it. I don't think any of that's going away anytime soon though, because they're doing that throughout video games too. Wherever you pre-order something, you get different bonuses or in-game things. Or characters that are unlocked, yeah. Yeah. And then on top of that, um, also, uh, you got, um, fuck, my brain just completely left me. Um, I don't know. I think it's the last attempt at making money from a dying market in some ways. I think we're, we're slowly moving over to all streaming. And that's why we have 8,000 different releases to get your butt out of the couch and into the store instead of just streaming these movies. Oh, you can get this bonus comic book. Oh, you can get this bonus action figure. Because even, um, well, I mean, even Amazon is hurting Walmart. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you're a Prime member, yeah, free shipping. And then, you know, it's like you don't really pay taxes on anything. Yeah. So. Uh-uh. Yeah. 
So I think these are just different lures from the different department stores to get you. Yeah, but it hurts us, the consumer, because oh, true. you've got your Guardians of the Galaxy completist out there that wants to get every edition. And they do the same thing even with the Transformers movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, uh, go to go to Target or Best Buy and you get like the Megatron edition. And it's it's the, the, the case is an actual Transformer that you can transform. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah, mean, I hate obnoxious cases anyway for the most part. Yeah, that's a pain in the ass. I want everything to be symmetrical on my shelf and I, the I, same size. I do love my fucking um, Lord of the Rings Blu-ray sets that come with like the uh, but the 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 book case, the bookshelf, like not bookshelves, but the bookends. Bookends. Yeah, I love those. Yeah, for the most part, there's some exceptions. I love yeah. my lost box set in its obnoxious temple case. <laughs> it is fucking obnoxious. Did that thing come with like a map and everything? It's got yeah. a little black light flashlight. It looks and... really cheap though. It really does. It's not so no, much. No, it's not so much. It's yeah. got all the Dharma symbols etched on it really nice and everything. It's, I like it. It's really expensive now on Amazon. When I got it, it was, I want to say like 130 bucks, something like that. And then since then, they haven't like, continued with production of yeah they only put put them out once that way and now you just get like a bare bones version yeah like that edition that temple edition's going for like three or four hundred bucks now yeah i like it yeah (laughs) although i tried to sell that shit on a one of those uh like garage sale sites and people were like i'll give you 50 bucks for it fuck you yeah yeah that's how it goes with that kind of stuff yeah yeah all right guys episode 67 Think we're done. Yeah, two more episodes till the all dildo sixty nine. Right? <laughs> oh God, it's gonna. You know what? It's just Frank. I'm gonna let you intro that show. Oh shit, Jake. I should let you intro a show once. Oh, that'd be fine. I should let you be the showrunner. Oh no, for one episode. Oh no, well, let me be on vacation that week. <laughs> <laughs> let Jake like do an all Jake show, and I get to sit back. <laughs> I get to sit back. And not read these news stories. I get to sit back and just comment. There you go. You can be the snarky guy. What do you think? What do you think? Should that happen one of these days? I, I'd be I down like for that. it. Really? I, I accept. Like I accept the challenge. Okay. <laughs> that would, I would enjoy that. That would be fun. Not sixty nine though. I don't want to be in charge not of the dildo. Not sixty nine. <laughs> Have we ever thought about like what are we going to do with episode one hundred? Yeah, I don't know. I like the idea of a call in episode. Maybe. A live, oh, that's cool. A live call in episode. Yeah. Yeah. That could be fun. Yeah. Some disasters would uh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I could give uh, some people like, uh, you know, I could give, I tell you what, yeah, that's what we could do. We could have like a thing where like uh, uh, the first so many people that do this, uh, we're going to call like 10 people throughout the show. We'll do a live call-in show. Oh, yeah. And then uh, I'll get their phone numbers. And as we do the show, we'll call them for different segments and stuff like that. I, I like that idea a lot. Yeah, too, a that's lot cool. Too. Yeah, and they they can just talk about the show, whatever. And I mean, it can be like a uh, hell. We could do like a ten hour extravaganza. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. No, it'll probably be like a, du- a double. It'll be like a five six hour thing. Yeah, that'd be fun. It'd be hard to get some people lined up time wise though, because like uh, Dan West, he's six hours ahead of us. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, so. but you know, I mean, uh, we set a time a few weeks in advance. We can yeah. get shit figured out. Yeah, but well, so. we jump in early enough on Sundays usually to where usually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we could figure something out. It'd be fun. It'd be fun. I'd like to talk to some of these people. It'd be awesome. All right, guys. Uh, Just like all good leftovers say on their doggy bags, thank you for your patronage, and thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week. Later, Later. everybody. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Leftovers. Congratulations. I don't know how you did it. I couldn't do it. 
You people need a T-shirt saying, I just listened to two hours of nonsensical crap. Anyway, if you'd like to reach the Pop Culture Leftovers cast, you can email them at comments at popcultureleftovers.com. You can also follow them on Twitter at PC Leftovers or like their Facebook page. They'd love to hear from you. They're all pretty sad and lonely. One of them is homeless, but I didn't say that. And as always, check out our website, www.popcultureleftovers.com. We've got great articles there. Comic reviews, movie reviews, television reviews. It's awesome. Check it out. And if you're interested in writing for the site, uh, we definitely need more writers. So send an email to domesticateddave at gmail.com. And if David Griffin likes what he reads, he'll get in contact with you. And you can be part of the team. Remember, this is a non-paying gig, but it's a really cool way to have your voice heard. And we'd love to read your submissions. So get in contact with David. And thank you. And check us out on Tumblr, too, motherfuckers. <laughs> and don't forget, we're on Instagram, too. <laughs> yeah, that just happened. There's already like 7 million podcasts Talking about pop culture and all that Makes us happy like shooting at a womp rat But it's all been done before and we don't want to be a copycat Picking up the scraps Dropped by the cool kids it, it, It's a trap Good it, toss it, good it, taste it Do we love it? Hey, let's face it Can't erase it Let's embrace the Tupperware party Subculture spill over Like a vulture Carry over Counterculture pushovers Pop culture Leftovers And with the uncool kids What's to say has already been said Leftovers Pretty sure that the only talent Is the band that's singing this Pop culture leftovers that original and good have already been done before, so we should separate the wheat from the shaft. And we're the shaft, the crap, even though we're the shit. Woo! We're the leftovers picking up the scraps, dropped by the cool kids. It, it, it's a trap. Good and toss it, good and taste it. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it. Let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture carryover. Counterculture pushovers, pop culture leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said. Leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this. Pop culture leftovers. Do we love it? Hey, let's face it, can't erase it, let's embrace the Tupperware party. Subculture spill over like a vulture, carry over, counterculture, pushovers, pop culture, leftovers. And with the uncool kids, what's to say has already been said, leftovers. Pretty sure that the only talent is the band that's singing this, pop culture, leftovers.